distant land. I, Aku, the shape-shifting master of darkness, unleashed an unspeakable evil. But a foolish samurai warrior wielding a magic sword stepped forth to oppose me. Before the final blow was struck, I tore open a portal in time and flung him into the future, where my evil is law. Now the fool seeks to return to the past and undo the future that is Aku. Welcome, dear listeners, to Anime Baby. Surprised to hear me in the intro? It's Two Bits, your host, Ryan. It's Ryan Takeover Time, baby, as I'm at the helm for this episode. Joined in his first outing in the peanut gallery, my co-host... Mr. Pajama-wearing, basket-faced, slipper-wielding, Clyde Deep, Brackle, Gether, Up and Blade, Mog, Blithering, Gumroll, Jesse, Oaf-looking, Stunner, Naf, Pluky, Sean, Milk-drinking, Soy-face, Shield-bit, Mip-mooth, Snivelling, Worm-eye, Oatenblath, Vowstooky, Calibret, Tati, Mikey. <laughs> oh my god. You kept going. <laughs> thought it was over several times. Yeah, this that's is, my... This is like the end of a Bayonetta game. The old Scotsman line <laughs> insult. I also, I also had another one, just in case, where it would be like... Your co-host, Mikey. And when does the magic begin? There is no magic, is there? <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't have... I don't, have a, don't worry, you can steal that one. <laughs> I don't have an introduction that good. I can't... I'm not gonna say all that. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm like obtuse rubber goose, green moose, guava juice. <laughs> green snake, something chocolate shake. Odd parents. <laughs> parents. <laughs> uh, and for our first time guest on the show, like our uh, good friend Taha. Yeah, that's my name. My name's Taha. Welcome. You yeah. also go by Waffle Pope online. Yep. I, I have my online handle is Waffle Pope, and that's that's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And welcome to part three of our Summer of Toonami! As we reach the middle of the season, we wanted to take this once-in-a-long-time chance to review something out of the ordinary, something that fits within the grander scope of Toonami, and something totally up my alley. It's finally time for me to throw off my training weights and put on my cartoon jacket, for it's our first cartoon we're reviewing for the podcast. Oh yes, we are opening the Forbidden Door, because last year we opened the Forbidden Door of doing... Sobbed anime with uh, kids on the slope, and now 
this year, the Forbidden Door of Western Animation. You, you don't know what you've unlocked here, okay? <laughs> yeah, you, just, you open that door and all you got is, like, Popeyes and Tom and Jerry's and, like, I don't know, like, Garfield. It's just Garfield's living in your house now. It's like the end, <laughs> it's like the end of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit when, like, the wall to Toontown is burst open and then all the cartoons start running into the dip factory. Smile, yeah. darn yeah, smile. <laughs> <laughs> but unlike Eddie Valiant, I'm actually happy to see them. Yeah, right? <laughs> Who, who wouldn't be happy to see Cow and Chicken in real life? <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> yes. Ever since I was a child, I've loved cartoons. I'd be up and at for Saturday mornings and tuned in after school to all the latest animation from both the U.S. and Japan. And I never really stopped going into my teens and now my adult years. I even wrote a 14-page analysis of the Powerpuff Girls. I remember that. You gave me a, a copy back in high school. Yes. That's awesome. You can probably still uh, fish it out somewhere online through uh, DeviantArt. <laughs> All right. Even now, I hope to establish that when it comes to cartoons, I am someone to go to on the subject. Though chances to try and show my stuff tend to be few and far between these days. But when Mikey told me that we were going to be covering something non-anime for Anime Bebe, I eagerly jumped upon this chance to betray the entire premise of this podcast <laughs> and script a kick-ass review. Uh, but since we're reviewing our first cartoon, I also didn't want to miss an opportunity to bring on someone with a big heart for animation and an all-around incredible person. And yeah, so uh, thank you so much for coming on to this episode. Yeah, thank uh, you. Was, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, that was uh, really nice. Thank you. And uh, for all you folks who follow the Anime Bebe feed, you may remember Taha as uh, one of our co-hosts for the OKKO panel back in uh, Detour 2019. Yes, yeah. we had a good fun time that with was, that. That was super fun. All of us super loopy past midnight and getting kicked out after we <laughs> went 30 minutes over. Yeah. Yes, you're you're a regular face, I would say, at uh, local Twin Cities conventions. Oh yeah, I, I I go I usually go I used to go to like every convention until like you know the horrible disease got spread to the world. And, but, <laughs> uh, I I I'm just getting old, and now I want to slow down a little bit and go to like less conventions. But like I definitely always am down for panels. Panels are always a big good time. Hearing people's opinions, hearing people's uh, experiences with shows is always super fun. Um, I have a really good time doing that. So it was really so it was awesome that you let me be on your panel about the about OKKO. Cause yeah, thank great. you. Like it was, it was an honor, you know, because yeah. like you were because like uh, you were like one of those like big first like friends I made at a convention and stuff. Like I love yeah. that you were like super approachable yeah, and sure. super nice yeah. and cooperative. Like we even did a we even did a SpongeBob panel before, yeah. that, like where we technically met for the first time, yeah. <laughs> but like we never like. We didn't like associate too much like after that until like years later. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because like I, I had done a lot of anime panels. I do. I part of the big One Piece panel that we do out here on Epic One Piece. Um, so that's I'm part of all of that. I helped like develop a lot of those panels and now they do their structure. Um, and then like just tons of random panels. We used to, I used to be one of the main people for the Omegle panel that was done out here. That was wild. They smeared chocolate on my face <laughs> and, and scare people online. I think fun. I was there for that panel. <laughs> there, there's like a, there's been a huge history I've had with uh, with just panels and conventions in general. Um, but yeah, like the SpongeBob panel was one of my favorite panels I ever did. That was really fun. That was really fun. Uh, I just love the energy everybody has, no matter how bad things are going at the panel. Everyone just keeps the energy up. We just start singing the song, or just like just randomly people will shout quotes. It's like, my leg! Just out of nowhere, people are just yelling that. 
and it's just great. It's a great is time. mayonnaise an instrument? Yeah. People yell that all the time. It's every single time we do that panel. I would love to redo it again in the future. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, there's always that energy there. Yeah, I'm down, I'm down to do them again. I mean, like, let's talk to, talk to my buddy Matt, who does most of the work for those, because, like, I need a good PC to start editing so I can do things again, but, yeah. And you're super knowledgeable about cartoons, too. Yeah, I have, uh, I, cartoons are, like, my blood. I just, like, I, li- I grew up on cartoons and sci-fi, and, like... I just never stopped watching them uh, from anime. Like, my first anime I ever watched is Ancient, and I was not even... It was... The anime was made before I was born, and it was, like, the first anime I ever saw. It was fucking... It was Gigantor. Mm, like, nice. Like, that was the first one I saw. Loved it. Um, I, at a young age, was watching anime I shouldn't have been watching, like, Ninja Scroll and Ghost in the Shell, and, like, there's a, there's a bunch of other ones I always forget every time I... Oh, yeah, Vampire Hunter D... Um, and a bunch of other things like that, and like those darker anime, I shouldn't have been watching those at that age, but I watched a lot of those, and I like kind of formed my my personality a little bit. And there's also just like uh, Western animation, just is great. Like there's just a huge history, um, like in the in the West, just of just of animation, like growing with us, like as like uh, like film and everything started getting bigger. It's just like. I don't know. I love everything, like rubber hose cartoons, like like stupid like action figure stuff, like from the eighties and nineties. Like I love cartoon intros. I will listen to a whole soundtrack of nothing but cartoon intros and not not a single actual song in there. Like, like, <laughs> I, I, I let's have a playlist of nothing but like that's old, good dedication. Yeah, I seriously just I just listen. I, I playlist on my phone is just all the Spider Man intros. That's it. I just listen to them. Mm. I just listen to all the Spider Man intros. So that's. That's that's what I, that's that thing. <laughs> yes, and honestly, with all of us combined, I feel that um, we now have uh, all the necessary powers available right now to uh, review the uh, the uh, quite legendary final season of Samurai Jack. Something that I never thought would ever occur. No, I really thought like Samurai Jack was completely done, would never be touched upon again. The the, the chapter the book was closed on that. Yeah. And not only coming back, but coming back on a revived tsunami on Adult Swim. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, no one would have guessed that back in 2004. A pretty incredible journey. It's crazy to think that, like, Samurai Jack did get that comeback, because it's, like, so many shows ended before their prime, or just, like, at the worst possible spot, and never came back, never got a finish, never got, like... Just weird. They're just like, if you watch that show, you'll have a great time. Then it's gonna be done, and you just get to be okay with never seeing the end of it. And there's tons of shows like that. There's Sonic's at AM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Sonic's yeah. at AM. I know the exact story about how why that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And it's so aggravating. It makes mm. me angry. <laughs> yeah. Enders. Yeah. yeah, it's aggravating. Many different, many different cartoon endings out there get pretty uh, sad as well. We will be getting to another sad one during this, <laughs> undoubtedly. Yeah. But Samurai Jack, though, it was. It was something special that I'm glad they saw, that I'm glad uh, Adult Swim leadership later on felt was worthy to be, like, brought back, you know? Yeah. Because it truly was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. And it still is one of my absolute favorites today that really expanded, like, my view of, like, how, like, the artistic heights to which you could take a, a, like, a cartoon, an animation, and really elevated my thinking of, like, oh, wow, you can do this with, like, the medium. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, like, Samurai Jack is always, like, really impressive because it was so different than the other cartoons because, like, like when Cartoon Card and Fridays would come on and all the stuff, it's, like, all the cartoons would be interacting with each other and all the crazy stuff's happening. Most things were, like, 
Ren and Stimpy are trying to be kind of like that. It would be like a duo doing something mm-hmm. goofy or wacky. Most things were that, except for like I guess Courage of Cowardly Dog is a little different. But then, like, Samurai Jack is so different because it was, like, straight up an action show with just comedy in it. It There weren't cartoons like that around that time. No, like, you would have shows, uh, comedies with action elements, like, say, Dexter's Live having, having, like, action-specific episodes, but... Powerpuff Girls Or Powerpuff Girls, even. And and then, like, like, if you even go, like, even more than that, like, before Cartoon Fridays and stuff like that, like, uh, SWAT Cats and other stuff, which I don't even know those were, like, originally on Cartoon Network, but there were some other action shows that did exist... But they didn't really, like... They had that thing where they put stuff way too early in the morning, you're never going to see it. <laughs> like, and yeah, it would happen. So that was... Those were those were those shows. And But, like, Samurai Jack was cool because it was like, oh, man, this is, like... Like, there's, like, an actual, like, story here. There's, like, like this this dude's a badass. He's walking through the future. He's, like, like bringing justice to people. And he's, like, liberating people under Aku's oppression. It's, like, quiet and contemplative. Yeah. It's like a movie, but a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just just the idea of this like limited dialogue and just like the silence to make you let you like steep in the the environment is so good. And uh, yes, and I'm so and I'm so so happy that we're finally getting to talk about one of my we're finally putting on the record my love and our love really our love for like one of the best cartoons of all time. Yes, but before we dive into the final chapter of Samurai Jack. We must recount to you the legend of his equally equally legendary creator, Gandhi Tartakovsky. Born in 1970 in Moscow during the time of the Soviet Union, young Gennady Borisovich Tartakovsky was born to his Jewish parents, a dentist who operated on government officials and the national hockey team, and his mother, an assistant principal at, uh, an assistant principal at a school. He had one brother named Alex, and they all lived relatively well in the country until 1977, when the growingly anti-Semitic government of the USSR forced a mass migration of Jews from the country, and the Tartakovskys were among those that sought a better life elsewhere. First arriving in Italy, Gendi had his first taste of the wonders of drawing from a Russian neighbor girl who taught him the art, though he admitted that his drawing skills stank at age seven. His family flew further, immigrating to the U.S., where they moved to Columbus, Ohio, and Gendi found his next great inspiration in a Super Friends comic he got from a 7-Eleven, and truly fell in love with cartooning. Gotta thank 7-Eleven there for, <laughs> for oh, being there in that one location. 7-Eleven, we gave you Samurai Jack. <laughs> Samurai Jack and a Slurpee. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good deal from the early 2000s. <laughs> 99 cents. They would eventually settle for good in Chicago, though Gendy would lose his father at age 16 and would work and attend school to try and help support his mother alongside his brother. Wanting to push Gendy towards business, but catered to his artistic interests, his mom and brother urged him to take advertising courses at Columbia College, but a late sign-up resulted in him taking the only class available, animation. This changed his course in life for good as he rose to the top of his class out of sheer work effort and managed to build up a portfolio so that he could attend the California Institute of the Arts, which really was the place to be at the time if you wanted to be an animator. And it still kind of has that reputation kind of today. Yeah. yeah a lot <laughs> Although there's, the, plenty of, there's plenty more different places you can go to get that same education. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of the cartoons that we see back then and nowadays, like, you got to thank CalArts, like, you know, kind of the 
basically like I call the the animation mafia there. Like a lot of yeah. people just got their start there. Yeah, yeah, so. and it kind of dominated a lot of the people that were getting hired in the industry for a long time. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, there's like um, there's there's an institute of arts out here that's like uh, MCAD. MCAD, yeah, Minneapolis yeah. College of Arts and Design. Yeah, I uh, some I have, I have some friends that went to MCAD, and I've actually like done some voice work for them and like some other stuff. Like, yeah, it's. It, it's pretty cool, and I like. I, I'd like to see more people from there, like getting more jobs in the industry as well. So yeah, we, they at least have to the, have a own Dennis of a that Infinity was, Train fame. That's true. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. No, Infinity Train makes way more sense. Yeah, for, <laughs> first yeah. yeah, first season takes place. Yeah, for for yeah. first season, Tulip is from Minnesota. Yeah, that she was drops a North Saint Paul reference yeah. to the giant snowman, and also uh, the uh, Eric the Bike Man. Reference. Eric yeah. the Bike yeah. Guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know <laughs> that. Or for spokes. I didn't know that was a like an only Minnesota thing, and so like, I, I, showed, I showed that to my friend from Virginia, and they did, did not get this joke I made. I made a whole meme out of it, and they were like, "I do not know what this is. What is this?" I'm like, "Oh man." Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can get a good animation uh, education from more places today, which yeah. is quite thankful. That is good. Before heading there, he met a lifelong collaborator, Rob Renzetti, and they both applied to go to the same university. There, he met another lifelong friend, Craig McCracken, and they studied under their professors and took inspiration from the old works produced by the United Productions of America, or UPA as they are now called. What is UPA Revival? I feel like this is a topic that should come up a little more often when discussing um, works of this past, because um, I, I, I saw it discussed about like what to call the style that was being implemented from like cartoons like Powerpuff Girls or Dexter's Lab yeah. that kind of followed over into like other works such as like My Life as a Teenage Robot. Yeah. Johnny or Bravo even. Johnny Bravo even as yeah. well. Or yes, even Samurai Jack as yeah. well. And um, I'm so happy to know that we can no longer have like people online bullshittily say that it's like some Cal, Cal art style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is one of the most like one of my most hated generalized terms that has come to use it's, among the animation discussion. Just the community. flippant use of it, like not actually understanding yeah. what that means. I think it's like that type of person just like wants to have like an opinion that's gonna get, that's gonna like get people like involved. So they just say the most like igniting thing they could say. And they're just like, oh, yes, it's Cal Art style. Everybody looks the same. Look at Steven Universe and Craig the Creek and all these guys. They all the same thing. It's like, no. Like, if you looked at animation throughout, the, like, like, people kind of copy each other and pick the things that are, like, successful. It's just what happens. Well, they also, like, well, like, a lot of those types also just don't understand that, like, a lot of, like, uh, like a lot of like cartoon creators were alumni on past shows as well. Yeah, like yeah. again, it was a lot of it like happened with like Dexter's Lab and like Powerpuff Girls. Heck, it happened to those animators because they all worked yeah. on Two Stupid Dogs. Yeah, yep. right. <laughs> yeah, because they're like the Two Stupid Dogs and like and even like a uh, Flapjack as well. They had yeah. a shitload of people that went on to do other things. Yeah. Adventure Time as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like and Gravity Falls, yeah, SpongeBob can, even SpongeBob. Yeah, yeah, you can you can see it all over the place. It's like it's like you guys like. You're like, like, do you say the same thing about anime, like, when they have the same face shape in, like, different anime, and you just go, like, oh, yeah, they're all copying this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't say that about anime. Like, Pokemon. Yeah, like, yeah, you don't say that. Yeah, nobody's saying that. Like, what is, what are you doing? Yeah, because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't begin a conversation or anything. It's yeah. just, you just say, you, I, I hate that line because you just say it to make it look like you know more about yeah. animation than you really it's do. It's just the throwing buzzwords around, really. Yeah. Exactly. It's, you, like I said, you're just, you're, just try, you're just trying to ignite some kind of, like, reaction. That's all they're doing. 
Well, thankfully, we do have a term now to describe that entire style of cartooning uh, during that period of Cartoon Network history by people such as uh, Craig McCracken and Tartakovsky and Renzetti, and that is UPA Revival. Coined by Fred Sabert, uh, the legendary producer that is like produced so much stuff, so much, so many cartoons and whatnot through uh, Fred Frederator Studios. It refers to the period of cartoons created by animators that studied the films of United Productions of America, a studio most active during the 50s that was made up of former Disney animators such as John Hubley and Jules Engel. Engel of which who actually taught uh, McCracken and like others at that uh, university. Yeah, like, he really opened Craig and a lot of their those animators like eyes to like this style. They carried on to their works till this very day. Yes, those UPA artists, they were art students of the 30s, raised on the principles and thinkings of the modernist artists at the time. Whereas Disney's style was more akin to watercolor paintings, because, of course, you know, Hubley and Engel worked for Disney, of course. You know, Disney favored a lot more, like, realism and stuff, and, like, you know, even maybe taking inspiration from, like, the older artists, like, some, some of the more realist styles, you know. Yeah, like, you watch Bambi and you see, like, okay, they had to learn how a deer actually walks yeah. to animate this. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, all that stuff of that era, it's like, they, like, the rotoscoping in general, just, like, they just were like, this has to look like a real person, <laughs> like, all, like, a lot of times. Yeah, they were way more into realism. But these UPA artists, they were inspired by the likes of Kandinsky, Picasso, and probably the one artist that I see the most in UPA, Henri, Henri Matisse. Although I also see a bit of Pierre Mondrian as well in, uh, like, Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> Especially with, like, you know, color choices and geometric shapes and stuff. And yeah, that's the kind of stuff you saw in, like, those cartoons, actually. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, that, that whole period of, like, modernism was dominated by, like, uh, like just flat like primary colors it was defined by geometric shapes and using them simply and just non-representational non work like taking taking what you see in the world and deconstructing it down into okay well how does this make me feel like how do i how do i bring in more uh, uh, a more deconstructed view to this subject matter out there it's very much like the marriage of animation with uh traditional modern art yeah, in a way, it actually was. <laughs> you know, just like clean lines, bright colors, flat shapes. Exactly, and you just got like very different cartoons from UPA, whether it was Gerald McBoing Boing or uh, the Mr. Magoo shorts or yeah. the uh, uh, Madeline short in uh, 1952. Yeah, because like no one, because like it was like, oh, we don't have to design humans to look exactly like humans. Yeah. We can actually design them to look like shapes because, and like actually have them move in different ways because that is like. Their, their movements reflect how it feels like when you move, mm. you know. It's, uh, you don't have to have these, like, complex backgrounds that need to look like watercolor paintings. They can just be representational spaces. They don't have to be a mess of colors. They can be solid colors here and there. We can play with line work as well and, like, really show where uh, characters' movements can go. Like, it was, it was a really cool experimental time under UPA. And yeah, you even see some of those elements incorporated into stuff like the Powerpuff Girls as well. Yeah. I mean, the Professor Utonium's entire house is modernist architecture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, is. it is like it is like that school of like Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright yeah. being being imparted into there. He lives in like a very much a a David Cage heavy rain house <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah it does like but you have like character designs where you have like a, a snake like slinking villain like him so it's like they make him slink around and like they actually make give him snake like movements and whatnot they give him long bendy arms or you've got like 
like the sharp edges of Mojo Jojo, you know, using yeah. just simple shapes and colors to convey this like hard, <laughs> like very abrasive character. And even the girls, they're just like circles and ovals. Yeah, you know? just, yeah circles and ovals and like one rectangle. Yeah. Their big eyes were even based on like Margaret Keene's paintings yeah. too. <laughs> they even named a character in the show after after like Keene as well, yeah, Miss Keene. Yeah. <laughs> it's stuff like that. Whenever I look back on like Powerpuff Girls, that just makes me love it even more. And like you know, even Dexter's Lab follows the same principles as well. Oh, yeah, there's like tons of simple shapes, like just in the backgrounds. Dexter's Lab has tons and tons of like just. Just rectangles and big triangles and these long, long like rectangles just going across the entire screens. It's great. Like you just have like like shots of backgrounds where it's just like you get the outline of the object, but the color itself it's not very detailed. It's just like a simple flat color, but yeah. you get the idea of like what it is. Yeah, it, it feels like it's filled with stuff. Like even when there's like only one color, it's and like, sometimes not even colored in the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. UPA revival. I think it's a I think it's a style that really deserves a lot more um, analysis these days and reflection. And just as they studied the artists of their past, did McCracken, Tartakovsky, Renzetti, and others of their time study UPA and incorporated its elements into their designs, characters, and backgrounds. In 1994, they produced the first seeds of what would become his Tartakovsky's first cartoon when they made a short about a lanky and bubbly ballerina girl who tormented her small, blocky scientist brother. <laughs> After gaining some real-world experience animating for Batman, the animated series in Spain, and sadly losing his mother to cancer... He was offered a position as an art director alongside Renzetti by Hanna-Barbera, by way of his friend McCracken and former classmate Paul Rudish, and together they all worked on Two Stupid Dogs, the unlikeliest of breeding grounds for a group of generation-defining animators. Because you wouldn't expect like a cartoon like that to have like a bunch of like future famous animators working on it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> While on the job, Gendy would be offered to create a pilot for producers Fred Sabert's What a Cartoon Shorts Showcase under Hanna-Barbera, and chose to revive his old college short for the program, and it was through it that he officially became an official cartoon creator as his first major work, Dexter's Laboratory, was born. And I liked Dexter's Laboratory a lot when I was growing up. <laughs> I did too. Like, it was just a lot of fun just seeing, like, you know, boy genius coming up with, like, all these different inventions and just, like, going on these, like, wild and crazy adventures every single week. And it felt like a proper bridge between, like, the old uh, Hanna-Barbera, like, cartoons as well. Like, this is the next level that we should go to. Yeah, it really did. It really did feel like it was, like, the, the next door for that because, like, because like, it, it used to be just nothing but the old stuff. Like, they'd have, like, uh, Flintstones and Jetsons on there. And then then Dexter's Lab comes along and it, like, it, it looks like it could have belonged in the same era but it was, like, different. Like, it was, like, there's something to the animation. And it was I doing so much more, like, yeah. much more complex, like, character movements and yeah. playing around with, like, how they interact in their environment. Yeah. You also saw Gendy pioneering um, his experiments with, like, long-form, silent uh, cinematography as well. I mean, there's a whole episode of Dexter's Lab that's just nothing but silence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where Dexter is just trying to replace a light bulb oh in his gosh. giant lab. I do remember that episode. And the whole episode is just him silently going to the store with his mom, getting a new light bulb. Yeah. And then he goes back to his giant, like, underground lab, screws it in, and then you have the... And then he, he comes back down next to, De next to his sister, Dee Dee, and then you've got the punchline of the episode where Dee's like, you know they'll all burn out eventually. And then his smile drops and he's like, I know. <laughs> little blackout joke. Yes. A TV series about a young boy, a young asshole boy genius and his annoying and his obnoxious sister in like his giant uh, secret laboratory. It was 
something else. And also not just that, because uh, it also kind of harkened back to a lot of the, uh, you know, Hanna-Barbera-style cartoons where, like, it wasn't just a single adventure with, like, these characters. You'd have, like, a story with, like, say, there's a Space Ghost episode, but next to it is, like, a Dinosaur Kid or whatever. Like, where with uh, Dexter's Lab, you have a Dial-M for Monkey about his... Mm. About, like, his experimental monkey that goes on adventures being a superhero, or... The Super Pals. Yeah, uh, Justice, Justice, Justice Friends. Friends. Justice, yes. the Justice Friends. Yes. Yeah, with, like, three, like, Marvel-esque superheroes just yeah. living in a sitcom situation, living in an apartment downtown, and just, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting into shenanigans, you know, fighting bees in their apartment, or going into their friend's room. Yeah, Gendy and his whole crew at that time really could do just a lot of cool, weird stuff with that premise at the time. Yeah, that, that was a really good one. I, I remember this... Dexter even hung out with Blue Falcon in Dynamite. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, there was an episode with that, wasn't there? Yeah, he was. I forgot about that. He was, oh, voiced, by the, he was voiced by the actual, like, the, the actual Space Ghost. Yep. Original Space Ghost. Oh my Ghost. gosh. <laughs> uh, don't be blue, I'm sure you'll do great next season. <laughs> uh, loved that so much. After working for two seasons on Dexter's Lab, he took a hiatus, Gendy took a hiatus in 1998, where he helped write and direct for the Powerpuff Girls, uh, did a lot of really good work for the, for McCracken as well, among all of his friends and stuff. And would eventually finish his work with Dexter's Lab with Ego Trip in 1999. The big grand finale to Dexter's Lab, which I gotta say is actually a pretty good finale for that whole property. It's a classic yeah. Dexter's Laboratory episode, like TV movie. Like, I remember that being a huge event when that first premiered. Yeah. Like, that, that entire, the whole entire plot of that, just having Dexter go off against his mortal foe, Mandark. Yeah. And it, the whole film is smartly just their two egos rubbing up against each other until you get to a grand finale where Dee Dee completely turns <laughs> them both completely on their heads. Yeah. <laughs> and becomes, like, the true savior by the end. Like, it's just, it perfectly encapsulates Dexter's Lab, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and it was also uh, his, fu- it was also Cartoon Network Studios' Uh, Last Hurrah with um, Hanna-Barbera as well, or at least his, you know. But uh, out of it, new career. But out of that series, new careers were made. As previous, as previously said, the Powerpuff Girls was conceived by Craig McCracken afterward, and plenty of others, such as Robert Robert Alvarez, John McIntyre, and Don Shank, would go on to have some spectacular careers themselves. Robert and Zeddy would make my life as a teenage robot. A show that deserves uh, a lot more praise these days. Yes. Especially since uh, that was his only cartoon he got made. And, like, he's been in the industry all these years and he still hasn't had another cartoon made. No, like, huh. for the most part, he kind of just, like, works on staff with, like, other people's cartoons like My Little Pony or Gravity Falls. Exactly. But even that's another series where, like, that has, like, really good, interesting, like, uh, like rubber hose animation characters up against, like, modernist, like, designs as well. Yeah, that, like, that, my love is a teenage robot really, like, I think... Just like with Samurai Jack, I think that does need like a some kind of comeback. <laughs> like that, it does. Like, I, that one should come back for sure. And I suppose on the flip side, some more regrettable careers came out of like that whole period as well, <laughs> such as uh, the careers of Seth MacFarlane, Ew. Butch Hartman, Ew. and Sex Pest Chris Savino. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it was Savino that helmed the the revival of Dexter's Lab that uh, continued after Gandhi left. Those like last couple seasons where everything just felt off. Yeah, yeah. where they changed all the character designs in Dexter and like and Dexter wasn't even played by uh, Christine Cavanaugh anymore. No, she no, and the and the animation became a lot like more. Um, 
it became a lot more just like like regular and just um yeah there was what's there, the word i'm looking for it became like it, static yeah static. there was a little bit more stiltedness to it it was just like a little bit like it it went from being like way more like fluid even though they had those boxy shapes to being like way more like you are a box <laughs> like this is just like you you're, the fluidity kind of like went away a little bit yeah they didn't and, experiment as much anymore yeah, it was just like, it just became a di- i think it kind of did become a day job it for those felt animators. very it, it also felt very flat like my case in point were like you know how a lot of dexter episodes start off with an establishing shot of the house and in the you know the early gendy seasons you know it's always shot at like at an angle with the house like you know kind of on a little bit of a slope but with like the uh Savino era, it's just very just flat head on shot of the house. I'm just like, no. yeah, yeah. It lost that cinematic touch from uh, that Gendy contributed yeah, to the series. Yeah, and you mentioned it because I haven't looked at it in a long time. But yeah, the angles just got really flat. Like they just because like there was no more perspective. Like things would have more vanishing points. And then they just, mm-hmm. just took them out. <laughs> yeah, they just didn't get as creative with it or anything. They just played it completely safe going forward with the premise of Dexter. There, yeah, the only really possibly good good quote-unquote good thing to come out of it is the fact that people turned the line saturdays are made for dads and dad's car into a meme <laughs> that <laughs> like someone, one twitter account one twitter account posting that, that every saturday <laughs> and sometimes even fucking around with it where like dad is inside the house and it's just muffled i think that era had that one weird episode with the what like his dad i don't remember what his dad was doing but it was like a point where like the, he was like having a fight with some other dad oh he was mandark's dad yeah, yeah they introduced mandark's parents during that's during that whole his uh, era. hippie parents his yeah. hippie parents and like he gets into a fight with his with mandark's dad and mandark's dad throws ducks at him yeah or something like did that. you throw a duck at me yeah, I, I just remember that like really well <laughs> i know and they're like fucking flanders parents or something yeah like, they're just like they're just hippies. Try nothing, man. We're all out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That not not a great period for Dexter's Lab. Should have just ended after Ego Trip. Yeah, yeah for real. <laughs> but at around the year 2000, Gandhi had dinner with then president of Adult Swim, Mike Lazo, and he pitched an idea for what he wanted to do next: a highly stylized show about a samurai in the future. Pitched as a series in the style of Kung Fu, the old David Carradine show, he sold each episode as being mostly dialogueless with about 15 minutes of action. Lazo saw the potential and greenlit it. Taking inspiration from scenic epics such as Ben-Hur and Lawrence of Arabia, cinematic and atmospheric works like Lone Wolf and Cub and Akira Kurosawa's films, and gory action comics like the works of Frank Miller, Gendy and a passionate crew of animators crafted what would become one of the greatest and most defining works in the history of Cartoon Network and televised animation in general, Samurai Jack. What is evil? Is it an abstract beast? Never troubled by design or limits? Or a carnivorous void? Defined by darkness? Feasting upon the absence of virtue. If evil is a face behind a thousand masks, who will know its eyes and take away its sight before it can fix its gaze again?
Samurai Jack, only on Cartoon Network. And it's here we need to answer the question, uh, first and foremost, what made Samurai Jack so good to begin with that they revived it years later for a fifth season? I would have to say just the, uh, the overall story of the series, like following this lone samurai through his adventures in the future, like, because there's so much you can do with that, especially with the future they set up where you can find just about any weird creature or glee plop or whatever, and you can, like, give them their own story for, like, a 30-minute episode. Yes, because I suppose we should explain the premise here. The premise of Samurai Jack was that was that a prince in uh, ancient Japan, Imperial Japan, gets sent on a journey to train against, to defeat a giant demon, like, tall demon named Aku. Shape-shifting master of evil. Shape-shifting yeah. master of evil, who has, ta- who has uh, revived himself after a battle years ago with Jack's, with, uh, Jack's father. And Jack trains around the world after Aku returns, and destroys everything, and he claims his father's magic sword, the only thing that can destroy Aku, and goes off to kill him. And Aku and Jack is almost successful, too. He very nearly kills the shape-shifting demon, until Aku pulls one last trick and opens a time portal and throws Jack into the future. Where his evil is lost. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Jack finds himself in a strange land. He finds himself in Earth, now completely changed by Aku and his influence. With aliens having come down, with technology being newer, with giant flying cars everywhere, and metal metropolises, the environment being destroyed by the demon lord. Jack is in a brand new land, but uh, he quickly adapts and realizes that a lot of people in the world are still suffering under Aku. And so, after proving himself against Aku and showing that he can hold himself in this future, he embarks on a journey to find a way to go back to the past and destroy Aku before any of this could have ever occurred. And yeah, that's it makes for like one hell of a serial for a it makes for one for one hell of a series with like good simple episodes that like can go on forever. Yep, it's the premise is like perfect to like have this like almost like Saturday morning cartoon-esque like villain of the week type of thing, but like it's so different in that like there's the overarching villain like, can we just talk about how, like, great Aku is? Aku like, is such like, a great a- cartoon villain. Aku yes. is the perfect bounce off of, like, Jack's, like, very, like, like subdued demeanor. That, like, the ultimate evil is, like, a perfect... He's, like, the perfect blend of, like, a Skeletor and then, like, a, like, Megatron, right? Because, like, Megatron yes. you can take seriously, mm-hmm. right? You can't take Skeletor seriously. No matter how many things he does, you just let the voice, everything about him can't. But, like... He's like, I'm having fun being evil. I love doing the funny, awful thing to someone. And I also am a real threat because I can, like, just wipe out anything that exists. Yes, the sword like, is the only thing that can kill him. So, yeah, he, he has, like, total dominance over the entire world. And he's just got, like, this, like, grand, like, scenery-chewing, booming voice that, like, towers above everyone and commands respect. But, like, he can also, like, switch on a dime to comedy because he's also a funny villain too yeah like like i think one of my favorite episodes with aku ever which i watched before we did this podcast i had to was the one where aku is very mad that kids are like loving samurai jack doing what he's doing in the future and he decides to tell his own tales and fables about how bad the samurai is and how cool he is and they are just the worst written terrible stories and they always end in the dumbest ways possible. And I think my favorite is like the, uh, it was like the uh, Little Red Riding Hood, 
Like, he, t- he takes that and makes himself Lord Riding Hood, and it's just, like, the best thing ever. Like, like Mako, uh, it, like, like, rest in peace, he just did a fantastic job as Aku. Yes. And just, like... Makoto Iwamatsu, otherwise known as Mako, was the one who brought Aku to life, and he was absolutely perfect for the role of Aku. The way he just played him up completely as this, like, over-the-top villain. <laughs> well, it's, like, perfect, because, like, as a as an actor, like, he he was, uh, he did the intro to um, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yep, and, and he was also a character in the film. Yeah, too. he was a character in the film, and, like, that voice is just perfect. Like, it's, it, that's Aku. Like, that's, like, he starts up with, like, that type of intro, just like Conan the Barbarian, which, like, I don't get, like, Gendy, like, we already read the history, but, like, he had to have, like, 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 like taking inspiration from that. Or you, you are correct. He was like, inspired yes. by the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Conan the Barbarian film. Yeah, because like that intro is just like so reminiscent of that, and the future they get flung into is its own thing. But it feels like that kind of like barbarian movie, and it's like this is cool. Is that like I just love right a wandering warrior going across the land and yeah. like solving troubles and like fighting people. Yeah, like it absolutely took inspiration from that. Yeah, I, I just, like, like, Aku just, like, I, I don't think any villain in anything I've ever seen my entire life has been as perfect as Aku because, like, like, there's an episode, because, like, you know, we're, we're going to kind of get through this, but, like, there's an episode with a villain called Demongo, and <laughs> I, I need to bring this up because I saw that episode again, and this is a creature that, like, steals the powers of other, like, other warriors. He, like, basically steals their energy. and Daimongo, the and soul he, stealer. And he, can, and he can recreate your body, and you're a slave, basically. And he is one of Aku's top guys. And he, he gets defeated, basically. And my favorite moment for Aku, one of my favorite ones, is when he's defeated, any other villain in any other show would be like, I will make this guy better, I will do something, I will make you make up for what you've done, like Shredder. Like Shredder from Ninja Turtles. Like, he'll... He, he Demongo begs for his life, and he said he just and he says like, "Please give me another chance, master." And he just stands there for a per- this perfect Gendy moment where he gives that that pause, like, "What is he gonna do?" And then he just crushes him. He just kills him. He's like, "No," he just says, "No." <laughs> That's the end of the episode. <laughs> that's the end of the episode. He just says, "No." Yes, I'm not gonna. And and that's that cruelty, that like disgusting behavior from your villain. Also being the same guy who orders a pizza extra and, like, thick. extra <laughs> thick and puts himself into little red riding hoods like shoes and like does all these wacky things and is like holding a time portal and he's trying to jump to it <laughs> and he's like all those little things. It's just like he's perfect. Like he's just a perfect villain. Yeah, like, like, not to be technical, but he was ordering a henchman in that phone call. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's fine. That is like one of the funniest scenes of all time with Aku where he just gets he pulls out a rotary He's in his giant flaming looking lair <laughs> and he pulls the rotary phone out of nowhere and puts it to his ear and he dials the number off screen. <laughs> like like I just... And then he like and then as it's dialing, he laughs out of nowhere ah, like ah. <laughs> <laughs> Like Yes, I hold. <laughs> like just the fact, that like this... he thought of a funny joke or something. Yeah, the, the fact that this dude like has one hundred percent control over the universe and like can do anything he wants and has won, and he's like literally yucking it up 
it makes every the tension of his like actual threat makes every joke a thousand percent funnier. Yes, Mako's like, delivery as Aku is perfect. It's methodical. It's slow. It like seethes with anger and hatred. Yeah, samurai, samurai. Yeah, why won't you die? <laughs> oh yeah, like I feel that kind of uh, archetype for villains. You know, the villains that can be kind of fun and silly one moment, but then remind you that they are menacing and pure evil. Like. Uh, couple of other ones that come to mind like I said is uh one is a uh, Pegasus from Yu-Gi-Oh you know one minute he's very like foppish going oh Yu-Gi boy but then the next minute is just like your Millennium Puzzle will be mine yeah or like uh, even in a uh, pro wrestling MJF Maxwell Jacob Friedman in AEW like one moment he can be like kind of a he can be like a silly coward you know doing musical numbers with, with Chris Jericho but the next minute he can be like leaving CM Punk like drowning in a pool of his own blood at the hands of a dog chain. Yeah, right. It's it's like, and then you have to always remember like Aku's like, the world is Aku's. Like the universe is his. Like like everything. Like it. Like okay. So like episode of Samurai Jack. Like I kind of like had a breakdown. It's like you get this like long, long like sit with the idea of Samurai Jack. Like you just sit there and you think they make you think about the environment by making you look at it. They make you think about all these different things and how Aku is everywhere. Even though he's not speaking, he's not in the room, he's not doing anything yet. He's, no of his minions are in the room, but everything, his presence is there. Like it's like a god. It's like so fucking it's so good. In the same in the same beat, you have Aku deciding, I bet I could beat you if I like become a normal person and fight you <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like and he puts on like this like really silly looking outfit and starts trying to play the samurai in it and it's like wow like, that's so good or like the episode where uh, he and jack have a fight in the graveyard after jack fights some zombies that's another big favorite of mine and too. like aku shrinks down to the size of jack grows legs and then manages to get it, get a hold of the magic sword and then chases jack all around the graveyard trying to kill him yeah. And I mean, it, it turns out he can't even kill Jack in the end because the, the, the sword does not kill pure good. Nope, only evil. Yep. <laughs> yep. But, uh, of course, like, in, in opposition to Aku is, of course, the great protagonist of Jack, the titular character, who's also great, even though he doesn't say much in a lot of the series. Yeah. <laughs> He's a mostly silent, wandering uh, samurai protagonist, but you still, you still perfectly like, understand Jack, though, like, in all of his actions. Whenever he meets a new group and, like, has to defend them, even though his words, at the end of the day, will only just be like, yes, I will. I will find it. Do not worry. I will save you. His heroism still comes through a lot. And played well by uh, Phil Amar. And Phil Amar is, like, does does a really great performance as Jack as well, always taking his time with his words, like, not really raising his voice until, like, the situation becomes very dire or anything. Like, and even in the dialogue of the series, only it only really gives you just enough to understand the plot of what needs to go on. Otherwise, the series, it's mostly just Jack silently walking across the landscape or trying to traverse an obstacle. And, um, you know, it, it, the, the visuals allow, them, allow the whole show to speak for itself. Like, in the uh, three-part premiere, like, I don't think it's not until, like, the second episode that... Jack actually speaks for the mm. first time. Like, you go throughout that that introduction to the three-part film without any dialogue from, from our main character. I mean, well, he, he confronts Aku at the end of episode one, at least. But, oh, like... Yeah. yeah, he doesn't have, like, a lot of spoken words. Like, it, But it's still, like, very... It, it, it's, it's still a long stretch, like, you have, like, where, like, Gendy perfectly uses montage to portray his... Train his period. Yeah, it's of not training. really until like he reunites with his father, the at the time former emperor of uh, Japan, that right. he actually starts. We actually finally hear him talk. 
but it also allows for the environments to breathe more, for you to take in like the sound design of the series, which was also perfectly well done by uh, James L. Venable. Venable. I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering your name. <laughs> who also knew how to deliver good, like ambient music to the world, and uh, knew how to bring uh, the backgrounds to life. I mean, Scott Wills, like he was like one of the chief background designers for that series. Gandhi always said that he fell in love with his backgrounds. Like, they're, they're good backgrounds. Like, I, absolutely incredible like, backgrounds like, in the I, series. They like, give you a sense of the scale of the world around you. Oh yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Like, like just like because, like I said before, like like that letting Jack not talk, letting your protagonist not talk, gives you a chance to like sit with those ideas. Was like, like I said before, like that's what makes Aku so great. Is that like you can like sit with the idea of Aku and what Jack is doing while he's just walking up a hill. He's like kicking a rock he's like trying to get across a river he's like just doing normal stuff and then the thing happens it kicks off all the all the action and then it kicks into gear and then like and then jack is unleashing like the legitimately great action choreography in the series that uses like different camera shots to like close in on things and that are happening like the scene the aspect ratios that change constantly to like really frame the action and the split screen which uh, by the way was inspired by the 70s longest yard film. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> that's where, no, that's where all that's right. like all the split screen in Samurai Jack that was inspired by the longest yard, not the Adam Sandler longest yard, like the old classic yeah. longest mm-hmm. yard. No, I know what you're talking about because you know, I uh, I went to film school and that's like yeah, that's that movie changed a lot of editing just in general. Like that was used all over the place, all kinds of movies. People don't realize it's like a, it's like a football movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a football movie about cons fighting uh, guards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But no, but then you also have, like, uh, simple colors, too. You've got, like, a lack of uh, outlines on the characters, too, that allow them to really pop out on, like, their environments as well. That gives a lot more freedom to, like, their movement and whatnot. Like, there's everything from, like, an artistic standpoint for the show was just, like, a perfect storm of animation perfection. (laughs) And I also feel even something as simple as... uh... Uh, sound design, you know, like the ambient sounds of, like, uh, all the environments Jack walks through, or even something as simple where, like, you know, you have a scene where Jack is not speaking and, like, he's kind of conveying the story through, like, facial expressions and emotions, and then the only sounds you hear are, like, these little, like, you know, the kind (laughs) of, the sound effects that you hear a lot in uh, a lot of Gendy and Craig shows. An episode like uh, Jack and the Blind Archers, like given that mm. given that the enemies in that episode rely so heavily on sound to see what they are shooting at, it makes for like it makes for like an action scene that like perfectly encapsulates what makes Samurai Jack great. That it takes the time to bring these scenes to life. That it gives you an incredible sense of the place that Jack is in, the aesthetic around him, whether it's a snowy environment or like a fall, uh, an, an autumn forest or something, or even the desert. Like it's just absolute perfection. Yeah. But it's which is not to say that like the series did not flourish in like its loud moments too, because there were characters that Jack interacted with as well. <laughs> like whether it's uh whether it's talking dogs who were uh who were talking dog archaeologists who were excavating the remains of Townsville yeah. <laughs> from the Powerpuff yeah. Girls. Yeah, it's like you see the billboard like of like the talking dog that says "eat food" or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like the, there's mouths there too. The store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was, I, I always love that. I remember there was like a, a big like theory thing forever. It was like, is it the same universe? Like, it doesn't matter, but it could be. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> or even like, um, yeah, of course, like the blind archers, or even um, uh, the Triscarians, the fish people, you know, or yeah. even uh, the the tribe of monkey people that was led by that I, uh, wild man. 
Oh yeah, yeah. The the, the whole episode with the jumping. That's the where Jack gets learned gets taught how to jump good. Yeah, yeah, jump good is great. I love that episode. There, uh, like it's really the environments. There's one episode that like stood out to me. That was the it was the one where he falls into like a um, Alice in Wonderland type of area. Yes, naked Jack. Uh, and, and there's just like everything's these weird mushroom like neon designs i i just liked that episode a lot like i i didn't couldn't tell if i liked it or not and i was like no i kind of like this episode like i like the whole like aesthetic of just like all it even had like things. a sort of like gypsy jazz kind of like a like almost muzak music style too which i'm sure uh Venable, uh, carried over into foster's home for imaginary friends eventually yeah it does look like foster's actually a lot of the stuff in that episode does look like that and i saw i just love the the, I, the idea that like that angry crowd was like a whole character <laughs> like that angry crowd was a whole character in that like they, yeah. they were, there was one character and it was incredible like just like that animation cycle they kept using of like the the woman in the front running with the nose jiggling and everybody running like it's just so rhythmic i just i i, like, I don't know what it is about that episode it feels almost like a buster keaton film yeah you know, it does. like the entire episode could have been silent and you would have understood it yeah <laughs> i would probably have to say my favorite like episode that's just pure aesthetic is a. Uh... Episode forty, Jack versus the Ninja, where it's just like oh, white that's and one of black my favorites. Oh, that's a really good episode where they both blend into like each of the backgrounds, and Jack has to like fight uh, the Ninja before like the sun goes down. Otherwise, he'll lose light and he'll be seen by the Ninja. Yeah. You learned how to hide in the dark. I learned how to hide in the light. If you can only watch any one episode of Samurai Jack, I would maybe recommend like Jack ver- like Samurai versus Ninja. Yeah, or even like Jack, or even Jack uh, Jack in the Graveyard or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the episode where he like uh, he breaks a sandal. Oh yeah, he <laughs> I has think, to get new shoes. I think I think that's a pretty good episode for people to watch. It's because like because like there's it gives you it gives you all the type of things you see in the world of of Samurai Jack are in that episode, and then it ends with like the core of Jack's character at the end. He meets this family who actually kept up on the traditions, and like they he actually feels home. His goal is to go home. And he actually feels a piece of that for once in his entire journey. And that was a great episode. Like, I remember that episode of the thinking, like, only the, the bouncy shoes. That's the only part I remember is when he puts the bouncy shoes on and he's going too fast. And then I forgot about all the other shoes. And I'm like, I didn't realize he had robot legs and all this other stuff. That was super great gags. And then at the end, I didn't realize that, that that's who he is. Like, I was like, that's, this is, a, this episode was, like, at its core, like, most of the pieces of, uh, of Samurai Jack. The only thing that wasn't in that episode was Aku. He just wasn't physically in it. Right. But as a Jack episode, only Jack, that's, like, one of the ones I would just show people to be like, hey, this is what the show is pretty much about. Like, th- th- here's the wacky robots. Here's, like, the-, the problem, like, happening to the people of the town. And here's that very simple, like, spark that brings it all together. Yeah, the way the series, like, blended action and comedy together. Yeah. Like, Gandhi, the all these years later, still talks about, like, how he wants to, like, bring action comedy to, like, cartoons still. He still talks about that to this very day. I mean, a great character that's an example of that is the Scotsman. Yes, oh, a fan yeah. favorite here. Voiced by John DiMaggio. He's yeah. this big, like, rude, like, Scotsman, like, like Scotsman Highlander warrior guy with a machine gun for a leg and a big claymore with, like, magic runes on it. And just loud and foul-mouthed and just... He'll, he will... He will bury you with his words. If yeah. Could. Ooh, yeah. that's big... That's big talk coming from a man wearing a basket on his head. <laughs> <laughs> Oh you call God. that a sword? <laughs> this is a sword. I love the and shot. And it's bigger than yours. I love the shot where he takes a sword out, because I think that's the first time I ever saw in a cartoon that whole gag where you pull the sword out and it just doesn't stop. 
Because because it goes for a while like yeah. before it comes out of the sheath. It's a bit like the uh, the moment in Gurren Lagann where uh, Kami yep. first meets yep. Feral and he pulls out yep. his katana Year, and he just keeps years, going. Years later, that gag was done by Anime Studios and also other other things have done that. That's the first time I've seen that gag. Like I don't think I don't know if there was other things that had done that before, but that's the only one I can remember. And the Scotsman is just a fantastic character because like. Because the Scotsman, if you like go down like down to it, it's like he is exactly like he's Samurai Jack, but not a fish out of water. No, he's exactly where he's supposed to be, and he he because of that he is loudmouth. He is like everything that Jack isn't, and and still has a common goal and like and like as a heart of gold at the end. And it's like if we didn't get Samurai Jack, we probably have gotten like Scotsman. Yes, <laughs> like, probably would. Like, and that's like fantastic. Just a loud, brash, complete antithesis to Jack in every way. I, a big, lovable teddy bear who also loves his wife so much. Yeah, he's I a total would, wife guy too. I would have loved to have seen more of Aku and the Scotsman interacting. Yeah, they never had an interaction in the original series. They, nah. didn't, they didn't talk or anything, and I was like, I just would have loved to hear that conversation of just like him berating Aku. But it's like he would have died. Like, like, <laughs> like he would have like been gone. Yeah, There's he no would have gotten the shot of like Aku just like staring straight into the into the audience with like you know his eyes kind of half closed. Like oh, I'm dealing with this guy. This <laughs> is like, like what's that? What did you call me? Yeah, I feel like we've perfectly encapsulated everything that made Samurai Jack just perfect. <laughs> but after 52 episodes and uh, four seasons, the series just kind of ended. Why did it end so abruptly? Gendy said the studio was going through changes at the time, and no one was quite certain how the show would end, really. I mean, when you look at the premise of the whole series, you could have kept it going on indefinitely, really. Like, would there be any time to think of an ending at that time? And also, it's the kind of show that's kind of perfect for syndication, where, like, you can just watch any episode in any order, because everything's just so self-contained. Mm-hmm. Yes. Scott Wills, though, did give somewhat of an answer in that Clone Wars was overlapping, overlapping with Samurai Jack, and that with the end of the series, like, it just creeped up on everyone while they were distracted. Because they were, like, working on those at the same time. Mm. So that might be at least one explanation. But, I mean, yeah, <laughs> Samurai Jack was good enough to where they actually got to, like, work with Star Wars and actually make, like, a Star Wars series. You know, these, like, 11-minute shorts, which then spun off into, like, actually full, full-length episodes to tie in, the mo- tie in uh, Attack of the Clones with Revenge of the Sith. And that was and that was great as well. Like for like shorts, they were just fantastic. I mean, Gendy worked absolutely fine within the Star Wars format. Yeah, it's still very much a Jack influence. Like uh, especially uh, one episode where uh, Mace Windu fights in a clone army just using the Force. Like, oh my gosh, that, that feels was very just, much like Samurai Jack. That like that Clone Wars cartoon is so good. Like like I I don't know everybody's opinion of Star Wars, but like I think that like you can just. You can just watch that and then start watching the regular ones. Just don't watch any of the other. <laughs> just, just, just watch that cartoon, go to the third movie, and then that's all you need from the prequels. Like, well, I mean, Dave Filoni worked and then on stop like, at Last Jedi. Yeah. I mean, Dave Filoni did work for, like, Samurai Jack and stuff, so, like, it, w- it made sense that he would helm, like, the Clone Wars series. And as we would find out in years after, he does actually know the star. He does know Star Wars extremely well. Watch out! Hey everyone, Ryan here with one of two factual corrections I'm editing in here. I made an error here when I said that Dave Filoni worked on Samurai Jack. He did not. He actually did animation work before on King of the Hill and Avatar The Last Airbender. I must have mixed this up with uh, his past animation experience. 
Anyway, back to the show. So, yeah. yeah, like, I feel in recent years I've learned to actually really love the uh, the CGI Clone Wars series. I have also yeah. learned to like it quite a bit. It does some things better than certainly many other people that have tried to do Star yeah. Wars. <laughs> it's And it's like, I think, like, in that, like, now we're getting out a little bit off topic, but, like, the... Uh, like, General Grievous in that is, like, the highlight because, like, he was nothing in the movie. Like, he didn't do anything. And then, like, in this cartoon... He looks he, cool! He looks cool, he sounds cool, and he does a bunch of cool stuff. He kicks ass! And his debut is, like, one of the most menacing cartoon debuts ever where, like, all the Jedi are in this, like, destroyed warehouse... And then just like you hear these noises, everyone's freaking out. You know, you have you want you have this one Padawan who's just like this really nervous. You know, dude who looks like Shaggy. And then like at one point he just like runs into the heat of battle and then just immediately gets killed by Grievous. And we see him just like <laughs> rising above. You know, fighting Kiati Mundi and like the other Jedi. Yeah, it was super cool. I I was I, I rewatched that recently after it finally got put on. I think it was on Disney. I think it got put on. Uh, yep, Disney Plus. Yeah, and and like I I was like okay. I, this is as good as I remembered it because I, I remember seeing it one time and not even the whole thing because like I missed some of it because I was like at school or something. There was something that was going on that I couldn't have watched it, and then I was like, "Wow, this is like incredible! Like, how was this a part of the prequel?" <laughs> like, like I wish that this just was the style. I wish they just stopped making a movie and just went cartoons now. Like, mm-hmm. like understandable. Yeah, Gendy really worked well with Star Wars. But uh, after Jack ended, though, he was ready to move on to other projects. So, of course, he did the Clone Wars shorts. Uh, he worked on some pilots like Aaron Springer's Korgoth of Barbaria. Which is great. Oh, which, yeah. is, which is actually great. I'm, it's like the most Aaron Springer work that he has ever created. <laughs> it's a shame that episodes would be too expensive to produce, which is why I didn't get picked up for a full series. Yeah, it would have been too expensive. Uh, Gandhi also produced a pilot called Marooned in 2008. That one's kind of gone, gone forgotten. Not one of my favorite works of his. Like, it's, it has its funny moments, but I could not see it as a series. Yeah. In 2010, he returned triumphantly with a new, sadly unfinished work, Symbionic Titan. Yes, I love this series. Inspired by his love of giant fighting robot anime. <laughs> <laughs> While also having like the writing quality of like a John Hughes uh, teen movie, it was a series about, a, uh, about two humanoid aliens who came to Earth in their mechs along with their uh, sentient robot and tried to integrate themselves into uh, human society, chiefly high school, all the while being hunted by the evil General Medulla, who took over their home planet and sent monsters out after to kill them. And it was baller! <laughs> it was cool! <laughs> like, that is a that was a fucking shame it never continued. I loved Symbionic Titan. And I just love, like, how... Like, not only are they just fighting aliens, but also, like, the fact that they fight basically the U.S. military led by just this hard-ass general who even brings out his own mech called the Hammer. Like, it's it's insane, but also, like, combining with, like, those John Hughes-esque, like, teen movies, you know? It's like it's like Breakfast Club crossed with Voltron. Yeah, the teen drama in that is, like, really good. The, the central characters are fantastic and really, like, play well off of each other. I mean, <laughs> that series... It really, it like really deserved better. Like incredible, like mech fight scenes. Like some of the most creative monster of the week story writing I've ever seen in a cartoon. Like really, like honestly, puts some anime to shame. Wow. <laughs> and also the first Cartoon Network show to show actual twerking on screen. Oh my god! <laughs> Shake it, bake it, booty quick it, roll it around. <laughs> I remember it. 
I remember that like as a meme. I remember like people were just like that was just like trending super hard, and I was like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" And I, I'd never seen Symbiotic Titan, and I saw that. That's the first thing I saw of that. <laughs> and I because I, I didn't have cable at the time it was airing, and I didn't, I didn't like know what it was at all. And I was like, oh, "Okay." And like very adult too, like like arguably like one of his most adult series that is like totally for kids. Yeah, because <laughs> you've got like scenes of characters getting like tortured in that series. You've got like very like like shapely characters like acting in sexual <laughs> manners. Like, <laughs> I mean, like I mean, yeah, those those that those teens in that series, like they were. I'll, I'll say they were the, the teens in that series were a lot hornier than like I would give credit to other like like animated series. That those are high school kids. That's how they act. Right, right. Like they actually acted like like I felt that they actually acted like real high school kids in that series, especially with like, like fantastic the interpersonal dramas with like relationships. Yeah, stuff. and really good relationship drama between each other as well. Like even a good relationship between a, a teenage you know queen bee of the school and the robot. <laughs> That's great. It was just this like white shirt like. Khakis pants nerd, you know. Oh, is he the guy that looks like uh, like a square Peter Griffin? Yes, yeah. he is. Okay, <laughs> you know he's the one who saw the twerking and went, "No." Oh, okay. Ah, right. uh, it was just perfect. Yeah. Octus, my boy. Ah, uh, perfect. But um, no, it was a show that was no less ambitious than his previous works, and it could have been a big and influential classic. It had all the ingredients, but tragically was canceled after twenty episodes. Due to supposedly not being marketable to children. Which baffles me. That baffles me. How do you look at a series like that and like think, oh, we can't make toys out of this? They literally had a fight scene where like the symbiotic titan summons uh, a chain a chain and sickle, a comma, for no other reason than just because it's cool and because they could, and it looks great in combat. You can't make a toy out of that. No, they made like like I hate when that I hate that I always hate that excuse they can't make toys out of stuff because it's like i do you know how many toys of ninja turtles and batman characters that never got on screen ever yes mutagen man was never on screen and they had a toy for mutagen man and then they had to later in the in the 2012 one they had to put create an actual mutagen man yeah they did and it's like and then he got a toy so it's like it's like yo transformers had toys before that like you can't use that as an excuse. Like you could you could have taken anything from that show because it sounds like like if they had a giant robot, like give him a giant robot plane, get make give him let him transform into a character, make make a toy where like those Power Rangers ones where the heads spin around and the helmet comes off. Like you can do so much stuff, and it is I don't think they were trying. <laughs> an explanation like that also just doesn't make any sense to me, and makes me think that it was just an excuse or something. Like yeah. I could have believed any other excuse other than that, whether it be like the show is too expensive, yeah. or we don't like how adult it looks or anything. Yeah. Like we don't like how adult it is. We can't sell this to kids or something. I would believe any of that, which makes me think that like the toy explanation was, in my personal opinion, bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's just like they they gave you that one just so that you'd have one. I mean, there's like a many other reasons they just don't want to say them, but but yeah, like you can make a toy out of anything. Dude. You can. <laughs> like, like, like here's a toy line for you: you have singular figures of like Lance, Alana, and Octus, and each one of them have comes with pieces of Titan. Buy them all, and then you can form you can form Titan. We just I, gave yeah. the idea right there. Yeah, it's also like a playset that's like the school or something, or, or like come on, like they're not even thinking that hard, like. Why was it that Spider-Man had so many cars? <laughs> I just, like, for real, Spider-Man had many cars. And a motorcycle. 
Why? He never. He swings through the city. He never, not in a single episode, used a car. It was to sell <laughs> toys. <laughs> and it's like, how is it you sat down and were like, I need to market this. And it had a giant robot in it. And you didn't think, like, giant robot arm for kids that has, like, a little missile launcher on it. That shoots a little plastic missile, like a Nerf gun. Nothing? You can't think of any of those things? Oh, man. Yeah. Excuses some studio, like, some, like... They, like producers they, will come they up use with. that same excuse for Young Justice to cancel it. Like, like they can't. They said they can't. Yeah, they explicitly. Yeah, like someone behind the scenes. I think it was like Paul Dini who was explicitly told by like some executive, "We do not want this series appealing to girls." Yeah, they didn't want it to appealing to girls, and they said the girls don't buy the toys. I'm like, bull crap. Yeah, <laughs> like, bull crap. I guess jokes on those people now because it's still going to this day, and it's yeah, now like an adult it's, series. Yep, it's HBO great. Max, baby. Yeah, yeah it's like yo, like. You can make a toy out of anything. <laughs> and back again with another postscript. Paul Dini did not actually work on Young Justice. Uh, he's worked on nearly every other single DC Comics work, but not that one. I think I confused it with Tower Prep, which he created and was referring to in the interview alongside Young Justice. Both were airing at the same time and were canceled close to each other. So, yeah, this is the last postscript for the video. Hope you enjoy the rest of our talk. After what could have only been a demoralizing cancellation of a passionately made show, Gendy understandably took a step back from TV, TV animation for quite a time. But this door closing opened a window as he was hired by Sony to direct the 2012 film Hotel Transylvania, a lighthearted monster film inspired comedy that would inspire three whole sequels. And I don't get it. <laughs> Actually, no, I do get it. Like, those... The, those films, though, are not entirely Gendy's idea, though. Let's be quite frank. No, like, I, they gave him the idea, and he just tried to, like, work his magic with it. Yeah, I, I, just, I was watching a video you sent me, uh, Ryan. It was, like, it was explaining that the the first one had, like, three other directors first, and they, like, just could not get it to... They couldn't get the pieces to stick together. And Gendy, like, came in and, like, just kind of went, here's my style, let's do this instead. And then the movie actually happened. Because it was kind of in development hell. Yeah. Like, it just couldn't get made. The most I will say is that those films do look good with Gany's influence. Like, he knows how characters should move. He knows how, like, they should be represented in a scene to, like, convey their shape and, like, their emotions and whatnot. Like, he did a really good job directing those films. But the writing is, like... It's it's it's, it's the, an Adam Sandler comedy. It's an Adam Sandler. It's it's a better Adam Sandler comedy than most he's ever put out. Like, True, it's better than Jack and Jill. Yeah, it's better well, than Jack and Jill. Well, Jack and Jill is like one they're, of the worst comedies. They're ever definitely made. some of like his better films that like hired on his entire entourage to voice act alongside him. Some of the more tolerable Adam Sandler films, but like it's still. Like, very drivelous, like, Hollywood writing. Like, they're they're filled with the tropes you would expect from, like, a Hollywood animated film. Hollywood kids movie written by committee. Fart jokes mm. and, like, cheap and like cheap low-blow humor and stuff. Like and hip-hop, because you got to rap. Hip-hop, dancing, yeah. singing, a lot of what you would predict. Like, <laughs> out of, I've seen, like, the three that Gendy directed. Out of all of them, I'd probably say... The first one is the one I could maybe rewatch around Halloween or something because they do have a good Halloween like monster movie vibe to them. Yeah, the premise itself is actually pretty interesting. Monsters living in a hotel, you know. Yeah, yeah, and then maybe I don't know, maybe like the second one after that, and then the third one. But like, yeah, they they definitely had diminishing returns. Those films, 
And then the fourth one, Gandhi has supposedly only had something to do with the writing, but that was directed by a uh, SpongeBob alumni, Derek Dryman. Okay. And it was not good, I heard. Yeah. 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 Also, it even weirdly that... didn't have Adam Sandler. They got an impersonator to play Adam Sandler. It's non-union equivalent. <laughs> no, they got a they got a YouTuber is, impersonator, is which is worse. Oh my god, a YouTube impersonator. A YouTuber impersonator to play Adam Sandler. I mean, film. like that, great for that guy, like on YouTube, but like what? Like, why wouldn't you just, like, you just record some lines, dude? Like, yeah, know? exactly. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll admit, like, Chandler impression, give me a jab. <laughs> he does a fine, he does a fine enough impression, but, like, he, he, he makes lots of videos about other characters he could supposedly voice. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if only others would just hire him on and recognize his talent. Like, you know, like, and I heard you snickering, Mike. Because, <laughs> you know, voice acting is just imitating famous uh, voices, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got, there's... You know, here's my Homer Simpson impression. Give me a jab. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm Homer Simpson. Give me a jab. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't need talent and actual acting skills. You know, you just need to copy voices that have been yeah. done already. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. It's a, uh, I'll just do a, a 42 Rick and Morty impressions. And then, and then, and then just, like, just, just do, like... Stewie, and then that's it. I'm like, Carl Weezer. Yes. I'm like, wow. That's like scary. Give me a job, please. That's like a good Carl, though. That's like, <laughs> Thank you. Like, that's like really good. But I wouldn't put that as my first foot forward if I was looking for I mean, a job. like, I, I definitely, I get like, you know, as a portfolio, you want to put a, like a bunch of like, you know, a whole bunch of things you can do to show your range. Like, that's cool. But like, I get what you guys are talking about. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like you don't want to just hire a person who can do one voice like that because, like, then what if they have to act really hard? <laughs> like, and yeah. They, yeah, and they're not like they don't know how to work outside of the bounds of what they've heard. Because, like, I I can do a lot of mimicked voices, and like, it's sometimes there's a thing where like you reach the end of your knowledge of that voice, and once you hit that wall, like you have to just imagine how they would say those words. That they, the characters not only never said, but also, like, wouldn't be a thing they would ever say. And that can get really hard. And, like, you can notice people who can mimic voices that when they do that, they sometimes just, like, fall apart. And, like, or they sound a little off. Mm-hmm. And that's usually, like, is a testament to people who can, like, do, like, impressions. Like, impressionists are great. Like, I, I really respect impressionists. But like voice acting is different because it's like also acting. It's a like, fine. It's a fine like, line between building up a portfolio and becoming a content farm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, uh, there was one other film that Gendy was also working on, which was a Popeye movie for Sony as well. Pop Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> Which, um, we only got so much as, like, some test footage. Some incredible-looking test yeah. footage. Oh, where he's, like, fighting, like, a mob of, like, other sailors. Like, it's really cool-looking. Yeah. Yes, it perfectly displays, like, the kind of, um, kinetic, uh, fight animation that, like, Gendy is so perfect at. No, the it, but it sadly got canceled by Sony for, like, no real good reason. I just don't understand well, wasn't, it. Didn't that get canceled at the same time that the whole weird leak thing happened? Possibly. Like, like there yeah. was like a big leak and that's how they lost Spider-Man and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. There's yeah. a bunch of rights that got messed up and like movies that didn't couldn't come out because of that. And I think that was in that pool, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I remember that news and being like, What? Like how can this just 
destroy your chance of making this now. I did also <laughs> notice, like, around then, the time when that news came out, a little bit afterwards, when I saw Hotel Transylvania 2, and the final fight scene in that movie is just a Popeye fight scene. <laughs> it's so obvious they were, like, recycling some of that talent, oh, or maybe yeah. even some animation, into that scene. Oh, yeah. It's really obvious. Yeah. When they're, like, they're all bats, and they're punching other bats, and it, it looks like Popeye. <laughs> Uh, this, phase, this phase of his career took up a lot of his time, as any film production does. Though Gendy did dabble in a comic for Marvel, uh, Cage, a Luke Cage comic, that I had the delight of reading and remember quite enjoying. It was written by him, it was drawn by him, it looked fantastic. Even if like the premise of Luke Cage and other martial arts superheroes getting trapped on an island by a Dr. Seuss like, inspired Fu Manchu character. Oh, my God. It was weird. I didn't really understand that part, but I could sense that he really loved the character of Luke Cage, though. It's yeah. like it's like classic black exploitation like, era, like, 70s yeah. Luke Cage, and he worked okay. really well in that style. Oh, that's cool. And lastly, there was, other film, one, there was one other film project that did not make it off the ground. About eight years ago, it was announced that a film titled Can You Imagine would be an original work by Gendy, produced by Sony. I believe it was going to be a about a couple of parents trying to get their son back to the real world after they escaped into the child's imagination. It didn't get very far. There was at least like some concept art for it, but mm. it's kind of gone relatively forgotten. Uh, kind of reminded me a bit of like uh, the Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Imagination, Destination, Imagination. Oh, okay. The premise kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Uh, so with things that Sony getting dicey for Gendy with canceled projects and not really having. Uh, original ideas welcomed as openly as he thought. Where could he have gone to feel at home again? In 2015, we received the answer. A single teaser dropped in Adult Swim depicting a white silhouetted samurai against the inky black of Aku. It was a moment that I was in disbelief of when I first saw it, confusing it for just a promo for the return of Samurai Jack. But the truth came out not long after. Jack was back. Gandhi had penned a deal with Mike Lazo in 2014 to deliver a 10-episode final season to properly end his unfinished work. <laughs> and supposedly, like, some of the teaser artwork was taken from a cover for the IDW Jack comics at the time as well. Oh. But, like, holy shit, that moment. I never thought that could have occurred. I shit my pants at that I time. I remember when I first saw that and I was like, I'm just like, what? What? <laughs> Well, it's I like, can't believe it! What's, like, unheard of? Like, like up until, like, Samurai Jack got a revival, like, like how, how many other shows like this happened with? Like, like that, like Spider-Man from the 90s, like, just stopped. <laughs> like, yes. like and, then, and then the Spider-Man after that, which people didn't like, but that one just stopped, too. And then there's, like, um, then there's, like, you know, a Symbiotic Titan happened, and then there's, like, um, oh, man, there's, like, tons of shows that just, like, stopped, like, before they even got going. And then, like, to know that, like, Samurai Jack, this thing from way back when I was watching, like, Cartoon Cartoon Fridays, is just going to get back on... T it's coming back? It's going to come back? They're going to finish it? Are you serious? Like, this is unheard of. Like, never. Like, like there are whole seasons of, like, like Transformers and other, other like, serialized franchises that have, like, tons of reboots and stuff that just... The reboot will stop. And then they'll get nothing. <laughs> like, it's like, what? And I also felt like this helped really kick off this run of original Toonami programming that we've been getting ever since the revival. You know, like, in the early days of classic Toonami, the only original show we got was IGPX, which we covered last month. But going on from, like, Samurai Jack Season 5, and then we got, like, more, like, Fooly Coolies and stuff. We got Fena. We got, like, tons of other stuff. Like, I feel like this kind of 
open the floodgates that Toonami can be, like, this breeding ground of, like, new original shows outside of the, like, anime licenses. I think it did help to open the doors for Toonami to realize that if you just give the right people, like, the right amount of money, they will make magic for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of where it fits in the history of Toonami right there. Uh, Slated for the 2016 to 2017 TV TV season, Gendy was granted a small crew and near-complete creative control to bring his final vision to fruition. With the final episode boarded in October 2016, the finale to Jack and Aku's story would air from March 11th to May 20th in 2017, airing exclusively on Adult Swim. And he got back a lot of, like, returning crew members from the original production as well. He got got back Brian Andrews. He got back uh, Scott Wills on Backgrounds. Brian Andrews in particular did uh, co-direct with Gandhi for the series. Gandhi directed every episode, just like the original series. <laughs> they even got back, um, like, Don Shank, the uh, the champion of cameos from Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> Go back to that series. He had a lot of cameos in that. Oh, wow. Like, you can always see, like, a guy in a black shirt and bald head. <laughs> That's Don Shank. <laughs> oh, my God. But he worked, at, he, in the years after, he worked at Pixar. And, he, and he's still working at Pixar to this day. Wow. And he came back for Samurai Jack. Wow. I think Robert Alvarez was also back on there as well. I mean, some of the only notable ones that didn't come back were maybe, like, Amy Keating Rogers for, like, the scripts or something, and uh, James Elvin Abel. Like, they got qu- they got back quite a few people for the series. Yeah. It's it's truly surprising just how much talent they were able to return back. When so many... When, when you look at, like, other revival series and they can't even get back, like, anyone. Like, that P- Powerpuff Girls revival, <laughs> where, like, they did not have one person who worked on the original. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> you, like... You could have maybe gotten Lauren Faust to helm that. Like, she wasn't working on My Little Pony anymore. You got her. You yeah. could have gotten Lauren Faust to do that, and it probably would have been fine. Yeah, they didn't have any... Well, I mean, granted, she probably would have denied, because it's Craig's series. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You could have found anyone from the original, John McKinter or something, to, like, work on that. Yeah, I mean, that that show had, like, just, just dead on arrival. Just, like, so much stuff was wrong, and just, like, they didn't... Yeah, they didn't I, to... I, I won't dwell on that series, yeah. but I will, I will say, like, that... Like, I have very few thing, good things to say about that <laughs> Powerpuff Girls revival. <laughs> now, before we dive into Season 5, I would like to give a very brief history of endings for Samurai Jack, because this was not the first attempt we saw at ending the original work. Aside from the movie that Gendy wanted to originally make that got reworked, the IDW comic series of Samurai Jack did come to its own conclusion. Written by Jim Zub and drawn by various artists, but chiefly former character designer for the original series, Andy Suriano, it depicted the continued adventures of Jack, though none of the stories are considered canon with the TV series. The comic ended on a note that called back to the scene from Jack and the Traveling Beasts, where Jack traveled far and faced off with a member of the Blue Man group to access a time portal, but found himself outmatched against the Morpheus-looking foe. Viewers were given a slight glimpse inside the time portal at the end of the episode that depicted Jack in the future, sporting a grizzled beard, regal attire, and a crown upon his head. Now, seasoned film viewers may know that this is a reference to the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> which also depicted Conan in a beard and kingly garb for a, for a bit of narrative delivery. Zub and Suriano, however, wanted to follow up on that, and for their last issue, imagined a traveling scholar speaking to those that Jack had helped and inspired in the past, trading stories and gathering all together in a war camp. On the eve of battle, King Jack, with the Scotsman as his right hand, walks out and delivers a speech to his rebellion. And just to give credit to a comic series that some people might not have read, and because this comic relied on 
a lot more words than images for this moment. <laughs> I will recite Jack's speech, because I think it's an interesting contrast to what we got in this season. Quote, When I began my quest many years ago, I thought that if I could return to the past, it would make everything right. I was wrong. The past is an ideal we can never recapture. We must always look ahead, learning from what has been, but not letting ourselves be controlled by it. For longer than we can remember, Aku has controlled our destiny, oppressing our families, hurting our friends, warping our lives. Tonight, I believe we can end it. Join me. Join me and fight for the future. And it ends with one final charge again, and with Jack's allies against Aku. Watch out! <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's not too bad, actually, bad. for like an yeah. ending. I mean, it, it kind of throws Jack's parents under the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> Sorry, it's, mother and father. It's like you kind of have to. It's like you have to make a choice. Who do you save? <laughs> but like, I guess like you know, when we talk more about season five, uh, like we'll talk about the ending, but. Uh, but yeah, I, just, I did not know about that. That's actually pretty interesting, like knowing like what I know now about <laughs> the whole thing. So that's yeah, cool. it's uh, the main series lasted for twenty issues and had two spinoffs. Not a bad way to continue and end the Legend of Jack. But that was only one possible future for our hero Jack. Time is malleable and nothing is set in stone until it arrives. And Jack's future is finally here. Join us now, listeners, on this analytical journey as we got to get back, back to the past. Samurai Jack! <laughs> Episode 1. We open on a field. In the distance, a ruined village. Coming into the foreground, three blue creatures escaping a horde of beetle drones. They are quickly surrounded and communicate silently to each other through words and images over their heads, their love to each other, as doom seems certain. Suddenly, a masked figure in the distance comes into view. He rides a high-tech motorbike, and he wears an intimidating set of armor. He guns down the robots and shreds them with his car. When that fails, he guns them down and pulls out an electro-spear. The warrior makes quick work of the beetle drones, but one slash of his mask reveals his identity. Jack. But it is not the same Jack we knew before. He now sports a long beard and an angry, uncaring scowl. Jack finishes off the last of the drones and drives off, not even checking with the villagers he saved as they thank him from afar. What happened to him? Fifty years have passed, but I do not age. Time has lost its effect on me. Yet, the suffering continues. Aku's grasp chokes the past, present, and future. Hope is lost. Gotta get back. Back to the past. Samurai Jack. Hell of a way to open your series, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, this is a really great reintroduction to, like, Jack and the world of the series. Like, now, 50 years later from uh, once we last saw him. But, man, it gets your mind racing. What happened to him to bring him to this moment? Oh, yeah. And then, like, the armor being reminiscent of, like, the stuff that was in that vision. And, like, all that. It's just, like, right away, I remember starting that up and being, like... Man, it's, it, like... Because going from the original series to this one, is like, how, how many years was that? Like, was it, like... 
Fifty years. No, I mean, passed. no, I mean, like in like real life, like, like from when the original Samurai Jack ended. It would have been thirteen years 13 because years. it uh, ended in two thousand four, and this started in twenty seventeen. Okay, yeah, because like, because like it, it did feel that way, even though like we hadn't all as collectively an audience lived fifty years, but like we've gone through like an entire like era of animation change, and then now we're just coming back to this, and it's just like. This dude has been doing this this whole time. We weren't here. And that was awesome. Even down to the episode numberings, it goes into the 90s mm-hmm. this time. It doesn't it doesn't start with episode like 53 or anything. It's still like 94 or something or 93. Mm-hmm. Just to show like all the time that has passed since then. Yeah. Although one could imagine like what the episodes would, would be even titled if like they didn't do that number scoring. Yeah. <laughs> and also we see like Jack uh, adapting to a new fighting style because we, we do see he doesn't have a sword. So now he's got to use, he's got to use armor. He's got guns, spears, riding on a motorcycle. Jack looks like a true marauder now, which is strange to see. Yeah, it's it's like he has become like a part of the like bleak environment he was forced to walk through. Like, because like... Because prior he was a fish out of water, right? Like he, like everything in the universe was like this high tech, like weird, magical world that like he didn't belong in, and he's like this old ways. And this one starts. He's high tech, top to bottom. He's like he has he doesn't shave anymore. He doesn't like he he doesn't look like he's has any joy. He looks like he belongs in the world of Baku now, and that's perfect to start it off with. Like he is something happened to make him stop being Jack and start being this character. He's like, <laughs> like a rabid Mad Max-like animal or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like he, Or like he's truly doubled down in like that Conan inspiration and stuff. And I do like that the first enemies we see him fight are the Beetle Drones, which were the first enemies he fought. They were the classic enemies, like the, the classic the minions of Aku he would always fight. Mm-hmm. Except they're now like upgraded because of like the years that have gone by mm-hmm. and stuff. No, this, but even like the intro that is used for this entire season is also just dour and sad and it really sells you on how hopeless it is 50 years have passed and jack does not age anymore yeah that's that was kind of fucked up yeah you you (laughs) you are forever on this journey you can't die you just do this This and aku is one like there is no there is no past there is no future hope is lost like it's a truly hopeless opening that like perfectly knows how to sell the solitude that Jack is feeling at this beginning. Like great intro, just and great I think intro. It's perfect to have Philomar as Jack saying, "Gotta get back, back to the past." Samurai Jack. Oh, it's just perfect. Like it shows his resolve, you know. Now this is like all that matters, you know. But like, also it like kind of doesn't matter because it's all over. Yeah. It's like, what do you do with this limbo now? Mm. After the intro, we witness a demonic ritual by priestesses worshipping Aku. One gives birth to seven girls, and the girls are surreptitiously trained and brutalized over the years to be killing machines. They are taught to forego remorse, to kill without hesitation, and to leave anyone, even their own, behind for their goal. Cut to Jack. It is fifty years in the future, and Jack is lost. He has seemingly given up on his quest to return to the past, and now roams the world as a drifter without a cause. No calling left in himself other than staying alive, and no sword on his body. Or perhaps it is better to say he is running. Running from what you ask? The guilt. The shame of failing his mission, and it haunts his waking hours. As Jack takes a drink from a stream, he sees a falling leaf, and in that leaf he sees his father, begging to know what Jack is doing. He sees his mother in another leaf, pleading to know why he hasn't returned. 
And when the wind blows a flurry of leaves into the river, he sees a river of dead all crying out as to why Jack abandoned them. Help! Help me, son! You must! Son, you are forgetting us! No. You... You never came back. You left us. You abandoned your purpose. I haven't. You left us all to Like, like this, it, this scene right here, just really getting over how the trauma of like being away from the past for so long is just really starting to hit Jack. Like he just feels so useless at this point. Yeah. And in the distance, in these opening episodes too, he keeps seeing a specter off in the distance, mm. a figure in samurai armor on a dark horse that is following him around constantly, stalking him. And it looks, and he constantly tries to shake it off. Yeah, it's it's like. It's just the PTSD he, like, exhibits, like, just seeing, like, all of the people he lost and, like, the people he has to, like, he, he, he has to save them still, and there's, that's still his responsibility, and he's always going to be fighting. It's just, like, just hell he's in. It's it's so perfect. That leaf scene is, like, a perfect representation. Tell you right away, this is where he is with this, and we're going to be walking with this for a while. Like, so. he is truly stuck between, like, two minds of, like... Do I keep on going, or do I, like, just, like, end, just, like, yeah, just stop everything? Also, I want to bring up the fact that uh, his father, the Emperor, played by uh, Sap Shimono, who is a prolific uh, Broadway actor who even did plays up until at least, like, 2019. Yes. And also done a ton of films, but also he has done uh, voice acting roles. He is most notably uh, Uncle from uh, Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh, yes, really? he was. And he's also done uh, some spots on The Simpsons. He was the, mas- he was the uh, master chef in the Fugu episode, and he was also... Mr. Spockada! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, good thing fish... Yeah, good job there, fishbowl. <laughs> yeah. Jack drives on, avoiding the visions that follow. He sees a town on fire and in need of help, but he ignores it. One night as he tries to sleep by the fire, he is confronted by the vision of his father and the flames of his campfire, screaming that he has forgotten his past. Unable to bear the guilt any longer, Jack screams his bike through the campfire and races back to the town he passed. But he is too late. The townsfucker did. And amongst the rubble is Scaramouche. Scaramouche the Merciless! The Pied Piper of Ruination, the crooner of carnage, the ambassador of annihilation, the eradicator of all, baby! Also known as Aku's most favorite assassin, babe. And named after a stock clown character of Commedia dell'arte origin and talking like Sammy Davis Jr., Scaramouche represents what I consider to be the last fun villain of Samurai Jack. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Here's this like bard looking robot thing that like yeah. speaks in a ridiculous manner, is voiced by Tom Kenny. Back to back podcast we did featuring Tom Kenny in a notable role. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and he's just like mocking Jack about all the people he killed, but he's like playing it up like in a real goofy manner, how he's the he's the crooner of chaos, the, yeah. the bard of destruction. And also Aku's most favorite assassin, babe. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love Scary Moose because it's just like after all that like darkness that we have that we have to sit with Jack for a second, like it's met with that same stuff from the early stuff. I'm like, wow, this is like it's like the like the aliens that were like torturing the big um, those mammoth people. I don't remember what they're yeah called. yeah the woolies being yeah, tortured yeah mm-hmm. like like those are like cartoon villains and the like Scare- yeah yeah and, and Scaramouche like is right there with like Demongo and other stuff. That's He's right like, in the vein of the old villains. Yeah, he would be right at he would be right like, at he, home. He could have been just as memorable as like any of the other guys. And I'm like wow. And, and he's just here after all all that. Oh, you're having like flashbacks and PTSD now. Like, oh my gosh. Just like and Jack's what? face throughout all this. He he doesn't say a word. He's so sick of this shit. Being yeah. pursued by assassins. You know, just Scaramouche up in his face, going, "Come on, Sammy, baby, whip it out so we can have go hacking and slashing." Yeah, right. But then Scaramouche notices that Jack does not have his sword, and this is a big deal because, as we soon apparently see. Aku apparently doesn't know that Jack doesn't have his sword. So Scaramouche tries to phone Aku, and Jack just destroys the phone yeah. before we can ever, like, before he can reach Aku. And then, what un- and then what unravels is actually, like, a very good fight between Scaramouche, who can, like, control things with his flute. He can, like, he can scat and make other, th- he can scat, like, and make other things, like, move with his yeah, voice because, as well. Yeah, uh, at one point, uh, Jack destroys the flute, and then Scaramouche is like, oh, I can still do this. I'm a scat man. So he was doing a flute just to spare us the bad scatting, you know, just doing the Pied Piper gimmick. He's singing and making his scimitar, like, like fly everywhere, and, like, Jack is, like, using, like, arm guards to block, and, like, he's using his own weapon. Oh, arsenal. Yeah, that was cool. yeah. And just the perfect balance of like action and comedy right here. Like this is like pretty much quintessentially Jack right here. Absolutely. Gendy is back in full form with a fight scene like this. Mm. Like he like he even has like this like cool tuning fork dagger that triggers yeah. oscillating explosions and anything it touches. Jack has been through fights like these numerous times before, and it doesn't take long before Jack gets the upper hand on Scaramouche, though. And to finish this fine performance. He takes the robot scimitar and slashes him nearly right down the middle. Cue uh, the geyser of oil, and Scaramouche is out. Jack takes no solace in this victory, as it is just another of many he's had. He just picks up Scaramouche's tuning dagger and rides off yet again. Just another weapon to add to his arsenal. Yep. Yet, throughout all this, we see those dark daughters raise up. We see them train. We see how far they have come. Presumably years later as they are now like a carefully oiled machine of death able to like rip arrows out of the, out of the air and pierce them into the heads of others. Just cold, merciless killing machines. When they finally complete their mission, they are all granted masks. Their dark forms like indistinguishable from each other and the high priestess gives them only one order. Go kill the samurai. On to episode two. We have seen how Jack has taken 50 years of existence in this future. 
But how is the Shogun of Sorrow taking it? Aku, Immortal Demon, and Paragon of Evil is bored. <laughs> bored out of his gourd. <laughs> his life, it seems, has stagnated and rendered him indifferent to his rulership. He welcomes aliens to his planets, but he finds them annoying. His scientists designed new beetle drones for him, but he couldn't care less. Aku truly doesn't care about Jack anymore. And voiced by a new person as well, since the tragic loss of Mako, he is now voiced by Mako's longtime understudy, Greg Baldwin. Who has uh, played Aku in like some uh, previous uh, video game stuff prior to uh, Season 5. Yes, he has. And he has also taken over one of Mako's roles before, where he played uh, Uncle Iroh from Avatar The Last yeah. Airbender, took over for him after he passed away. And uh, as far as he goes for Aku here, I gotta say, he does a fine enough job, just yep. as he did with Iroh before. He sounds just like the original performance, and like delivers his lines quite well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought he was fantastic in this. Yeah, yeah, Greg Baldwin was like actually quite great. <laughs> he really does know how to sell uh, Aku's uh, <laughs> uh, grand nature, but also especially well in like this time right now where he's... Apparently, he's he's a giant immortal demon, and yet he's lethargic about his life now. You know, yeah. having therapy session, sessions with himself. Is, uh, his mid- mid-eternity crisis. Aku has an entertaining and eye-opening therapy session with himself, where he extrapolates to both himself and the audience that after he destroyed all the time portals out there, he expected the samurai to just die off. But an unforeseen side effect of the time travel process has rendered Jack ageless. So, tell me what's been bothering you. Well, you see, Doc, it's been over 50 years already. It's been that long? Yes. You see, that's the actual problem. Once I eradicated all the time portals, I thought I would just wait it out and then the summer. We don't say his name here. It is a safe place. Yes, sorry, Doctor. Well, I just assumed that eventually, over time, he would just die! But he hasn't even aged. I mean, like at all. He just grew that stupid beard. It looks like he'll be here forever! I... I just don't know if I can handle that. Yes, it seems that the initial time travel has affected the aging process. It's quite the conundrum. Yes. What is that again? Just a confusing or difficult problem. Yes, problem. I wish there was someone who can dispose of my problem. Yes. The thought of Jack and Aku both existing forever, deadlocked for eternity, has given the demon an odd case of depression. And he grew that stupid beard. I'm afraid he's going to be stuck on this planet forever! (laughs) I just don't think if I I can take that kind of pressure. (laughs) An immortal creature of darkness never expected to have a long sword dangling above his head like this. If only there were a way to be rid of that sword for good. Cut back to Jack. Back to his endless roam. 
He stops to kill the new beetle drone in a forest real quick, really thinking this will be another boring day of immortality. Until suddenly, he is struck by assailants that move faster than the eye can see, and hit harder than any normal person. Jack has no time to react, reaching for any gear he has to stifle his unseen attackers. His guns fail him, his armor shatters to pieces, and he can only use grenades to cover his trail. He hides in a piece of the beetle drone as rain begins to fall and hide the enemy better. He is cornered, like an animal. He is all alone now with nothing but his thoughts. And then Jack has a conversation with himself. It's time to end it, don't you think? Never. They are just machines. I'll find a way. I always have. When you have the sword, but now it's gone. There's no hope. I've been doing fine without it. Well, listen to you. And what are you going to do when Aku finds you and realizes you have no sword? Aku doesn't know, and he hasn't shown himself in years. He keeps thinking that one of his machines can defeat me. Maybe he's right. You haven't faced anything so powerful. How much longer can you keep this up? It always seems bad at first, but then I find a way. They're just nuts and bolts. Just nuts and bolts. Who cares anymore? There's no way home. There's nothing to fight for. There's no more honor. Come to think of it, the only honorable thing to do is quiet. No! I won't spend eternity in this forsaken time! What do you want from me? I want it to end. Aren't you tired? Wouldn't it be great to be free of all of this? Our ancestors are waiting for us. They want you to join them. There. You'll never make it! They'll get you! I'll make it. Uh, <laughs> Jack is really on the edge of sanity here. <laughs> Oh god, like, he already dealt with Mad Jack in the original yeah. first four seasons, now he's gotta deal with something like that again. Yeah. Now he's... Th these are straight-up suicidal thoughts he's having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he tr like, he's truly on the edge of, like, sanity and life itself. Like, he think like he has, like, no other cause, to, like, left in this world. Like, all is lost. And now here's the little voice in the back of his head, angrily speaking to him, and telling him, like, you have nothing left to go on for. I, I do like Jack's retorts to him, though. Like, he he's having these thoughts, but he always says back to it, we always get through this. Yeah. This is, like, every other time. And it's like, how long has he been having these? Like, like, th like for th this scene, when, I, when this scene happened, I thought, I didn't think this is the first time this happened. I think this has been happening. He's had this for, conversation for before. For a while. And because, like... He he's replying to it in a way that will like get him to to survive it. So it's like, nah, you, you've been doing this for a while, and that's real bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, like this is these are not the this is not the first time he's had these dark thoughts before. Like he's clearly not phased by like this specter of himself telling him to like just end it all. And he's quickly rationalizing it too. Like Aku doesn't know. Aku doesn't know. I don't have the sword. He'll yeah. never find out. He hasn't shown his face in years. Yeah, and also like these are just machines. They're just nuts and bolts. Just nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. And yet and yet there's that side of them that's telling them like, Don't you, aren't you tired? Don't you wanna just put an end to it all? And like, they're scary thoughts. And yeah. like they really make you feel like un, like 
unimaginable sympathy for Jack here. Yeah, I mean, it's like because like you like you said this episode like they started like episode ninety something, so like it really, really hitting home that like this he's been doing this the whole time we've been away, and that whole time he has had to sit with the dark thought of this being an adventure that will just every day a new thing you gotta fight a new village you gotta save there's never gonna be an end <laughs> like that's that's like a great way to like build this character to having an actual like conclusion is have him actually like dealing with that which i always really like enjoy that when they yeah i really grew to the idea of like his immortality that like you know maybe things like did turn out bad maybe that like original future that was predicted like by the guardian or something maybe that never happened maybe things just went on maybe like things never changed maybe it was just the same adventure every day of your life and you will never like complete your journey and you will like and you complete and you have to live with that failure every day of your life and, like, deal with that question constantly of whether you should keep on going or end it all. Yeah. Like, that's... Like, I really, like, love that I, that take that they that Gendy went with for yeah. Jack this final season. Yeah, it's a, it's a really strong beginning to pull us into, like, the overarching story. It's really good. Jack sees a dark-looking figure on a horse in the distance. Dark thoughts flood his head. He sees an opening and runs for it, and as he does, the scene slows down as he finally looks back and catches a glimpse of his pursuers, seven women in masks with Aku motifs. He runs through the rain and seeks refuge in a nearby temple. Jack tries to hide and wait out the daughters of Aku, but they anticipate this tactic and wait him out. Like a very long, drawn-out sequence of, like, waiting and hunting by these characters. Like, it really sells Jack as, like, this hunted animal during this whole time. And, like, moments like this are, like, what I really love about Samurai Jack, where you can just have entire halves of episodes that's just nothing but no dialogue and just nothing but action right here. Yeah, there's no speaking between the daughters, no coordination or anything. They just, like, they all silently know what to do, know how to hunt him. Mm-hmm. And you see Jack just, like, trying to, like, think on his feet and, like, move around the temple and, like, hide and, do and like, take any corner, go around any corner he possibly can. A particularly great scene in particular where I think Tyler Bates' uh, music really shines, where Jack hides in a catacomb, a big wide catacomb with like a dead king in the middle. He's hiding in a tomb and like you've got the daughters of Aku going through and the music takes a very obvious cue from Inyo Morricone's The Ecstasy of Gold from the like the classic Sergio Leone films. Where it's, like, this, like, Western-inspired, like, soundtrack that, like, really sells, like, this moment of, like, them, like, hunting around. The anticipation that Jack feels as he can, like, feel them, like, getting closer and closer to the, like, the tomb that he's inside. Until it comes to, like, one big crescendo where they all attack the grave and he hops right out. It is such, it is, like, some of the, like, it is peak Sarai Jack. I also yeah. especially love the shots with the uh, the daughters searching around the temple, and, like, there's a lot of shadows everywhere, and, like, they blend right into each of the shadows. The only thing you can see are their creepy masks that have, just have neutral expressions, like, hiding the emotions behind them. Yes, like, the, the art design is, like, directly just, like, called back to, like, the original series, where you've got, like, characters blending into, like, monochromatic colors. The way they, like, st- like skulk around and, like like, overlap with, like, different backgrounds and whatnot. Like, it's peak Samurai Jack art design here. Oh, yeah. I I really like, um, like, these, uh, these, like, these, uh, these assassins. 
as we'll call them, I guess, if you don't want to spoil it as we're talking, I don't know if that matters. <laughs> um, like, they... I, one thing I really like about this episode, when they when they introduce them, and as they're coming after Samurai Jack, it's like, their origin is like a direct mirror of, of Jack's origin. In a way, it kind of it's is. It's a direct mirror. Because, like, it... Because he... He was basically just, like, raised to fight the demon, and they were raised to kill the samurai. Yes. And they, their entire life, nothing but training, just like him. Exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's and, told entirely through montage, too, like, with uh, Jack and his training from the yeah. you know, premiere film. So, like, with Jack and his training, you can tell that there was a lot more compassion between him and, like, his, uh, his teachers, whereas yeah. here it's just ruthless and just yeah yeah with these sisters they're just like brutalized by like others of like their um their sect their religious sect yeah. like they're they're told to have like no compassion for others that like nothing matters but the mission yeah it's 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 like direct it's so it's super cool because it's like the beginning of samurai jack started with that and then like this the beginning of them coming back is like not preparing to fight Aku, preparing to fight Jack. Yes, and it ja- overlaps and, and so well. Jack has become an immortal. Jack has become like a juggernaut that you can't beat him. Like he's just he's gonna win, and you have to become like this perfect killing machine to kill him. Mm-hmm. So Jack had to do with Aku because he was a juggernaut that was unbeatable. Yes, <laughs> like it actually parallels same, perfectly. It's the same thing. It's great. Jack finally finds an exit, but he is cornered by one of the daughters, and through a quick scuffle, he overpowers her and uses her own blade to slash her throat. Jack is taken aback by the blood, not expecting real people to be hunting him, but he can't ponder this moment as he was stabbed in the scuffle. Now with a blade sticking out of him, the daughters draw near, but an exit is in sight. He takes his last weapon, the tuning dagger, and triggers multiple delayed explosions on his way out. As the walls explode upon the approaching daughters, Jack flings himself into the river outside, washing away. And throughout this whole episode, we also have intercut footage of a white wolf going among a forest and confronting and being attacked by a gang of tigers. And at the end of this episode, the tigers are dead and the wolf is a bloody mess. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Also Just having that one, nice little, like, visual parallel between the two. Also, another thing, like, when he kills one of the daughters, like, another thing he does before he slashes her throat, headbutts her in the face, cracks the mask, and then after he slashes her throat, the mask breaks apart, and he sees, like, a human girl right there. He sees it's actual humans underneath yeah. all this. It's not, not just nuts and bolts. And also, we got blood in Samurai Jack. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, that's, that's the first sign that, like... Things are like way different now, yeah. a bit more adult. We're we're allowed to like the violence blood. is real now. <laughs> yeah, we're pushing that TV fourteen uh, rating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking advantage of that new rating for Adult Swim and Thanks, Tsunami. Adult Swim. <laughs> <laughs> Episode three opens with Jack drifting down the river. His paranoia and fear the only thing driving him now. He reaches land and takes refuge in a cave, but he's on death's door with that knife in his abdomen. He painfully and gruesomely pulls it out, nearly falling unconscious. His inner self reappears again, looking even more distorted and gruesome, mocking Jack for finally taking a human's life. Look at you. You've survived worse. This isn't about your pathetic little cut. It's about that girl you killed. We've never killed a human before, have we? Sure, mountains of robot corpses. This, 
This was the first human being. Real flesh and blood. What happens when the others find you? You'll have to kill them too. Can you? Will you be able to when the time comes? Maybe they will kill you. Or is that what you want? No. I was like, I gotta say, like, the, the shot of Jack pulling the blade from his abdomen, it's so nasty. You wanna talk about slow, like, slow filmmaking? Like, that scene where he's pulling it out, like, it sells how painful that is. Mm -hmm. Just, like, his straining and, like, the gory sound. Oh. Yeah. It's just awful. Though I bet, uh, while working on the scene, I bet Gendy looked at this and thought, I can get more graphic than this. And thus Primal was born. <laughs> Quite possibly. Although the white, the wolf fighting the tigers is also very reminiscent of like what he would do after this yeah. fifth season. <laughs> and yeah, even like his, and even like now his like inner Jack becoming even more distorted and monstrous like as he's mocking him saying like, we never killed before. Like yeah. real human flesh, real blood. They're coming. Like what are you going to do? You going to like lay down and die like a dog, like stuff like that. Mm. I mean, Jack is really coming to like a point now where he's got to make a choice. Also, I gotta say the animation on like Jack's inner self, like it's really good. Like it gets it gets crazier as it goes on, but just like how big and just how animated he gets with like his uh, with, with his movements and everything. Like he just starts to look more and more monstrous as the se the season goes on. Yes, mm. like it really it really becomes clear that Jack is. Like, these thoughts are coming to a head, finally. Like, he's being, like, pushed further and further. Jack falls asleep, and he dreams of the first time he witnessed death. When he was a child, his mother and his father, the Emperor, were traveling in a royal convoy when they were attacked by marauders. Jack's father confronted them and gave them a choice. Jack lost some of his innocence that day, but words his father told him stuck with him ever since. Which, I will say, um... <laughs> From the angle of like, has Jack, has Jack ever killed before? I don't know. There are some moments from the original series where that could have been possible. There's there's some stuff that's like a kind of like a monster or alien he killed that was not really a person. But yeah, yeah nothing ever humanoid, but yeah. still living things. It's it's a little yeah, it's a, a little stretch, but it's not like too it's not a too huge of a stretch. He's never killed like a human being because most of the time it's a sentient creature. He doesn't. He usually doesn't kill them. He, he like humiliates them or whatever. He never kills them. Yeah, but then I think back to episodes like uh, the Princess and the Bounty Hunters, where like they all oh, hide, and yeah. Jack takes them all out, and he yeah. expressly slashes each of them, and they're all left motionless by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That does and I think like really, Jack rendered them all unconscious with like the sharp end of his blade. Yeah, he was like, unless he used the blunt end, I guess. I don't know. They're just sleeping. But, no, I, I do love that scene as it just sells, like, the fact that, like, Jack, yeah, he, he's no stranger to violence back in the day. Because he got blood splattered on his little babby eyes. Yeah. I know, like, straight up has, like, blood splattered on him as well. And then his dad even tells him, like, like son, like, at some point in life, you sometimes just gotta kill a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> son, sometimes you, you got no choice. Son, you just have to learn how to cut a bitch. <laughs> and we will train you across the world. I mean, you never really saw a cool samurai action like with Jack's dad after a moment like that. So it's quick, it's it's quick, it's sweet, but like it sells the point like pretty well. Yeah, saw a bit of it in uh, the Birth of Evil. 
Right, right. And I guess Jack also did see Lone Wolf kill a, bu- kill a bunch of guys, too. True, but... In, in, like, that old flashback episode where he's he sees Lone Wolf and Cub actually in the episode. Yeah. And he watches Lone Wolf while he's standing next to Cub, like, kill a bunch of marauders. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. he's he's definitely seen death before. It's just, I think that just for the narrative, like, he he's at his lowest point, and, like, all we need to know is that he's at his lowest point, and he just did something he never wants to do ever. But he's, but he's at a point, too, where, like, he may have no choice, yeah. either. Jack finds the injured wolf from the previous episode at his cave's door, having survived an attack of its own. It nurses itself near him, brings food for them both, and rest. Very, very primal-looking scene here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was very, very reminiscent of, of primal. Yeah, very, very thing and spear here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two fighters seeking solace one another. By the time that they are both healed and have considered their options, they part ways. And Jack finally realizes what he must do. The daughters of Aku continue their hunt. They waste no time in abandoning their dead sister and rule her out as weak. They travel by day and rest at night, nearing closer to their prey. But an interesting look into their mindset arises when they're confused by a deer that enters their sight. A very telling moment that, like, they don't even know what the hell a deer is. They look at, like, its antlers on its head and think it's a minion of Aku. Well, it's like... I mean, later on, I don't know if this, if I don't know if it happened already yet, but there's, like, there's later on there's, there's a flashback where it kind of makes this make sense, where it's like they just weren't allowed out, outside. They weren't allowed to see anything. No outside like, contact whatsoever. Like they were just complete seclusion. Just like you, all you know is that everything that is good was made by this big weird guy with a funny face, and that guy over there, he sucks, and you got to kill him. That's <laughs> it. But it's but yeah, it really sells just how like uh, like sheltered they all are and how they're they're even confused by the affection the deer shows for like a doe even yeah they don't like what is they that? don't understand these kinds of emotions or anything they're just hand-bred killing machines mm-hmm. and almost makes you feel a little bit of sympathy for them too a little yeah. Bit, yeah but this moment of confusion and curiosity does not last long before they finally reach jack's location in a snowy forest clearing that becomes less and less visible with the snowfall becoming thicker Jack calls out from an unseen location and gives the daughters a choice. Your choices have clearly led you here, as have mine. I will give you a new choice. Leave here now and live, or stay and face your destiny. Our destiny is your death! So, I guess you're staying. Perhaps I was unclear. Enough words! Show yourself, Samurai, so you can die! Very well. The decisions you make, and the actions that follow, are a reflection of... of who you really are. The daughters make their choice clear, and perhaps reluctantly, Jack abides. What happens next is a stellar fight scene between the two parties that actually kind of reminded me a bit of the Samurai versus Ninja episode, where you've yes. got, like, mm-hmm. the snow covering this battlefield. Yep. Pitch white background, but you've got these, like, black figures with, like, weapons against it. There's the camera pans across each of them. And then finally, it rests on, like, this one moment. This one quiet moment. And then a spear gets chucked out of nowhere, and one of them gets killed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my god. I love this fight scene. This is, like, honestly one of the best fight scenes in all of Samurai Jack. It's like Jack has finally, like, steeled himself to, like, taking another human life, and he's willing to, like, 
murk each and every one of these daughters. It never once loses energy for a single moment and knows exactly where to breathe and where to slow down. But it's almost nonstop action as like the daughters try to work in tandem with each other, but now they're getting picked off and killed. Even at one point the uh the daughter is like working in formation too, kind of standing back to back to each other. Yeah, yeah, they even mm. almost like they almost like seemingly like combine their forms together. And, like, oh, yeah, fight as yeah, one. Yeah. Mecha Shiva, Mecha Shiva, Mecha Shiva. It did kind of look like yeah. that. <laughs> also, at one point, like uh, once Jack is cornered, but he's still fighting the daughters. Like he kills one of them by just punching her so hard that her neck breaks. Yes, mm. he finally mm. confronts them on a log, and he almost stops on this moment where he's on a log that's over a cliff. And he stops, and he almost gives these la- these last daughters a chance to run away, but then one after another, they come after him. He like he like tosses them over his shoulder. Another one goes after him. He punches so hard with like almost like kung fu move or something, like a, like a force palm or something, like, like a that. force palm. Like punches her so hard in the head that like her neck goes around. You hear a snap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's used to Ugh. fighting robots. I don't think like a normal neck is gonna be able to take that, <laughs> support that. And the last living daughter of Aku loses her mask and winds up wrapped in her own weapon around the log, her life dangling in Jack's hand. He is victorious and sick of her shit. She begins ranting and raving about how Jack's life is forfeit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she also in particular voiced by Tara Strong. Yes, Tara uh, Strong. proud NFT promoters, Tara Strong. <laughs> oh, no. You know, oh, like no. you know, like a great VA voice of like many classic characters. You know, like Bubbles is my favorite Powerpuff Girl. I love Raven and Teen Titans, but uh, doesn't stop her from making bad decisions. Yeah, no, yeah. no. She's there's a, lo- there's a lot of people that were, are like very talented, and I'm like, why, why did you jump on this? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know me. Whenever any VAs are on some bullshit, I gotta call them out on it. Absolutely, as it's right as you are right to do. Yes. But this, le- but this one last daughter of Aku, named Ashi, is now just ranting and raving as she's covered in a chain. And Jack, as she's ranting and raving, is clearly looking fed up, just unwraps the chain around him, and lets her go all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. But not before the log beneath him breaks, and they both go down to the bottom. Episode 4 follows up on the descent of the two characters. They fall to the ground relatively unscathed, though Ashi is still wrapped in chains. Jack has a brief hallucination of the crows around him, calling him to be a murderer. Jack only screams that they chose their path. And this was the moment that really kind of sold me that, like, Jack is... Like, Jack killed people now. He just, like, committed... He, he killed people, but, like, to him, that's, like, murder right there. Yeah. He's got seven types of blood on his hand. Yeah. Like, he's... This moment, like, really hit harder this, like, second time I went through the series when I realized, like, wow, Jack... Like, this isn't, like, a good moment. This is not, like, a redeeming moment. Like, he's down... He's, like, further down the black pit than ever before. Yeah, it's, like... It's, It's like, maybe he kept up that, like, moral high ground for so long, 50 years later, never killed anyone, but now he has. Yeah. It's gotten to that moment now. It's definitely, like, it's very... This this whole season is very, very good at just, like, making you think this is as low as it gets... And then is like, never mind. <laughs> There's another. It can one. get worse. It, it gets so much worse. worse. It gets a little worse. It's a little bit more bad than you thought it could be. <laughs> it really like like working well with like you know where they are on TV, like on Adult Swim, on Toonami. Like they they are they are now allowed to like tell stories like this. 
more so than they would they were back in the uh, the Cartoon Network era. Yes, like I'm so grateful for all this good writing. <laughs> Ashi keeps raving to Jack about how he will meet his doom and Aku will savor his death, but Jack has had enough killing and now rather wants to understand his assassin better. However, before either of them can say more. The ground beneath them quakes and shatters, revealing the maw of a massive subterranean beast that swallows the two whole. The inside of the creature proves to be a massive ecosystem unto itself, housing alien creatures that are all too hungry for the fresh blood that just entered. Kind of calls back a little bit to, like, the dragon episode a little bit. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, like... Where Jack travels into, like, the belly of a giant dragon. That whole episode, if any of you listen to this, like, haven't seen that one, that, that episode is so weird because every single every single minute of that episode is like a different show it just keeps changing and it just and it's like mystery of this it's a mystery of a fart it's literally just a mystery <laughs> of just a stinky smell smelly and, town and there's just a, yeah smelly town weird people living in it and they're all of them are real weird and it's just like it's just hilarious and then the ending just kind of ends. It's it's definitely one of those episodes that I'm glad I went back and watched like the old stuff and didn't just watch season five because that dragon it was an ecosystem inside it. And the that one was weird because the dragon was the same size as Jack basically, which is really weird. But yeah, that's like it goes full like you know Super Mario Brothers Bowser's Inside Story. Oh no, yeah, abs- that episode read a lot as like the author's thinly veiled fetish. Well, yeah, the dragon like pleads with him. Oh, please go inside me. <laughs> please, can I devout? Can I bore you? Yeah, like, me, the giant, this me. giant dragon that's farting on everyone. Yeah, big stinky farts. Everyone hates. Oh, they're so bad. But it turns out I had an egg inside me that I had to yeah. lay out my butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was this uh, a rejected Totally Spies uh, script here? Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, <laughs> Totally Spies. And there's a character in that called the he's called the Scissor Smith. He has his nose cut off because the stink was so bad. And I love that character because like the character was a roadblock until he until he wasn't. Yeah, like, yeah. like he just he just stops you at every turn. No, you can't get information. And then his stinking crow tells you. I won't go too much. I've already gone too far into this episode, but that. I could talk about for like a while just because like why did all this happen? Why and then this? one young man saw that episode and grew up, and that is how Bad Dragon got started. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I, I'm pretty sure that existed before. <laughs> that existed before that. I'm sure you can find some Sonic fan fiction based on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was Sonic Sonic's done everything. He's he's a big he's a big hoe. He's, he's done him. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I got a hoe fast. <laughs> 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 You're too slow as he's like getting pumped. <laughs> Come on, step it up. <laughs> you only paid for an hour, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh, Jack assures Ashi that he will find a way out and carries her on his back, fending off the beasties that approach. He fights his way to a clearing in the beast and decides to rest keeping an eye on Ashi so she doesn't try to run away or get him killed. His inner self keeps telling him to abandon her and save himself, chiding Jack's altruism. But Jack tries to shake him off, and through many hardships, Jack and Ashi make their way through the beast, with Jack even trying to lighten the mood between them two, between the two of them. They get kind of like pelted with like little needles inside the beast, and he 
Makes and he has to like <laughs> silently pull them out of each other before they go on. And yeah. he makes a little crack about like how acupuncture is so good for the body, it's, and she doesn't understand the reference. Oh man, that, that was so funny because like I remember like when we were watching that episode, I was watching with my roommate, and my roommate said like that must feel euphoric, and I said like they're like random alien needles, they wouldn't feel good. And then Jack right after that says like some people would pay for this. I'm like. Okay, fine. Screw what I said. Then you're just lucky they didn't have venom inside. Yeah, them or anything. yeah. That's what I was thinking. I'm, I'm thinking like like acupuncture is a very specific type of needle. Like those are just like random. Like what are those? Like are they actually needles? Are they like like you're just trying know? to lighten the mood? Like <laughs> someone tried to stick a needle in me, I'll kick their ass. <laughs> Ashi tries to make sense of Jack along the way, unable to understand why he would try to keep her alive. She ponders this as they reach what appears to be an exit in a pitch-black cavity, and they see a hole above and many strange cellular-looking creatures floating about. And these creatures were animated by none other than James Baxter himself. Hey. The legendary animator. <laughs> That's nuts. I You've mean, seen his work in Adventure Time and Disney movies and Steven Universe. <laughs> yeah, I remember the I remember the horse episode. It just says it says James Baxter. James Baxter. <laughs> I, I just like I remember being I remember marathoning Adventure Time and getting to that and being like what am I supposed to know this? <laughs> and then like, and then I went back. Like, oh, okay. he taught a bunch of animators. Oh, and okay. Draw a horse. I yeah. figured it was someone like really important to be doing this. And I'm like, it is okay, cool. <laughs> like, like it's definitely one of those like inside jokes you often see in cartoons, like referencing like you know just insider knowledge. Yeah, but the, it's it's cute stuff like that, and I like to see, and I love seeing that he still does uh, individual pieces of animation for people that will just. Ask him to, because he just had that big of an influence and legacy on people. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 great to see, and it's and honestly, he does a fantastic job animating these like weird creatures that are like just like simple shapes. Like all this is like absolute like UPA revival shit, where like they're all just made up of like shapes and gyrating and moving around in like incredibly fluid manner and stuff. And they're also like a translucent, like you know, old '90s technology. Mm. These would not be out of place in like some sort of like. Fucking like art, like artwork or something. These creatures just floating around, like it would yeah. be absolutely incredible. It's gonna be a wallpaper of this. Yeah, let's, let's get a, let's make a VR room. It's just like uh, James Baxter's floating around things from Jackson by Jack. Like, oh my god! Uh, giant fish where like you can see their innards inside their skeleton. Yeah, I always like those designs. Like when they do that, they've done they've done something like that a few times. Like they they're, like a lot of times when they do anything with the ocean world and the other stuff. In other episodes, like they just have creatures that are just see through. If you had these creatures against a background or something, just like all floating around, I would have thought of them thought of them as like a Charlie Harper painting or something. <laughs> Jack hops from creature to creature and avoids the hungry jaws of a predatory one, but through precise jumping and dodging, he finally makes a clear jump for the opening, and both he and Ashi escape the beast. Unfortunately, it migrated to the ocean and breached for air, so they remain stranded near a small island. They swim to it and finally can rest among the red reeds. Ashi makes one last attempt to get the jump on the samurai, but stops when she sees him stretch his hand out for a ladybug to land on it. This stirs an image from Ashi's past where as a little girl in training, she got a glimpse of the outside world and the beauty it had to offer. A ladybug flew its way to her, and it captivated her young mind. But the high priestess crushed it between her fingers, telling Ashi to not trouble herself with weak creatures such as the bug, and to focus only on killing the monster that was the samurai. 
Finally seeing that Jack is not the monster she was raised to hate, she relents from killing the peaceful samurai. All these, like, opening first four episodes, man. I really Some of the best of Samurai Jack. Like, I really like that bit right there, just Jack holding out the ladybug and then just, like, letting it fly away and then just Ashi just being kind of, like, struck by this. Like, someone showing actual kindness to yeah. life around him. A brief moment of peace in his life. Like, it's gorgeously rendered with, like, the wind and sound effects going by, the reeds flaying in the wind. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's great because, like... Cause like, because Ashi's mom just like sees a ladybug and is like, "Kill that! It's dead." And then like Jack is like, "No, nah, I was gonna live." And then she just remembers, "Oh yeah, I was gonna let that ladybug live." <laughs> and I was told that was wrong. Why is that wrong? Now you can start questioning stuff, and you're like, "Can maybe the big silly man who wants to kill and be evil shadow monster is bad?" <laughs> <laughs> also, another thing I want to point out about uh, Ashi's uh, design: apparently, she's based on a childhood crush of Gendy's. I get it. Yeah, it, it, I, I can it. understand that. I, and I also, totally she kind of looks it. like uh, Alana from some Bionic Titan. She really looks like Alana. Like, has you can tell the uh, pixie cut haircut. And... Yeah, I think Gandhi has a bit of a type. Also played by Tara Strong. <laughs> Although I do want to clarify that Gandhi Tartakovsky is happily married to his wife Dawn. Yes. Yeah. In fact, there was even a little animation made about their like marriage as well too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that actually does exist out there. It's actually really cute. <laughs> the way they draw, like the way they're both like rendered in it, like it's adorable. <laughs> that's that's great. I should check that out. Uh, but yeah, these the, these first four episodes, man, they really sold the whole series for me. Like this is like exactly what I wanted after all these years. Perfect cinematography, like everything about it from a design standpoint, just absolutely perfect. Yeah, like watching this week to week as it was premiering on Toonami, just like it felt great just like getting bangers week after week for it did like feel a month of uh, Toonami it did feel good but I will get back to this point near the end in our summation that I personally think this season watches better like in one clean go rather than week to week yes but that will be those will be words for later episode 5 opens on the eve of battle three armies gather together outside Aku's tower soldiers and tanks knights on rhinos and an army of Scottish warrior women rallying together and leading the army is an elderly man with a minigun for a leg. <laughs> yeah. The Scotsman. He's back, baby. Holy crap. I love what they did with his redesign. Yeah. I was an like, old man with like a knotted beard and like he's got like a tartan eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> and like even the little like a uh, little like creature that makes up his like belt too has like a little eye patch too. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got the big minigun for his leg and he's like in a it, wheelchair. It's pointed up now so he can still shoot straight ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I look at the Scotsman now, and I'm just like, man, this is what I want Drew McIntyre to look like when he's, like, 60 years old. When I saw him, like, firing that minigun in, like, the promo for the episode, I lost my fucking shit. Yeah! Just the same, like, rude, crude dude. <laughs> and John DiMaggio hasn't lost a step. No, hasn't. John DiMaggio can still play the Scotsman perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Just give him a nice, like, Gaelic accent and, like, a nice gurgle to it. Like, oh, it's perfect. It's like he's doing Fat Bastard or something. <laughs> yeah, it kind of did always feel like he was, yeah. I need to mention that. Yeah, the Scotsman, he's much older now, with gray hair, and he's half-blind with a tartan eye patch, and has lost the use of his legs. But everything about his cocksure attitude in this moment tells us he hasn't changed one bit. His army is also apparently all made up of his daughters, which... 
<laughs> Did his wife lay them all in an egg sack? Yeah. <laughs> the entire, like, female, like, Scottish, like, warrior woman army here is all made up of his daughters. Like, I think after he and Jack saved her from being captured, they just started humping like crazy. Not submissive, but certainly breedable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like, what the, like, Wow. I gotta say, maybe the, 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 the hips that woman must have. Maybe, maybe it was like quadruplets several times. Possibly, yes. Built up several generations. Yeah, and it's just like you just made it so. That's why some of them they look so similar. Yeah, given the fact that we never see his wife during this entire final yeah. season, too. Like just throwing it out there, it might be that she passed away. Yeah, having too many kids. You know, at, like, she would have been great to have on the battlefield because yes, she kicked yeah. ass. Yeah, I, I really loved her introductory episode and like her relationship with the Scotsman. You know, Scotsman being all like, "Yep, that's my wife," and then she's much more massive than him, and she's just like this like huge battle axe, yeah. <laughs> just constantly busting his balls and yelling at him, and yeah. like, but still very caring. Like she gives him a big hug and even gives Jack a big hug. Yeah, once him. she gets her aggression out near the end of the episode and destroys the army, she like becomes a lot chummier, and then you find like, oh, this is why the Scotsman loves her. Yeah, like she's actually like very like kind and charming when she's not angry. Yeah, but she's not just like breaking your balls like for, like a solid minute. <laughs> I mean, the sex is I'm sure. Yeah, the sex must have been amazing. I can only imagine. I mean, like, they had that many kids, so, like, <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of red-haired, red-haired daughters, and, like, the Scotsman even chides them for, like, going into battle without, like, warm Oh, clothes. yeah, Because uh, they all look like these, like, bodacious babes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cover yourself. Dad. Tough warrior woman, woman that wouldn't look out of place in, like, a Red Sonja comic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said something to the effect of, like, what, are you going out dancing? Yeah. They commence their attack on Aku's tower, and Aku only reluctantly decides to fight, just to see if it'll only break his malaise. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps eradicating this scum will break me from my melee. Yes. And then he fires out yeah. and turns himself into a giant ball. Yeah, he's just like, I'm bored. I guess I'll become this fuck, this incredible. Huge like, action piece. And he steamrolls <laughs> the entire army. Yeah, like one of the armies he completely destroys. There's like several armies. And then like one of them was the Scotsman's daughters. There's like some kind of Spart- Spartan hybrid thing. Some like nut guys on rhinos. Yeah, yeah. And like some like uh, sort of like pickle halb looking guys. And yeah. like tanks. 300 warriors or whatever. The Scotsman, realizing a one-sided fight when he sees one, orders his daughters to retreat while he distracts Aku. And what proceeds is one last roasting for the ages. You're not going anywhere, you big buffoon! I'm sorry, old man. I think you're lost. I ain't lost, you tree ogre! I might be old, but I've lived long enough to see the world rise against your tyranny. Admit it, you big oaf! You're scared! The samurai is still out there inspiring people by the thousands! After all these years, you're powerless against them. You've been shivering like a wee baby hiding in your crib, afraid to show yourself because you know he's out there, and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> you're just a big baby. Why did you go cry to your mama? The 
but why did he bring up the samurai? Ugh. First of all, first of all, there's the fact that apparently Aku apparently never met the Scotsman. Yeah. That alone is funny that they that, never crossed paths. Yeah, once. somehow. <laughs> Second, the Scotsman knows just how to press Aku's buttons right here. It's glorious. The way he hangs over that like Jack is still alive out there. He's like the sword is still out there, and like Aku can do nothing but just hide away in his tower like a big baby. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you cry home to your mama? <laughs> Aku doesn't want to hear any of it. He just, just obliterates him. Nonchalantly firing his laser eyes at him. I laser blasts the Scotsman and leaves him a skeleton. That man. turns to dust. That turns to dust yeah. and shatters his claymore. Yeah. I lost my shit laughing the first time I saw that. Like, you know, sad to see the Scotsman die, but funniest death ever. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know what? He died doing what he loved. Talking shit. Talking shit. Give yeah. out to <laughs> I just love how bored Aku looks during that fight. He's like slumped down listening to the Scotsman go. He's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Shut up about the samurai. I don't even know. Only yes. regret, I wish they allowed him to get very vulgar with his like insults. You know, go on a big Scottish tirade. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you got a face like a well scalped ass, you fucking baby cop. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell me fart box, you fucking wall, bro? And let me hit it, wank stain. <laughs> Couldn't take another samurai shite. So yeah, coming all this fucking way. <laughs> oh my god. You lie me, little f***. <laughs> you specky Tory. <laughs> Big walking fanny. <laughs> oh my god. And then just laser eyes. Uh, and then he dies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sad bagpipes play over the Scotsman's death. But is he but he's not gone. His daughter Flora picks up his shattered sword, and the Scotsman returns as a ghost, back to his old, youthful looking self. It seems like there were more to those ancient Celtic runes on his claymore than we thought. With the Scotsman back in the game, Flora asks what's next. He declares that they will look for the samurai, rebuild their army, and challenge Aku for real next time. Back to the island, Ashi finds herself in a similar position to Jack, haunted by the words of her mother, telling her she must fulfill her purpose. But Ashi is now hesitating, not able to fully comprehend the contradiction in the samurai she's experiencing. This is further demonstrated when Jack hails a sea serpent and hitches a ride on its back, and Ashi tagging along. They finally reach land again, and Jack attempts to go his separate way. Ashi catches up to him at his campfire later, however. Demanding proof that Aku is actually as evil as Jack says. After much arguing, because Jack doesn't want anything to do with this, like, <laughs> yeah. He just sees her kind of like as a nuisance, like, might still try to kill him in the future. Yeah. But Jack agrees to show her the proof in the morning, and they rest by the fire, and Jack, in a nice gesture, even tries to soothe her with like a nice little children's story. Mm. Something she definitely wouldn't have experienced growing up. I like yeah. this. It's a sweet little story, and like, yeah, just further kindness that Ashi is being shown that's completely foreign to her. Yeah, yeah. Story but it's comforting, though, for reasons she can't explain. You know, a story about, like, the sun and the moon and how they're siblings and how they created the stars in the night sky. Yeah, it's beautiful. Jack and Ashi begin their travel, first coming upon a deforestated clearing with only a small red tree left. Aku's influence has drained the natural beauty and resources of the planet, leaving little chance of life and beauty in nature. 
sneaking into one of Aku's interplanetary port cities. He shows her how Aku allows criminals and pillagers safe haven on Earth and gives them free reign to kill and steal as they please, so long as they recognize his rule. It was nice to hear uh, Morty's dad is like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the port operator too. Yeah, yeah kind of weird scene. It was kind of a little weird hearing Chris Parnell in this yeah, like, thanks, final Jerry. season, but he fits in well. <laughs> he was on the payroll. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, we see the aftermath of all this evil as they happen upon a village of blue-furred creatures that were decimated by Aku's influence. Ashi has finally seen the truth that Aku is truly evil. And yeah, it's been a while, but like Aku's influence has not changed one yeah. bit. It's the same as it ever was. Yeah. Just like the, the the environment being destroyed, like criminals being allowed on to like just like raise and pillage like as they see fit. Yeah, just raising towns. Like that just... one criminal who like came in and he's and he was like saying like, "Okay, you're gonna live right here." He's like, "That's occupied." He's like, "Is, is that a problem?" Yeah, is that a no. problem for you? No. And he just smiles. He's like, "No problem." And you just see like little families and kids playing in like this nice little village, and you just see this big hulking baddie just going all like oh yeah i'm gonna murder all of them <laughs> like oh man it's like it, it's the same old song with aku man yeah. nothing's changed for the better and not only with, with like the uh, the citizens of this world but also like environmentally like the entire environment is just completely fucked aku has always like been has always been like a force of like he's always been a force of destruction against the environment as well yeah it, remember in the original birth of evil episode like the original influence of that inky darkness that landed on earth destroyed the environment and ruined crops yeah and aku is that exact same influence yeah and it's just like he just like feeds off it he's just like you know what uh just pollute and destroy the whole planet because it's funny <laughs> like it's pretty cool it's nothing to him captain yeah. pollution yeah <laughs> Which is which is ironic because Aku kind of has like some roots in like trees actually. Yeah, it's like he he's like definitely made of wood, but he's like he's like I don't give a shit. Fuck all the other trees. He's got like <laughs> he's got like an inky blackness to him and stuff. But whenever he moves around or shifts his body, it actually sounds like creaking yeah, wood. He does that's always that. a that's always a detail I never noticed about Aku and his design. Yeah, I always I always noticed that he sounded like that. And there's always like the I always focused on like the fact that he's got like an oni demon face, you know, mm. and like his name means evil. But like I never thought to like the wood stuff. Yeah, he's like he's like a he's kind of like a plant. Like he just <laughs> like, yeah, like an, an amorphous like, shape shifting plant. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Ashi asks Jack what there is to do to stop Aku, and he tells her, nothing. The travels seem to have only assured Jack that nothing more can be done about Aku. But before the topic can be discussed further, a survivor in the rubble is heard. Jack and Ashi attend to the survivor and discover that the villagers were raided for their children some time ago. And Jack, he still has that itch to help people, no matter what, it's always a part of who he is. Mm. They are currently being used as labor not far from their location, and the two agree to track down the surviving children. They come upon an oil rig-looking structure and find it eerily quiet. Suddenly, they are confronted by the child survivors, and they all begin chasing Jack and Ashi like rabid, crazed animals. They break off from each other, with Jack trying to draw their attention, and Ashi goes to confront the controller. 
She finds the metal-clad handler of the facility, but is soundly captured and quite brutally tortured by the guy, too. Yeah, she gets the uh, Metal Gear Solid uh, torture sequence here. Oh, yeah. It, it, it also it actually does look like that a lot. Yeah. It does kind of look like that, but uh, it also kind of invokes, uh, <laughs> like, the weird-looking torture of uh, Dexter and, like, uh, Ego uh, Oh, yeah, well. the teenage Dexter. Teenage Dexter yeah. being, like, quite suggestively, like, being placed in his underwear and, like, yeah. being whipped Whip- by Mandark. <laughs> While you just see, like, all the veins and everything coming out. Oh, of my them. gosh, I forgot about it's, all that. <laughs> it's really fucking gay. Yeah. <laughs> It's a really gay moment. <laughs> oh I, I didn't. Wow, I didn't totally forgot about that. Yeah, the the, the the homosexual subtext in that scene is really strong. I always <laughs> kind of had a thing for Dexter along with Dee Dee. Uh, Jack himself is nearly overwhelmed by the horde of mind-controlled Muppet children when Ashi musters the last of her strength to break free from her restraints and kill the controller and destroy his mind-control device. The resulting shock from the device being destroyed then renders all of the berserk children completely motionless. And this image tears Jack's mind in half. He has failed his mission. He's killed people. And now he has gotten children killed. It all proves to be too much for Jack to handle. And when the dark specter on the horse appears once again, Jack does not resist. Resigned to hopelessness. Jack calmly goes with the specter to his final fate. Except the children were not killed! Ashi comes to the location where Jack chased the kids to and finds them all coming to, finally free from their slavery. But now Jack is gone, and Ashi cannot find him anywhere in sight. And with the end of episode 5, we will take a brief break here, away from Samurai Jack season 5. Don't go anywhere, listeners, we'll be right back. But uh, we'll just uh, refresh ourselves on some water, maybe uh, have a tiny little bit of uh, a snack or maybe some sugar, and then we'll get right back to the samurai action. And you Don't go anywhere. And you at home should get the snack and water and everything and, like, I don't know, like pet a cat and, like, do a, do a backflip. I want to see it. I'll do a backflip. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! There, yeah, there it is. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was dope. You guys missed out. Ah, oh, sick. Did you see that, Lenu? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Pretty sick back <laughs> We'll be right back. Only the Summer of Toonami on Anime Baby. We have come to destroy you. Your search is over. Come and get me. Long ago, he came to us in our time of need. His name was Jack. In stores now. The epic tale of a samurai warrior's battle through time to save the world from total darkness. They called me Jack. Now follow every step of his noble quest with a Samurai Jack Season 1 DVD box set. This two-disc collector series includes the first 13 episodes, plus special features like original art, creator commentary, original animation tasks, and the making of Samurai Jack. So experience the journey of Samurai Jack in stores now. New on CartoonNetwork.com. Develop your skills. Train with the masters. And earn the family sword. 
to Summer of Toonami, where we are talking about Samurai Jack, Season 5. Next up, in Episode 6, Ashi begins her search for Jack, who has gone missing. She travels far and wide, looking for him wherever he might be. But a large portion of this episode shows Ashi seeking leads, and the very people Jack had helped years ago. Though Jack has been inactive for years, the fruit of his kind labors has had a great influence on the world. And this leads to Ashi learning what Jack has done. This is so cool! <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the season right here because I just love the little cameos from like all of the friends Jack has made along the way during this journey. And to be reminded of like all the good Jack has done in the world. And yeah. it's, it almost like plays out like a fallout ending where like you see like all of his good deeds having like paid off. You see, she meet Ashi meets the Woolies, who are among the first people Jack ever freed from their slavery to the Cryptolites. She meets the formerly blind archers who still retain their godlike archery skills and use them to defend the village they found after Jack freed them from the curse of the Black Well. Most interestingly, she happens upon the next generation of ravers that are now led by the elderly Lydia, who all demonstrate to Ashi how Jack freed them from the evil tunes of Skybator, and now practice the dance that Jack improved all those years ago. Yeah. yeah. What do you want with the samurai? I think he's in danger. He needs my help. That was, like, like this is all just cool to see. I mean, one, like, they're having fun. The animators are very clearly having fun 
reanimating some of uh, Jack's past moments. Yes, I love the Even the part where he's like punching out the Cryptolites and like in very graphic fashion this time around <laughs> too, which did happen in that episode. Or even like they, they recreate the exact way Jack saved the blind archers as well. And uh, <laughs> the ravers like in particular made me laugh because now the animators can actually draw them as adult ravers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got like half naked women around dancing and shit. Yeah, you can actually like it's a real rave and not just like uh, hey this is a rave. Though I do remember in uh, the original rave episode they did get away with some like suggestive stuff with uh, Jack's rave outfit. Oh yeah. In particular he has a pacifier yeah. and do you know why uh, ravers have uh, pacifiers? Dropping acid. Yep, so they don't uh, grind their teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but, like, honestly, like, the character design of the, the Ravers is just as good as the original, too. I mean, they were just as, just as creative as, like, the original ones were looking, you know? Yeah. It, and it's cute how they even honor him by yeah, doing, like, yeah. the S symbol as well with their hands and stuff. And, like, the music by Tyler Bates and Joanne Higginbottom also really sells, like, the uh, moment as well, too. Like, and, like, in, in that cute part where, like, they still practice the improv kung fu style dance that yep. Jack made up all those years ago. <laughs> it's such a sweet moment. And seeing Ashi even, like, begin to smile and dance along yeah, with Yeah, she it does the well. dance, too. <laughs> like, holy crap. That was so, that was such, so nice to see. It was, it was great, because it's, like, because um, remember earlier we were talking about how, like, Ashi's, like, intro to the series is, like, the exact reverse of Jack's. It's also is here because like when Jack was thrown in the world of Aku, he hope was always darkening and was always in this like presence of Aku. Now she's always in the presence of Jack and the things Jack's done, and like it's just it's just all of her things are just a mirror to like Jack's journey and how it's been so far. Yeah, she's experiencing all the people that like made him like have a real love for life and yeah. like inspired the, him, you know, and all she's the, being inspired by them. Yeah, all all the hope and stuff that he's put out there and even though he's like losing his mind right now, like he doesn't realize that you, that you did yeah. actually beat Aku in a lot of ways because like Aku was like darkening the sky. Everything was Aku. But, like, look, this is areas where it's you and, like, the things you've done. Like, he created small slivers of, like, happiness in the world that still exist today. Yeah. And, like, even the archers, like, made, like, a statue dedicated to Jack. Yeah, and that's, like, that's not a sneeze. I mean, it's, like, 50 years of, like, people who are free. Like, they were freed from Aku's rule for that long. Like, they didn't get recaptured and back into servitude. Like, like if, if Jack had seen that, I think that would have been, like, the most low thing that could have happened to him. Yeah, maybe they were but, closed chapters in Aku, in Jack's life, but they lived on, and they still honor him to this day. And he had a genuine, genuinely great influence on them. And that hope he put in the world is now influencing Ashi and changing her for the better as yeah. well as she goes out in the world. I also got to point out that 50 years later, EDM music is still just as relevant. <laughs> I think I think with like how awful and oppressed and like like wound down things have gotten, I think people just kind of got stuck on that. And it probably like just generationally is just like a traditional music maybe they're doing. Maybe, that is probably maybe, their, maybe gener- that, their traditional they, music. They have other music that's new, but that's the traditional music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's nice to see it's still, the beats are still jamming all those years later. Meanwhile, someone else begins a trek of his own, none other than Scaramouche himself. Or at least his head. He survives his encounter with Jack, but only by a hair. And with the knowledge that Jack is no, long, no longer has a sword, the little blabbermouth begins a very silly odyssey to reach Aku and tell him the news. 
He makes it to an ocean port, but finds he cannot get on without a body, and that he's been demoted as Aku's most favorite assassin. Number just three. Be- <laughs> number three, just below Death Blow and Da Bomb. But hey, he's better than Gentle Jim. <laughs> just fuck that guy. Nobody likes him. No one likes you, Gentle Jim. Go away. Yeah, but Scaramouche Baby, you've, you've fallen down in the world. It's like, how has it been like, what, two days? <laughs> it's been as long as like Jack and Ashi have been traveling, so it could have been longer. Yeah, it could have been. It, it, it feels like it's been two days, and he just is like, "Nah, you're like number three now." It's oh. not a way to get ahead in life, babe. <laughs> yep, no way like that. He kind he tries to catch a ride on several bodies, but keeps getting captured until he finally finds a perfect body to uh, get onto the ship. A penis-headed man. <laughs> Who must have either the greatest or the worst life possible. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, what is happening with that? Like, I remember seeing that thing and being like, that's not that's not what I think it is. When he pulls Scaramouche off, he says, like, some wizard did that or to him or yeah, something. Yeah, it's like, you're worse than the, the last person who did that did this to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then Scaramouche is just all like, oh, it'll be cool, babe. I'll, I'll pay you back. And he's like, do, 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 do. Whoa, what a freak. Looked like a talking penis. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was a weird word to hear in Samurai Jack. That shocked me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, oh no, here's the penis. That guy either gives the worst or the best head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's all head. <laughs> Would that also count as like Vor if you try to like blow him? Like he just his head? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah, it would be kind of maybe... This is like this is weird to think about. I guess you could like this is a kid, weird conversation. Like a penis that can kiss back. I don't know. This is weird. I, I do remember a funny moment on. <laughs> I do remember a funny moment on Twitter when this aired. I do remember a really funny moment on uh, Twitter when uh, this aired. Live tweeting uh, artist we we all like uh, Steve Yurko. He like uh, tweeted out a screenshot of like uh, the ro- the uh, the guy after he pulled Scaramouche off his head, and he's and he made a caption like. Cartoons are very mature. Mm-hmm. And then, like, immediately after Scaramouche pointed out that he looked at penis, he's like, oh, wow, they actually said penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, they said it. <laughs> uh, some, some decent humor here with Scaramouche in this episode. It's a little weird that, like, Jack's entire, like, future and, like, being, like, killed by Aku is hanging on this one silly character, but the, the, the well, humor hits in parts. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's all in Aku's bag. I mean, like you got like a silly weird villain. It's like an actual threat. Yeah, it makes sense. He even tries to make uh, in a move that's a great callback to when Aku um, pulled the rotary phone. He Scaramouche finds a phone booth on the sailing ship. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this? Like, why is there a why is there like a phone booth Old, here? Old timey payphone. <laughs> that's the kind of sur- ha- that's the kind of surreal joke I love though. Like, they all have cell phones and like. Other means of communication that are way better, but there is a there is a phone booth on this ship. It's a it's a nice little surreal joke that is in line with like the original humor of the series. I oh, like yeah. it quite a bit. But Scaramouche though cannot make a call to Aku before he is accosted by a group of dogs. Uh, one of which is Astro yeah. from yeah. Jetsons. Yeah, <laughs> and the other two dogs actually do kind of look a bit like a uh, Spike from Tom and Jerry and uh, the big dog from Two 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 Stupid Dogs. They oh, do actually. Yeah. Yes, they uh, do. Yeah. I mean, it's also the future, so yeah, I guess Astro would exist out here. Yeah. You know, he finally left the Jetsons after Aku probably killed them. They probably yeah. do exist somewhere out there, though. Yeah, it is. Possibly. Aku, like, never let the utopian society where you don't have to work anymore. <laughs> because happen. he ruined the environment and it caused the water levels to go up. And that created the <laughs> Jetsons society. Yeah, and then they always have to work for Aku. That's what they work for. Yeah, you just you just never saw Aku in the background yeah. there. I bet you Aku like hired Rosie the robot to kill Jack at one point. 
<laughs> Unless Astro actually came from the Talking Dog Society that was in the ruins of, po- of Townsville, which then raises tons of questions about where the Jetsons location could be. <laughs> and that doesn't, like, cover all the other fun, weird cameos of, like, Hanna-Barbera characters throughout the course of Samurai Jack. Oh, I'm so glad that, like, they got Astro in for this one, because no one ever gives cameos to those Hanna-Barbera characters anymore. Yeah. I think that was strictly for Gendy's generation. Because, yeah. like, kids who watched that at the time also had, like, access to Boomerang to, like, watch those old mm. cartoons. And also. those animators got their starts by Hanna-Barbera, too. Yeah. So, and those characters were free reign, because they were working under those companies. Yeah, Warner. They allowed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, I, was re- I always think about the Grim Adventures of Billy Mandy and that episode where they just had Fred Flintstone in it. <laughs> it's just like it's just like the same thing. It's like that that episode was great just because like what? Like it just, still felt almost like too far ahead in time to even happen and yet it did. Yeah, it's like how did you get <laughs> Adam Maxwell, man, he must have pulled a string or something yeah, to get was, Fred in that episode. Like, that show was great. That show went on for a while. I think that that like never really dropped in quality either. Like just no, absolutely not. Stayed good the whole time. Another fun cameo I remember from like the first four seasons is like the, the episode where Jack is uh, going up against like the the uh, husband and wife, former husband and wife, on the train, and just out of nowhere, we just get like an extended like thirty second scene with uh, Quick Draw McGraw and Baba Louie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, they were just in there. a quick little gag about like Quick Draw, like not being wise to any of the crime happening on the train. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Who turned out all the lights? <laughs> Had this there's there's also there was also a gag, um, which I don't even know if this is a Hamburger Bear reference, but like it was uh, it was actually from that the, the the farting dragon episode, which is the one I keep thinking about because I have a problem. <laughs> and they like he's going to the mountain where the dragon is. Like he's like it's like what's to the right? The dragon's lair. And he's like, what happens if I go left? Space Ace. <laughs> <laughs> and there was even a little rim shot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> No, 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 wait, 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 wait. That's a reference to um, um, the, the Don Bluff yeah, uh, game. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I just now got that. <laughs> yeah, I just now got that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's, that's kind of that's a kind of an obscure reference. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I but re- that's good, though. Like, what, what, like, what if I, like, if you go right, you'll find the dragon. What, about, what happens if I go left? Space Ace. <laughs> Space Ah, because, of course, directions and, like, the, which way you went. Yeah, like, it works. The, yeah. That's that's a thinker that that's a thinker that one. Yeah, it is. And I was like, why did you put that? What? Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah there's but, tons uh, of references. Scaramouche uh, pisses off uh, the dogs and, and Astro, and uh, they give him a nice uh, Jetsons welcome by uh, throwing him throwing his severed head <laughs> off of the boat, which that makes me think that Astro he's that happened a little too quickly. Like he must have suggested that. Like I think Rosie went like that. <laughs> <laughs> Head like just ripped off and yeah, just, thrown off the Jetsons building. He's like a, he's like a total like, like crook. He's just like had Rosie as like a, a like cleaning bot. And he's just like every single day he pisses on the floor even though they have a toilet. He knows how to use a toilet. He's just like I want you to clean it. I want you to clean it, Rosie. And then she's just like no. And then she goes against her programming. It's like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this dog. And then she goes kill him. And he's just too strong. He rips. He gets her head in his jaws and rips it off and throws it off the building. No help, Mister J. Wow! <laughs> Lightning strikes and then he throws the rest and of the then, body off. Then he just walks up to her like on all fours and then just lifts his leg up. <laughs> <laughs> and then Elroy watches the whole thing and Astra's like, "We saw nothing." <laughs> 
He must have been he must have been the one really giving orders to Spike in that group there. Yeah. <laughs> the real brains of the operation. But now Scaramouche has to swim all the way to Aku, which I don't know how he's going to do without arms. He can use like his robo tongue to pedal. Oh my god. <laughs> Tonguing his way back to Aku. <laughs> 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 Just give the ocean some cunnilingus on your <laughs> Cunnilingus my way back to our crew. Because <laughs> you know I'm bad, man. <laughs> Gotta work those tongue skills, Scarrow Oh Mish. my god. <laughs> Just like you gave that robot Rosie that one time. <laughs> oh my god. She was quite the dynamite fox, man. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Ashi, she appears to be having a transformative journey of her own. Happening upon a natural spring, she recalls how her skin became pure black. As a child, she and her sisters were thrown into hot coals, and their skin charred, possibly to make them look more like Aku, and to toughen them up. She takes this chance to clean her body of the horrid experience, and makes herself some new garb made of the local tropical flora, making her look like some sort of Peter Pan-esque sprite. <laughs> Not a bad look. It's very cute. I like it. She does look, yeah, she does look quite cute. Yeah. <laughs> and we do get some uh, fan service in here. Just, you know, just kind of waterfalls and plant life kind of Austin Powers blocking uh, butt shots here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of her shapeliness. Mm. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> her last stop brings her to a rain-pelted bar where an ornery bartender tells her to close the damn door. Why, it's none other than the Samurai himself. <laughs> Older and now voiced by Keenan Michael Key. <laughs> uh, who honestly does such a good job as the character that you'd think he was always voicing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, I thought it was the original actor, but like, no, it's someone else. Uh, great to see him again. <laughs> he, he was a lot of fun, you know, the Samurai. Only for one episode he was around, but he made a good impression. It's the look. The look is so amazing. And funky, and like he had the style, and like he was just arrogant. Like, he was a good contrast to Jack. Yeah, there was like, like in that, this whole scene with the, with all the characters at the bar is so, it's, it's great. I have some things about it, I'm like, why? <laughs> but, but everything, everything else is great. Yeah, some weird joke choices that don't entirely work or anything like the screaming like Molly. Well, it's like, like it's like my pro my problem with it is that like Demongo shows up. Yeah, he shows Demongo shows up dead. as all the bar patrons are like uh, like talking about their experiences fighting Jack in the past when Ashi asks about him. Yeah, and then Daimongo shows up at the bar seeking uh, powerful warriors. But then he just makes like a quick backhanded jab about how there are there's no one here that there's happened. no one here worthy of me to take, and then he just walks away. Yeah, it's like why did you even put? A, I thought he died. Now that I know he's alive, now I want him in the show. Yeah, that was it was kind of <laughs> weird bringing yeah. Daimongo back. Like, well, I think to that, and I think like you couldn't have just filled the bar with like other enemies that Jack had fought and killed, or I mean, defeated. Yeah, I mean, like because it's like what's weird about that is that that character's whole thing is that like he died. Like, if he was still alive, he would still be a character in every episode or many episodes. I guess he was crushing Aku's hand, but I guess he just wasn't killed. I mean, it's fine. I can hand wave it that, like, he didn't actually kill him. But, like, that takes, like, so much power away from that moment in the past. Like, the fact that, like, hey, give me another chance. He's like, no, you're dead. I killed you. <laughs> like, that was a great joke and also, like, a great, like, Aku moment. And then, like, now we know he's alive, so that makes me go, what? 
Yeah, I mean, not all the jokes in the scene work too yeah. well. Although I do like the uh, cameo by the uh, the mecha the mech the the mecha Popeye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The mecha Popeye. Like, He's too tough for me. <laughs> you know, again, he couldn't make that Popeye film, but at least he got him in Jack. You see, it was all that spinach. It had too much iron in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get like that. Also, <laughs> Demongo, I'm Bodai the Sailor Boss. <laughs> also, Demongo, you don't Demongo, you don't have any great warriors here. You got Robo Popeye. This guy beats up Bluto on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah what like he's not good enough for you no this guy eats spinach and then you can like fire cannons out of his biceps yeah man Daimongo doesn't know like a good warrior anymore yeah <laughs> i mean it's just like maybe that's why he's coming up to fucking bars it's just, yeah i mean it's like like oh, come on like if we're gonna bring him back that he should be like summoning like old stuff we haven't seen in a while yeah i did like the uh strong uh, backstory that the samurai gives where they yeah. <laughs> they do like a stylish little flashback oh, yeah, to yeah. like his, his prime his, his whole version of it all the moves he could unleash yeah. but then jack came across him one day and taught him how to be a true samurai and when he realized he couldn't live up to that he cut his top knot off and became the bartender of the very bar they met at yeah that feels very appropriate to me that was fun and he, yeah he's like the funniest part of the scene yeah i mean like the, like most of the stuff in the scene's fine Keegan it's michael like, keys like really helps to bring him alive yeah it's really it's really just like demongo is the only thing i have a problem with and like that's it, really. Like, like everything, everything else is like, fine, that's fine. This and he great. also drops some of the first uh, swear words we hear this season. Yeah, because you don't understand. I was a bad-ass samurai. <laughs> like, I, I love those lines from the samurai. <laughs> They're just wonderful. Ashi leaves, but not before she gets an anonymous tip from what looks like a silhouetted brack in a cloak. <laughs> oh, yeah. That she can find Jack in a far-off graveyard. Hey, man, you gotta find a samurai right here. I'm not a samurai. I'm sorry, it's gonna beat me up. <laughs> hey, Brack, have you, told Jack, have you told Ashi about like how to find Jack yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, she knows where to find him. Hey, can you bummer for some money? <laughs> oh, that would be money. too nice. Want to get back to my home planet? money for these rooms or something i don't know <laughs> like can you me. hitch me a ride back to my home planet <laughs> hey everyone it's me thunderclays <laughs> <laughs> oh not this guy again <laughs> look just go down next to the right and you'll find the graveyard okay <laughs> have a nice day yeah yeah screw you man <laughs> <laughs> Look, every time I move, it costs the Cartoon Network $15,000. Yeah. No, 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 it's just like, every time I move this arm, it costs the Cartoon Network 15 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, kept moving his arm like one cycle of animation. Better than working with Space Ghost. Because <laughs> where, is, where is he in all this? Like, didn't do shit about Aku. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Space Ghost. If it's, if, it's, if it's coast to coast. Space Ghost, then, yeah. yeah, probably appropriate. Like, we yeah. all know what Moltar's doing. He's be too busy running Toonami. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Far too busy. <laughs> Ashi makes her way to the graveyard, and she finally finds Jack. Surrounded by the ghosts of samurai past, it finally becomes clear what this is. An execution. Jack has been judged by the ghosts of the samurai before him to be a failure, and the only way to regain his honor is to commit seppuku. Not a fun experience. Holy shit, like, this was, this was shocking. It was one of those, like, clear moments to get to, that, like, him, with Jack following the life of Bushido, then, yeah, if, if he failed in a mission like that, like, and is feeling, like, that low, then, yeah, it would bring him to this. Yeah. A very, a very painful ceremony, by the way, that was yeah. not, that involved, like, disemboweling yourself, and then having your head chopped off. Yep. 
You know, not quite like the uh, the seppuku scene in Dexter's lab with the uh, the ninjas in the newspapers. No, no, he just no, that was... smacks himself in the face. Yeah, that was clearly a little bit of a joke. Yeah, <laughs> the actual like process was a lot more like drawn out. It was. I don't know. I think I'd prefer maybe just like getting it done quick. Yeah, you know, just slice off my head and yeah, just, just get just done. Don't just don't put all these like witnesses in front of me to like watch this. Please don't make me write like a poem before I die. <laughs> yeah. Please don't make me disembowel myself first before you cut my head off. Yeah. That that sucks. <laughs> all of that sucks. That's who sucks. <laughs> Ashi approaches, but the specter that's been following Jack. Who I have to say bears a slight resemblance to Honda Tadakatsu, who was like an actual samurai. Mm. And I say that because Honda Tadakatsu, Tadakatsu did actually wear a set of samurai armor that did have antlers on it. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, Gendi could have maybe possibly borrowed from that. Yeah. A samurai and general of the Edo period of Japan interferes and tells her that Jack's fate is sealed and attacks her. Jack prepares a knife to end his life, surrounded by samurai of ghosts of, like, ghost past. But Ashi calls out to him as she dodges the specter's attacks, pleading to him that she saw Jack's good deeds and their result, that all hope is not lost and that he can be redeemed. Ashi's words reach Jack, and he rebels against the ghosts, slicing through the specter with the knife he was going to use to kill himself, now choosing life. The other ghosts disappear in the face of Jack's resolve. Jack thanks Ashi for what she had done, and he tells her it is time to reclaim his sword. Oh yeah, time for Jack to get his groove back again. <laughs> oh, but it's just nice to see Ashi actually break through to him, though. Yeah, that was yeah. so sweet. It's a good, hopeful moment for Jack. He finally has his hope back in what was, like, his darkest time. And also, yeah. in turn, like, Jack helped her really see the light that Aku is evil and that there is, like, she's gotta follow him to see the good in the world. It's also really interesting about that whole scene, though, like, with the different samurai specters. One of them, I didn't look into this, but, like, one of their helmets just looks like Aku's head. Oh, yeah, I remember. It just just has Aku's face on it. I'm like, is that... Like, who is that guy? (laughs) Could have maybe also just been, like, stylization, too. Well, sure, but it's, Elongated form, you know, to employ, like, dominance. Well, right. It's just very interesting that it looks like, like, exactly like his face. Yeah, it did look a little bit like that. I do recall what you're referring to. It's like, what what is that about? (laughs) Is is that, like, a samurai that worked for Aku? Like, what is that? Yeah, I do recall that. Mm -hmm. Whole scene was just entirely interesting, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's a great ending. Also, all of those samurai have some... Well, actually, I don't remember. I can't say that for sure. The one that was the specter that was trying to, like, get Jack to, like, kill himself had, like, a noose on their neck the whole time. Like, they all... Right, did have some rope, Yeah, like, they... That might have been from the mask, actually. No, that was... It was, like, a noose. It was, like, a knot. Like, like, hold on. Let me look this guy up. Hold on a sec here. I think I do Uh, recall the rope, though. Oh, yeah, there is. There is rope around the neck. Yeah. It, oh yeah, it is shaped like a noose. It's got yeah, like the. It's got the, the the noose like the hanging knot, like whatever that's called. Ah yes. So it it's like there. either that guy was hanged or he just like just hanged, hung. Or is it hanged? Hanged is hanged. Hung is um, something different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was hung, <laughs> like Hangman Page. Yeah. And yeah, and then he just like, I like it. Just it was like it made me think like the, the whole seppuku scene. I was like, so are these all people who failed? Like mm-hmm. and and they're like question. they're like no you should do it too, you should fall into despair with us. We are the specters of all the samurai who have failed our mission. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now it's your time to join our ranks. Right, and it's like and with that like Aku helmet makes me think like was there a samurai that straight up worked for Aku and like just like 
also ended up there or something. Theory. I don't know. It feels like there's more of a story with those guys that you can kind of tell from their designs. Um, that's it. <laughs> you can also read into them as like ancestors of like Jacks too. That's true. He's always had a very spiritual side, Jack. That's mm-hmm. very true. But it's like if like all of the like uh, stuff we've gotten from his ancestors in the past has always been positive, even when he was despairing. Mm-hmm. So it's like weird that these guys would be like this. It's like they're not necessarily. They might not be actually related to him. And if they are. Then like maybe like after gets into the future maybe there was like a resurgence of samurai who tried like <laughs> they tried mm-hmm. to kill Aku and they just like got darker and darker as time went on. But yeah, those are interesting little theories actually. Like, yeah. yeah, I thought I think a lot about those that guy's design because it feels like there's more going on there mm-hmm. than what they show you. But it's all very well executed. Scene. Yeah, it's a great Ashi jumping around pleading with Jack like she she really is truly becoming a friend of his. Yeah, it becomes so strong here. It's great. And the setting, the graveyard, similar to Gra- Jack in the Graveyard. Yeah, Jack in the Graveyard mm-hmm. as well. This one's bathed in like a green, almost ectoplasmic light. It's yeah. really cool and atmospheric. Yeah. Love the whole set design for that. I really did. In episode seven, we begin with a flashback to Jack's past. A day that seemed unlike any other. Jack was on the road once more with his sword at his side, looking for a way back to the past. Climbing his way to a mountain summit, he is aided along the way by three cute little rams. They guide him to the top, where on the ground of the summit is a time portal. No guards, no obstacles. Jack immediately guns for it and throws himself in, but a long shadowy arm reaches right in and pulls him out. Aku just barely beat him to the punch and promptly blasts it to smithereens. To make matters worse, Aku tells Jack that with the destruction of that portal, there are now no more portals left out there for Jack to take to the past, leaving Aku the sole ruler of time. This news sends Jack in a rage unlike any other, with Aku taking his sweet pleasure in savoring the moment of defeat. Jack takes empty slashes at Aku, but as it's always been implied, Aku is far too cautious of Jack and knows his tricks well enough to avoid him. But before he leaves, he casts a curse on the three cute rams, mutating them into strong beasts for Jack to play with before departing. Jack's rage gets the best of him, and he takes things too far when he kills off the innocent creatures that never asked for this. The brief but cruel moment takes Jack aback, and after dropping his sword, he only manages to get one glimpse of it before it bounces outside his reach and falls down into the hole that Aku created. And that was the day that Jack lost, or rather, became unworthy of the sword. Man. (laughs) Yeah. He became unworthy. He lost Mjolnir. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is is that kind of, like, mythological callback with the sword. Yeah, because, like, it is a magic sword. Like, it can actually, like, it basically chooses its its, uh, master, its holder right here. It's a shame it couldn't call a mulligan on this, since, like, Jack was kind of confronted by these creatures, and, like, they were going against their will, but, uh... Then again, I guess I guess maybe you could relate to the idea that, like, in this moment he has truly lost hope in his mission. He's lost hope in, like, his goodness, that, like, anything might good might come from it, and then he's forsaken that. And then that's what makes him forsake his sword, so I guess that works. Even though uh, I'd rather not get into a, ba- a debate about, like, what is more moral than killing humans between animals. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were innocent creatures in the end. Like, yeah. innocent life, and he killed them. Like, and that was wrong. And he, yeah. and he let the rage get the better of him, and he lost hope, 
and that caused him to lose the sword. Yeah, and I remember, like, wasn't there, like, an episode where it's, like, you can't, like, actually hurt someone who's, like, pure or something with a sword? So, like, was that, like, him being messed up able to make it that, that, make that happen? Like, like he became unpure or yeah, something? Yeah, because uh, in the episode where he fights Aku in the graveyard, Aku gets the sword and, like, he tries to stab him, but he can't because, like, he can't, sword can't kill anything that's pure good. Unless it can't be used in, like, good... It can't be used by, like, evil hands to, like, kill good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. I kind of always interpreted it more like that. Yeah. But, yeah, this is definitely, like... Like, it's very interesting. Like, there's something very smartly done about this where, like... Because when I, when I watch the old stuff, like, Samurai Jack, like, he does all these good things and he never really, truly revels in what he's done. No. He just moves on. And he never really, like, it never feels like he's present for the actions he takes. So, like, this being where he ends up makes total sense. Like, even if it's, like, even if you have, like, some things that have to be hand-waved, it's like, no, it, it makes sense that he would be like this. Like, when he finally finds out he can't go back to the past. Because, like, when you in your mind know that every single event that's happening is only happening because you didn't go back. You didn't do this thing. And you can go back and fix it. It's like, now it's just everything becomes mundane. It's like, no, no, I'll do all the right things, but I need to get... I still need to go to the grocery store and get this thing finished. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I, I, well, this will be important later. And he never really sits with the idea that, like, it does matter that he went to the future and all these things do matter. But, like, with this moment, like, he's completely at the end of his, like, of his journey now. He's like, there's no more places for him to go back anymore. Aku basically wins, and like he, and then he, in a moment of rage, he like just kills some people who didn't deserve it. And it's like, yeah, yep, okay, that's that. That makes sense that he would just start like falling off the deep end at this point. Yeah, I can believe this. I also, can't, I actually keep wondering if like maybe if instead they floated the idea of having like humans guard over this portal and then yeah. he killed the humans. But, but I guess they wanted to save with that scene with the, the, the daughter. Yeah, yeah I, I think to, they wanted to like save that. More they wanted later. to build up to that, which makes sense. Like having it just be something innocent. Because normally, in the, in, if it was old Samurai Jack, he would have found a way to get him turned back or something. Mm-hmm. Or, like, maybe get them in prison so they're not hurting anybody or something. He'd find some other way around it, and he just didn't even try. Yeah, they had to make it work like that yeah. somehow. Also, I gotta bring up, like, Aku just being a cheeky bastard right here with, like, Jack. Jack is just, just so pissed, and Aku's all like, so much stress will give you a heart attack. What am I saying? Please continue. Never mind what I say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Greg Baldwin still is great. Just like hamming it up as like Aku here. Gloating. <laughs> Please, just have a cardiac arrest right in front of me. It's cool. I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, wait. Look right here. I have some heart medication. <laughs> Why don't you jump after it? It just takes... He just takes heart's mitts out of nowhere. And just throws it away and goes like, oh, they're gone. Too bad. They were grape flavored. <laughs> I guess you became unworthy of them. Just like with your sword. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jack wraps up the story to Ashi and they both travel by flying creature to the exact spot where Jack lost his blade. However, upon inspecting the incredibly deep hole, they discover it's nowhere to be found. Jack reasons that it may not have been just stolen, but rather he became unworthy of wielding it. And he just needs to prove his worthiness to wield it again. So Jack sits atop the summit and meditates, while Ashi stands guard and protects him. 
An intuition that proves to be justified is just as Jack enters his meditative trance, an army of brutish orc-like warriors marches its way onto the path of the mountain. Ashi attends to them the only way she knows how. Hold it! Where do you think you're going? Up the mountain to kill the samurai! What's it to you? I'm going to stop you. What do you say? Something about a squirrel. I love squirrels! Is it lunch already? So a little thing like you is gonna stop this whole army, huh? Yep. We're gonna rip you apart in a bunch of pieces, and then we're gonna take those pieces and rip them apart into even more pieces! I'm waiting. <clears throat> it does not take much for Ashi to quickly lay waste to the army. <laughs> With her bare hands, no less. In quite brutal fashion. Yeah, she she made no vow that like, like Jack or anything. Yeah. <laughs> like her hands are rated E for everyone. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> I, I love that she grabs the dude and just like pushes him to the crowd. That is like the best. Like pushes the soldiers like off the like off the cliff like she mows them all down and like just like steamrolls them all off the path and like they all go crashing onto spears. Yeah, she's like breaking off spearheads and like chucking them at pe like the soldiers right in their heads. Like it's actually quite brutal. They're all like, "Oh, mate, we're fucking dead," because <laughs> they all have like those Cockney accents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jack has centered himself and is seemingly pr projected into an idyllic dreamlike realm where he travels across pretty vistas and waters to reach a hut where a monk resides inside. A very pretty sequence, honestly. Oh, I love the... Jack trying to center himself. Oh, that's, yeah, that sequence is really like, nice. The astral journey he's taking to reclaim his sword right here. It's gorgeous looking. Good job, Scott Wills, on these backgrounds. Given that monks were central to the creation myth behind Jack's sword, this is not too surprising of a development that he would have to get his sword back from another monk. Yep. The monk asks Jack to make him some tea, and Jack carefully performs a tea ceremony. Tea ceremonies are quite relaxing, I gotta say. I have done one in college once before. Whenever I see a tea ceremony in like any show, especially like an anime, like they always manage to like get every single aspect of it right and just like make it look so good. The one, the one thing I do remember that, aside from it being relaxing, is that my legs hurt from kneeling, <laughs> and the tea was also very bitter. <laughs> There's like a that reminds me of like a great bit in an episode of Sailor Moon where they attend a tea ceremony, and Usagi's just like her legs are so numb that when Chibi Usa, Chibi Usa punches her in like the foot, she just immediately just starts convulsing like everything hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you, you do kind of need some stamina on your legs to do that, <laughs> lest your legs fall asleep. <laughs> Outside the vision, Ashi has laid waste to the entire army. But before she can rest, she senses another presence making its way up the mountain. She reaches the top to discover that her mother, the High Priestess, has taken Jack's assassination into her own hands. She chides Ashi for being weak and betraying Aku when Ashi fires back that she was the one lied to all these years. Mother? I knew you would fail us. You were the strongest, but the most unfocused. Always distracted, questioning everything. But all that can change. You can still honor our Lord Father. Destroy the samurai, Ashi. 
No. You were wrong about everything. Jack showed me the truth. Then you too will die. The two engage in combat, the High Priestess proving to be more than a match for Ashi, as she unleashes arrows and knife in a flurry of attacks, Ashi just barely being able to keep up. But just as her mother is about to stab Jack, Ashi tosses an arrow with enough force to pierce her mother's abdomen and send her hurtling off the cliffside. Dang, Ashi, welcome to the good side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can I bring up the fact that uh, Mother here, she has some cake. <laughs> like, there's a quick shot where we see her ass right in the screen, and it's very, very voluptuous. <laughs> like, it made me go, whoa, I'm just like, whoa, what the hell? Hey, that's what training to kill Jack will get you. Yeah, yeah. You big glutes. Lots of thighs. <laughs> I mean, but it's a well-choreographed scene, yeah. too. Like, very good, like, mm -hmm. a very good, like, for... Very good fight choreography between the two. Yeah, it's a really yeah, good it's, fight. It's a great scene, and it, and it does have that tension, and it feels like the final blow is, like, maybe, maybe not actually accidental, maybe. Like, it's like, I'm just trying to, like, struggle against you, and maybe I killed you by accident, maybe I killed you on purpose, I don't know. And it's, like, it's really good. But it's a big decisive act for Ashi, though. Yeah. And I just love how, like, moving forward, she just doesn't... She, she just, finally doesn't have those ties anymore. She she's does, free. She just never mentions it. <laughs> that that was huge. I didn't realize that when first time I watched it. I was like, she never talks about this. He is in a <laughs> trance, and she never... She, you can see the army and everything. She never brings up that she just, just killed her mom. <laughs> like, while he was asleep. I'm like, wow. Ah, you put that behind you quick. Uh, yeah, just, really. Your mom like, really must have meant nothing to you. I mean, after all that, yeah, I mean... Sure. <laughs> also, I gotta say, uh, Tara Strong versus uh, Gray Griffin here. Battle of everyone's uh, classic cartoon voice actor waifus here. <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that would be. I mean, I prefer Gray over Tara, but still. <laughs> Frankie versus Bubbles. Frankie versus Bubbles. <laughs> Jack completes the tea ceremony, but the monk says the tea is quite terrible. Jack is confused as he thought this would be enough. But the monk tells him that only Jack can pave the way to his sword. Jack's inner turmoil rebukes this, demanding the answer to the sword. But Jack finally realizes that it was his inner rage that was preventing him from acquiring the sword. This is terrible. Really? Yes. Yes. Quite terrible. This tea has all the necessary ingredients, but it lacks the most important one. Balance. I see why your path to the sword remains clouded. This isn't the path? I don't understand. Then you must show me the way. I cannot. It is not for me to show you your path. That's fortune cookie nonsense. He knows where it is. He just won't tell you. Please, you must tell me. That is something you must earn. After everything we've done, everything we've been through! The death, the loss, the suffering. Who are you to deny us what is rightfully ours? Enough. We have lost the sword because of you. I have kept us alive! He's the one who has taken it from us. He knows where it is! No. I've let you consume me for far too long. You're in my way. 
You are the one who has kept the past hidden. Your anger, your frustration. You're a fool! You have blinded us, but now I can see. You need me! Now you are balanced. Jack finally rejects the anger and frustration he has felt within all these years and achieves true balance for the first time in years. And with that, he is finally worthy yet again. He is transported in front of the three gods that worked together eons ago to forge the sword that was granted unto his father. I believe it is Odin, Ra, and Rama, yep. I believe. They deem him worthy yet again and zap him into his old clothes, give him a shave, and bestow him the magic sword. And classic Jack has returned. Hell yeah. <laughs> Old school. It might be a point to remark here on like uh, the way in which Jack's design has also changed, because he does not look the same anymore. As yeah, he, he doesn't. I noticed they lighten up his skin tone mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, he's also rendered as a lot more taller and slimmer as well. They've kind of smoothed out his features a little bit. Yeah. He has more of like a defined chin now, too. Yeah, he yeah, does, kind of. Before, he had more of just a square jaw. Yeah, yeah. There was no, like... Yeah, like the Professor Utonium jaw here. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah, they, they really kind of like smoothed out his, uh, his design a little bit. I always like feel like he looks like quite a bit taller in all the scenes. <laughs> That's the one thing I always kind of know. A bit leaner too. Yeah, a bit leaner as well. Yeah, I can definitely sense that. It's not, it's, it is a good redesign though. Yeah. It keeps all of like the, the good qualities of the original for sure. Although I will say it's it's a little it's a little corny that they put him back in his old robe and give him a shit haircut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was kind of dumb. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. It was like you can he doesn't like why why would they shave him? Like <laughs> He can just do that himself. He can just like put together you can just have a whole scene where he puts together his old ensemble himself. Yeah, he, like he goes and puts on his old stuff because it reminds him of it, like that'd be better. And like, then, like the the gods have like the the piccolo clothes beam powers. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a, a corny, a bit of a corny moment, I will admit. But hey, Jack is finally redeemed. Jack returns and meets up with Ashi, thanking her for protecting him. When she asks him what is next, Jack only says one thing: Aku. Episode eight opens on a shot of a giant black monolith shaped ship hurtling through space heading for a crash landing on Earth. And guys, have you noticed one thing about Jack and Ashi over the course of the series? Starting to get a little uh, chummy, shall we say. Yeah, they're um, <laughs> they're getting kind of close to each other, aren't they? You know, yeah. you, get, you get nice little moments of them in this market buying bugs from Walrus Zoidberg. Oh yeah, I forgot about Walrus Zoidberg. <laughs> they, get on, they get on this little transport bus and uh, Ashi's all like, huh, something's poking me. And I'm yeah. all like, Hey. Yeah, but then it point, point pans down. And it's like, oh, it's his sword. It's not, it's not his boner, or as Sharamu should say, penis. Guys, I think it's time to get romantic. <laughs> I like the, I like that scene with all the tiger guys in. The... Yeah, like... Jack, Jack and Ashi are now traveling across the uh, desert, presumably to. Kill Aku? Is that the plan? Yeah, they're taking a bus uh, to Aku or yeah. a, a shoe get... puff. Actually, it looks like a shoe oh, puff. Oh yeah, yeah, it's like a shoe puff. Yeah. But I guess they're now, like, traveling to kill Aku, and then what? Like, they don't really define well, like, what they're trying to do from this point on. Yeah, yeah. kill Aku. And I kind of don't like that too much. Like, Maybe that should have been a little... That. that path should have been defined a little bit more, I think. Yeah, it, it seems like they're, they're, they're heading towards Aku for some reason, and then the... 
They have to go through some wacky stuff to get over to his house. So we're going <laughs> to kill him and then what? Like, Be home in time for tea. Yeah, we're going to kill him and then make a, make a cool... Yeah, this stretch of their journey is not too well defined, I will admit. Yeah. I think it could have used a little bit more defining. But yeah, they, they catch a ride on a giant uh, shoe puff-like creature in a desert, and they're traveling in like a big cabin full of like these tiger-looking guys with letters on their bodies <laughs> yeah. and as they're arranged in like the uh, the cart as they're going by and jack and ashi are all pushed up against each other oh, pardon me the letters like all spell like words like death die like kill and then like that great pullback is like jack realizes they're like in trouble and it says die and they spell out die samurai jack yeah no they're they're german it says the Samurai Jack. <laughs> ah, the Samurai Jack. <laughs> I understand now. Totally innocent. You know, they're just pointing him out. No, they start attacking them immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it gets, and it, you have yourself a cute little fight scene, although... Uh, hands are touching. The hands are, like, touching oh, yeah. each other. I laughed really hard when they've, like, punched a tiger dude in the face and the t- hands, like, touched, their fists touched, and they were like, oh, no. It's like, I've never seen that. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I, sh- I shouldn't have touched you. you like, grabbing uh, each other's no. hips and stuff. Like, oh, I mean, I, d- I didn't mean to do that. They're getting really close in this boss fight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they finally escape their uh, pursuers and manage to uh, fling themselves safely off of the uh, giant beast by swinging on its reins. But uh, now they find themselves trekking through the desert. Yeah, that was right. They like accidentally like threw themselves off. They were not trying to do that, and they ended up. Oh crap! Now we're stuck. <laughs> like, but it proves to be a nice and relaxing time for them, allowing Jack and Ashi to bond a bit further and take in the world, like getting a drink at an oasis, and Jack even teaching Ashi how to make a uh, casa out of like tropical leaves. Yeah, yeah he brought that I back. That. And I love how it was like the leaves were like a red color. That was so cool. Given that they only have so much time in the series to like establish their relationship, something like that goes a long way. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah, they didn't have a lot of time. And that part is like another aspect of Jack's like whole outfit that uh, doesn't really get a whole lot of like recognitions. I would say. Yeah, the straw hat straw. that he wears a lot. It's super funny though, is that like they gave him back his old look, like the gods did. And they didn't give him a stink. <laughs> like they shaved him and did his hair up, but they didn't give him a hat. They didn't want a man wearing a basket on his head. Make, <laughs> make your own. Well, Scotsman was right. You look silly wearing a basket on your head. Jack looks up after all that, and he's like, "What? No hat? <laughs> I, I believe I had a hat. Look <laughs> yourself, asshole. <laughs> yeah, you got to make that hat." Just you got like, hands. Use them. Yeah. We gave you everything else. Screwing me over again, just like those monsters of set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they seem to actually be having a nice time. Certainly the most fun and relaxation Jack has known for years. Well deserved. But it doesn't last for long, as they are eventually hit by a sandstorm. And without much recourse, they decide to seek shelter in a nearby structure. This structure happens to be the spaceship that crash-landed in the opening. Inside, they find the ship empty derelict with no survivors they determined from the insides that it must have been a prison of some kind but before they can investigate further ashi is bitten by a blue leech-like creature they get it off and jack sucks what appears to be venom from ashi's leg hey. <laughs> <laughs> sorry a little suggestive That's a yummy cle- green kool-aid you got and it soon becomes apparent from a far-off screech that they are not alone they escape further into the cavernous ship until they are confronted by the foe, a hulking mass of leeches that coalesce into a bipedal monster. Speaking of someone who has like an actual like physical phobia of leeches, that hits that right mark here for this, <laughs> yeah. for this scary monster. 
this 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 is my worst nightmare. It is pretty gross. It's like a swarm of like parasites that make a big parasite body. It's like mm. bit of a demon tower from Kingdom Hearts here. Oh yeah, a bit of that, or even like that a uh, giant hulking um, like creature from Princess Mononoke. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, corrupting influence, parasitic. Mm-hmm. Ooh, creepy. They try to fend it off, but find it too difficult as it can surround them with its many smaller leeches. They cause a distraction and avoid it for the time being, and they manage to come across a room with a glowing red light. Stepping in, they find a guard armory with weapons and a computer that informs them of the prisoner that's chasing them. It doesn't convey much useful info, but it does supply them with a disc-like device that can disable the creature, though Jack doesn't know how to operate it. Ashi arms up with a double blade and a riot shield, and they go off to confront the monster. Kind of sick, actually. <laughs> I do like the bit where, like, Jack is, like, trying to understand the directions on how to use this, like, little disc Roomba thing. But then, like, Ashi fires off a gun, and then that causes Jack to, like, miss vital information. Yeah. <laughs> like, Sorry. And it yeah, And yeah. it doesn't replay it. It just is like, nope, that's it. We play one time and you're He's not a tech-savvy guy. Oh, no, I know. It's just, like, it's just funny that it just, like... <laughs> it just won't, it's just like, okay, here's how you use this. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out, idiot. <laughs> in a very good fight scene, they trade off between each other, fighting the monster while trying to figure out the device. But the monster is too crafty, and with every slice of Jack's sword, it just reforms its body for more leeches. Embarrassingly, its leeches manage to attack Ashi and dissolve her clothes with her venom, <laughs> rendering her naked. Ashi, I can see your whatnots. I can see your curly parts. <laughs> oh my god. He does have a cute little moment of being flustered, like, yes, but you, you, you don't have any clothes, and uh, private things are private. <laughs> great acting by Philomar here. Oh, yeah, he, he's never played a flustered Jack before, so like he did a great job there. <laughs> You're naked! Like, oh, boobies! <laughs> oh, no! I haven't seen boobies in forever. The 50-year-old virgin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, they look like bags of sand. <laughs> I love sand. <laughs> I love how it gets everywhere. <laughs> a flustered Jack tries to clothe Ashi in his robe, also kind of rendering him a little naked in yeah. his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can not be naked, but I can be naked. <laughs> I'd get my abs out. <laughs> yeah. But they are soon surrounded by humanoid figures the monster creates from its leeches. Jack finally manages to trigger the device, and before they are both devoured by the horde, screaming, and let out suggestive screaming, the device electrocutes all the individual leeches, killing the monster and rendering the two unharmed. In the aftermath, the two hyperventilate, finally safe. And after what one may presume to be a charged and exciting experience, Hard cut to Jack and Ashi embracing and making out. <laughs> Everybody needs somebody somewhere. <laughs> that was like, that song was so freaking jarring. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, Dean Martin playing out of nowhere. I'm like, you don't, you didn't have to do that. I mean, that's like funny, but what? Like, I, I, I just thought that moment should have just had like no very soft music or, or no music this, having that song was really weird Giddy pay, paid a nice little favor to uh, uh, Christopher McCulloch and Doc Hammer to borrow Copycat from the Venture Brothers <laughs> yeah. to, to sing this little this little ditty <laughs> I mean they got uh, Stefan Stefano for this series from the Venture Brothers mm-hmm. so okay. why not Copycat <laughs> yeah. you know funny enough like uh, 
this song, like, I only ever heard it in one other TV show, and that was uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, <laughs> an episode where, like, uh, Will and Jazz get into a fight and they're no longer friends, but then Will starts to miss Jazz, and then Carlton notices this, so he picks up the phone, you know, prompting Will to call up Jazz, and he goes, Everybody loves somebody sometimes. <laughs> Everybody needs someone. It's true. And then we get we cut to like a, a blue screen montage of Will and Jazz, you know, spending time together, running on the beach uh, in France with little berets and pipes, and then going on a teeter totter in the middle of the desert in front of the, of, of the pyramids. <laughs> oh my God. Then they're sitting on a bench with a couple of fly honeys, and then they all disappear, and Will's sad, and the crowd goes, aww. <laughs> yeah, it's a jarring and very horny cut. Yeah, and I love and that music it, playing. It's it's like it's never anything that's happened in Samurai Jack. Before. And I love how it fades to black, but then it cuts right back saying like, "No, you just saw that. Here it is again." In the original broadcast, it did that. Yeah, in my on my DVDs, it, it cuts that out actually. Oh, it's on the HBO Max version. They kept the uh, the cut out and they cut back in. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that might. I wonder if that was maybe like a money, uh, time saving like effort or something. Maybe. Probably, so they can just like don't have to pay for the song and like repeat, and they could just play the regular jacket and credits. Pulling back to that though does kind of like punctuate the moment. Like, yes, Jack finally got some. Yeah, after the, uh, how many assassins were actually were gonna be his girlfriend or whatever. Like he always falls for his assassins. There was like the that one lady who kept hitting on him on the train. And then there was Aku, <laughs> yeah. um, Jack and the Warrior Woman. Um, there's another one. I just can't remember. <laughs> Aku pulled the Rule 63. <laughs> yeah, it did. Looking a bit like uh, like uh, one of the characters from like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of like that. I I always thought that was great because like that episode, like where Aku does that, like Aku like really completely fabricated an entire life for this character. Yeah, he did, and it made it very like what. And then at the end, you find out it's him. It's like, wow, you went through all, really? <laughs> like, it's a good. It's a good thing you didn't get to like third base or anything. Yeah, like, yeah right. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, like, what if they like went? How far were you gonna go, Aku? Like, all the way. You're like, all the way for the samurai. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it did lead to like a bit of a uh, this. This kind of cemented one of the more uh, controversial moves, though, of like this uh, final season. Jack finding love. A lot of people did not like that. Yeah, there's... Which, uh, this is sort of like the crux of the rest of the season right here. Jack falling in love with someone, and that's what kind of gives him hope to go forward from here. Yeah, I mean, it's like after all of that stuff that he went through, like having a relationship, it's like, I feel like it's the right move to make generally like after everything he's like that's happened to him it's like just just let just let the man have a relationship that's like some semblance of normal because everything else he's ever done has just been like ridiculously weird like super like just like a lot of dark things he's had to do and deal with and it's just like he has to do it alone the whole time no one's ever like truly really knows him and he's just like he's and because of that he's become like myth so it's like just let, just let the guy have it's fine. He's still it's fine. he's still a person underneath all that. Yeah. He has like yeah. personal needs. Just, just well. let him be happy. Yeah. Like I, I am one hundred percent alright with this. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. There's some there's some things I've Yeah, there is some issues here. The 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 one issue I have with this angle, and it's sort of like the larger problem we're gonna get in here that I I kinda couldn't deny when I rewatched all of this, which is that uh, a good chunk of like the a good sh- chunk of what happens from this point on 
is kind of cliched for like a series like Samurai Jack to do. Yeah. yeah. Like love, he falls in love and love is what sets him free and like he feels better because he got a girlfriend. It's like, I'm sorry, but this has been done before. And oh, I, yeah. I just kind of expected something a little different from Gendy Tartakovsky. Yeah, it's um like yes, from a character standpoint, it makes sense for Jack. He has been a lonely character for much of his life. No one has ever really understood him. I like the angle you brought up about like him being like a man of myth, but no one understands the person underneath. Yeah. Like that works. But it's with how much time they have to get this relationship over and how fast it goes, and how like they don't really do anything new or different with it, like it's like I just expected more from it. Yeah, yeah. I, like if there I were more episodes after this episode to like flesh things I, out a little bit. Yeah, I feel like this problem just would have been fixed if we had two more episodes. Right. Just two more, and then just like one of them is just them hashing out how this is gonna work as a relationship. Yeah, that could have also assuaged my other uh, problem too. That uh, they don't really discuss the plan going forward. Yeah, and then like just that whole aspect of it, and just like the. Like, you know, she can actually decompress on, oh, I just killed my mom. <laughs> that would have been the thing that needed to happen. Or you can convey that through, like, different stories and, like, visual storytelling, too. Yeah, and then, like, just that in general and, like, some... And, like, even, like, I, even with, like, all the stuff I love about the Scotsman that happened, I feel like there should have been, like, an episode that was, like, just the Scotsman. Like, like not, like, he, he's not his story, but it really feels like there should have been a whole... Like, you can see what he's going up to. Because yeah. he just said he's going to build an army. Yeah, because, like... Like, yeah, Ashi is, like, a person that we're they're trying to show is, like, this is a person who really knows Jack. But it's like, but what about his friend? <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. what about that guy? Like, he knows him pretty good. I would think he would after these 50 years in some way. Yeah, like, like they could have given this, rather than 10 episodes, maybe... 15, possibly, if they right. could scrounge up the budget yeah. for five more. Yeah, I can understand that, definitely. And maybe lengthen the, lengthen the finale, but we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get it would have but... strengthened the finale. It would have strengthened a lot of elements in it, but I think they just... It did feel like towards the end here, these last three episodes, they're just like, they're trying to get to the... They're just trying to get... They're trying to get, kind of get to the whole point. We have two episodes left. Two yeah. all. Yeah. Like, the first seven episodes were paced perfectly, and then after that, it kind of goes into speed run mode here yeah yeah it's it's a weakness of uh, this final season for sure yeah so yeah but yeah i kind of like yeah I, I had to come back to that angle that like not i did not like everything about samurai jack season five and it mm. could use some tweaking yeah which is not easy for me to admit because i do respect gendy a lot and you never um, want to like say anything bad about like no nah, of course your not. heroes you know yeah i mean like i said like it's it's like it's overall very good. It's just like that. Yeah, because I still like way. I still like Jack and Ashi together. I like Ashi. Yeah, like, the they're, cute, they're cute is together. Very good. They're cute together, and they do have some like in the scenes we do get of them together. They do have that that chemistry. And even though the stuff coming up like soon here is like kind of cliche, like it's still fun. It's still cool. Yeah, it it's, works. I'm fu- I'm fine with it. It still it's makes like, sense from a storytelling standpoint for Jack. Like, yeah, it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. The penultimate episode 9 immediately picks up with the two recoiling from each other and awkwardly trying to rationalize the heated moment of passion they just had. <laughs> like, yeah, I know we just made out, but, like, that was... Like, that that, that was an accident. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it was an accident. It got, like, bug juice on me, and it made me horny. And the bug juice is the reason I'm so horny that you're covered in the bug juice. <laughs> you understand that there's too much bug juice? No, we can never just be like... I, I'm, 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 I'm like... 
really into you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a grown man, 50 years past my actual age. I've never felt the touch of another woman. <laughs> <laughs> so this was just a lot for me to process. <laughs> I don't really know the I like the inner workings of sex, but I have an idea. <laughs> you use your sword like this. And you put like, the sword in the <laughs> hole, right? And then she's like, Jack, I liked it. <laughs> and it's like, aww. Don't worry, Jack, I don't know the inner workings of sex either. <laughs> We're both really good. I was burned by coal as a child and trapped in like a cave. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you were like true. cooked like a freaking, like on a George Foreman grill and then like forced to like walk around in the dark for like years. What? But I saw these deer <laughs> snog with each other once and so yeah. I kind of know like I saw Bumby's mom with her dad. <laughs> Bumby's mom. With her, with her husband. <laughs> But in the end, they can only smile and be happy for each other. They gleam an opening in the prison, and Jack goes outside while Ashi looks for replacement clothes. She nabs an old prison outfit that makes her look pretty cute, honestly. It is cute. Well, Jack uses a stream of water from the ship to wash himself. Either sexy. that or it's just gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> he gets, like, a sexy shower scene here. And Ashi's all like, yeah. <laughs> look at those rippling muscles. As he's just being covered in petrol. Yeah. He's like, this smells weird. <laughs> oh, well, it gets me clean. <laughs> and of course, the, the fan service this season goes both ways, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Spreading the love. Ashi cops a look at that ass before leaving Jack his clothes. And after getting himself arranged, he looks at his reflection in the side of the ship and frowns. He speaks to his former self in the mirror, who warns Jack to be careful. And Jack says he's never felt like this before, and does not know what to do. Jack and Ashi make a fire outside in the desert and try to go back to normal, but between the terrible-tasting animals in the desert and what transpired before, they find it hard to make conversation. <laughs> Both of them still trying to process uh, what kind of happened, because they're not new to this thing. Ashi breaks the silence and asks Jack if he ever thinks of home. And he tells her of his life as a child, living with his father and mother in a great imperial palace, watching the seasons go from snow to beautiful cherry blossoms. It was a dreamlike time of his life that was stolen by Aku, and that he believes now only exists as a memory. Jack, do you ever think about home? Every day. My family. My home. All of it. My father was the emperor, so we lived in the palace overlooking the whole village. It was so high up in the air that it touched the clouds. I would just stare out at the beauty of the seasons changing. The summer sun blanketed the valley with long, beautiful shadows. The fall leaves brought a bounty of color. Winter was so white. And the cherry blossoms in the spring Was there a girl? Yes, many. Oh, wait. I, you mean a girl. No, no. I was only eight when Aku came. And then everything. Jack, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. It is nice to remember the time before Aku. 
which is the only way I will ever see it again, is a memory. Ashi even asks if there was a girl, to which Jack funnily denies. They retire for the night, but surprisingly when Ashi awakes, Jack is nowhere to be found, and she angrily knows why. That's such a sad flashback for Jack right there. Yeah, yeah. Really trying to process his emotions for, like, what he's, like, actually lost and realizing, like, it's all gone. It all just exists as memories now. And, like, one of the few times he actually really talks about his mother and father. That's true. He doesn't ever really tell anybody. We've seen flashbacks, but he's never actually had to explain it to yeah, anyone. Yeah. He's personally. Because yeah, he's yeah, never known anyone personally. Yeah, like we that. just said that as a viewer are, are the only ones who are privy to, like, his past. He's never actually, like, told anybody about it. It's, it's a good moment of emotional honesty yeah. from Jack. Yeah. Also, if there was a girl, there I mean, there was technically that one girl he met in the wheat field chasing the grasshopper before... Oh, that the, doesn't count. Before yeah, he that's... met Lone Wolf. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she gave him a smoochy smooch on the cheek. <laughs> I mean, sure, but that was like... Puppy love. Yeah, I was like, hey, yeah, I'm a little kid and we're running around. Doesn't Jack, like, you kind of say, like, my mother? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there was no girl. Besides, that girl's probably dead right now. <laughs> probably crushed by a falling building during Aku's initial invasion. Yeah, Aku was like, what is this? The samurai's little girlfriend. I'm going to turn you into bees. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> my guy. And then he goes, won't you be mine? <laughs> and he just disappears. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of humor, Scaramouche, meanwhile, finally arrives at Aku's oh, right. tower. <laughs> but he, he only finds a funny talking standee yep. that plays a recorded message of Aku, saying that he no longer takes visitors. Who the fuck would walk all the way out to this field to find this, like, little yeah. standee? Can you imagine, like, the friggin', like, like president of everything that exists is, like, you can just come and visit me. And then you get there, and it's, like, a freaking jack-in-the-box. <laughs> and it's just, like, it's just, like, welcome to Aku's house. I'm not gonna come out. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Candy Grand for Aku. Just ridiculous. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so funny. He laughed so hard at that. Uh, but Scaramouche won't take coming such a long way for nothing, so he sneaks his way through a secret passage into the tower and calls down to Aku. The demon reluctantly rises up to hear him, almost like a kid coming out of bed, like, What? Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait till tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And Aku is finally informed that Jack has lost his sword. He initially doesn't believe it, and even pre like cruelly presses his thumb down on Scaramouche's head, yeah, saying like, "Are you sure?" And then when Scaramouche finally assures him, Aku is very quick to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "What joy!" Oh yeah, <laughs> do, 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 do. yeah, yeah. And he restores Scaramouche's body to full. Yeah, using and then his they magic. both start dancing. Like, I am alive. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Do, 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 do. do. And they start crappily dancing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Aku's like, I have purpose again. Finally. Check out my hardcore dancing moves. I'm inventing yeah. twerking. <laughs> I'm inventing twerking. <laughs> Girls will do this to robots in the future. I learned this from Symbiotic Titan, a show I canceled. Ah! Shake it, bake it, booty, quake it. Yes, roll it around. Don't roll it around. It. <laughs> and Arcus is all like, no. <laughs> 
Fool! <laughs> he like just blows him up with a laser eyes. My dancing was sexy! <laughs> and I know it. I work out. <laughs> Cutting back to Jack, he is back to his old life, wandering all alone. Though it's more confusing than ever as to why now. He stumbles upon a familiar sight, though. A graveyard of destroyed robots and slain foes. After traversing the massive battlefield and coming upon a pair of shattered red glasses, he realizes it is the former grounds of the Guardian, the blue-skinned, morpheus-looking guy that guarded one of the only time portals years ago. It seems Aku, however, finally got to him. I suppose that was the mighty warrior he was waiting for all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that also feels like a, a thread that Gendy felt was probably pressured to like close up on. Yeah, well, like what happened? Like what happened to that portal? Because that was yeah. the one Jack couldn't get to. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was like the one. Because like that one's like, like it was built up, like it was like planted to be like a thing later. And it, like Jack, you were going to be Conan, the yeah. king, <laughs> later on. Yeah. Like it was your destiny to come back here and be worthy of, to go back in time. Yeah, and none, none of that happened. And then it's just like, oh well. I guess he just Aku just showed up and was like, "Ha ha, it's me, Jack." Ah, I guess Aku was the one who was destined to use that portal. <laughs> yeah, he used that time portal to go back in time and and kill him three times. Man, to have seen that fight. <laughs> yeah, right. I would have liked to see that, like, like see him. The Guardian's last stand. Yeah, because the Guardian, he was no pushover. He was like one of Jack's toughest opponents. Yeah, he kicked Jack's ass. Yeah. Uh, like, man. I, I, and even he wasn't, and even he couldn't like stop Aku. Yeah, I had a feeling he probably wouldn't be able to beat Aku, but it's like still like you should be able to. Like, I want to see that fight. Like, how did you lose to him? Like, <laughs> I thought it would have been a stalemate. Ashi catches up to Jack and demands to know why he left her behind. He tells her to go back, but she wants to understand what he's going through. He explains that after many decades, he has seen so many good people get taken away from him by Aku leaving him only with memories of what he once had. He doesn't want her to be a memory. <laughs> Ashi denies this and instead assures Jack that whatever they may face, they will do so together from now on. But the moment is cut short by a familiar voice. Aku. <laughs> Jack and Aku finally meet once again after many, many years. Aku mocks Jack by saying that a little birdie, Scaramouche, who is in attendance, has told him that Jack lost the one thing in the universe that could destroy Aku. They have a little laugh about it, but Jack soon pulls out the sword. Aku goes from surprised to angry as he glares at Scaramouche, and in an admittedly awkward scene and transition, destroys Scaramouche for the faulty info. Yeah, I don't like this, like, edit right here. Yeah, with, like, it's, it's really destroyed. weird. He just, yeah, like, they just, like, cut back to Scaramouche's head. It explodes. They don't show, like, any follow-through from, like, Aku shooting a laser or anything. Yeah. It's like, and then very next scene, like, he just kind of turns around real quick and is like, well, I'm out of here. Nice catching up, but I must go. Pretend I wasn't here. Yeah, I didn't like the, I didn't like the animation in that moment. It it didn't follow through. It, like, it didn't follow through. A little wonky. Yeah, it would have been cool if we just turned around and blew him up and then just turned back around. Just, we see a bot, we just see, like, his headless body just slumped to the ground. Or even better, you do, like, a quick, like, slam of Aku's fist on top of him. And then you see, like, the aftermath when he pulls it up. Yeah. And then he's like, well, I'm out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Just like some snappy and quick to kill him. 
I know, he's so quick to just, like, forget all about this and go back yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> well, never mind, bye. All right, left the oven on back at home. See you later, Samurai. <laughs> Uh, but before Aku can leave, Jack tries to make a charge at him, and Aku senses a strange smell in the area, one he's never smelled before. Getting closer to Ashi, he exclaims confusedly that he smells himself in Ashi. <laughs> he then remembers back to when this could have happened. And we now see that at the first episode of the season, when the daughters of Aku first worshipped him, he made a surprise appearance to his worshippers. Finding their effigy of him to be flattering enough, he granted what appeared to be some of his own essence into a chalice, which after he departed, the high priestess drank and then gave birth to Ashi's sisters with. Which, um... Uh, did, did, did he know they were gonna... Yeah, did they know what they were drinking when they like put that in that chalice? I mean, maybe. You think... Like, yeah. Like, did, did they even know what was coming out of his body at that well, time? It's like, I'm like, I have, I have so many questions about that. Like, how did they know this would work? One, two. How did they know that was like his come? Maybe they thought it would just make them powerful. They didn't expect daughters out of it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's not like implied that they like had a child normally and then drank it. Yeah. If that happened, then I'd be like, okay. Then it's just like, something happened. <laughs> you know, we need like a bit of Aku going on like, oh, you are an attractive bunch of ladies, but uh, considering the fact that you don't have anything down there, but I can give you the next best thing. Yeah, here we go. It works the same as, uh, well, you know. Have fun. Maybe I'll call you sometime. Yeah. He reflects on that moment. And he's like, Ugh, she actually drank that stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like, that she was actually, my piss. Did she actually <laughs> know what that was? Like, wow. I didn't know she was that freaky. <laughs> I'm kind of into it. <laughs> Man, that was a really crazy night, but uh, that's what I do when I, you're never around, Samurai. <laughs> I may be a shape-shifting master of darkness, but I do have a personal life, you know? <laughs> when he heard that worshipping that day, oh he was God. thinking, he was like looking at them worshipping and being all like, hmm, perhaps if I ejaculate my cum, <laughs> it will break me from my melee. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going to get my rocks off. <laughs> like he just jerks off his arm. He makes like crunching wood sound. Just right through his fingertips. Just. It's like, oh yeah, that felt weird. Okay, bye. It's like, can you all not look at me while I do this? <laughs> Anyone got a sock around that I could use? I don't have any protection. Good <laughs> one. You like dance around? Or something. I just I just need to get going a little bit. I thought you were all just going to worship that or something. Like a holy relic. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm into some freaky stuff too, but uh, I, I draw lines uh, elsewhere. <laughs> as, as, like, as, as you just like peed in a jar, that's basically what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I it's like, it's Aku's piss. It's cool. Bye. I grant you my pee. <laughs> yes, master of your pee. Should have done this earlier. I could have had an army of concubines. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like he doesn't even know how he works. I think that's really funny. <laughs> like he's oh. has so much power, he doesn't even understand how much power he has. He's just like, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, I got holy crap! That's okay. Great. Oh, thank you for indulging me in that. <laughs> I knew we'd have fun with that. Absolutely. 
Upon this realization, Aku declares Ashi a true daughter of Aku, and when Jack tries to attack him again, Ashi interferes against her will. She finds herself defending Aku against Jack's blows and attacking him, the essence inside her seemingly driving her. Even Aku just kind of mocking the whole situation, like, ah, you leave your daughters for like several years, and then they, <laughs> and then they turn out to shack up with their martial enemy. <laughs> What's a demon to do? And he's like kind of chatting with like a destroyed robot. Heck. Although I can't help but mention that that scene, that that like final line doesn't transfer either. Maybe that's just because I'm annoyed because his mouth doesn't complete the sentence. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Animation error. She finds herself defending Aku against Jack's blows and attacking him, the essence inside her seemingly driving her. Jack tries to plead with Ashi to fight against it, but Aku unleashes some energy to give a little push to the dark side inside her. This transforms Ashi into a shadowy amorphous creature with flaming eyes, looking more like Aku's daughter than ever before. With Ashi's personality now completely taken over, she starts shape-shifting and attacking Jack with powerful blows and unmatched speed. Jack tries to get through to her, only briefly reaching Ashi through her current form, but she tells him that the only way to survive is to kill her. Jack, however, finds himself conflicted, and in the end, cannot kill her. He tragically lays down the sword, and Aku stops Ashi, claiming the sword for himself. Aku has finally triumphed over Jack. Not a bad development. Like, I actually kind of like that whole daughter of Aku angle quite a bit. Yep, and <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, the long panning shot of Aku standing triumphant over Jack holding the sword with Ashi by his side as it pans down to, like, a very sullen Jack. Like, I'm just... That's perfect. Yeah, that it's got so a hand-painted quality to it, too. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of, like, the original opening of the series. Yeah, it looks yep. really good. Yeah, just fan- fantastic little twist here for episode 9. Even though it kind of started off kind of slow. A yeah. little bit, yeah. Episode 10, the final episode of Samurai Jack. It begins with an announcement to the world. Every nation and group is turning on their TV screens. The Scotsman's Clan, the Triceraquins under the sea, the tribe of the high top forest, the denizens of the robot city Andromeda, and the dog archaeologists of the ruins of Townsville. Every group Jack has ever helped has turned into a broadcast, that Aku is putting out. And it's weird. It's kind of funny seeing the TVs and all of like these weird places. Like, even the tribe up in the trees has, like, a little, like, yeah. TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we just have, like, this TV we just found. And we put it up here. Everyone has a TV to watch this. Even the Scotsman and his daughters yeah. like their, uh their castle. I guess they got, like, DSL or something. <laughs> some you satellite. know, Aku may have, like, destroyed everything, but he makes sure to give everyone at least one TV. Yeah, every villain pair gives everybody a TV. He, still, he allowed Toshiba to still operate in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly probably because there's, like, one channel where he just points and laughs at everyone, like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see De- yeah, you see Dell did not, like, properly pay tribute to him, and that's why they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> On everyone's TV screen, the opening of the original series plays out fully, going to original footage until up until the last shot, when Aku makes his proclamation. Insert proclamation here. And they do keep Mako's original recorded dialogue for this. Yeah, that was actually kind of cool. They didn't re-record that or anything. It's a little jarring when Greg Baldwin then, like, comes right back in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, gotta have, you had to have a little bit of Mako. It was a nice little way to have Mako still in the end of the series. Yeah, right. I no problem. I like that. fine. Aku appears to have truly won, with Jack on the chopping block and the sword in custody. Aku prepares to finally execute on live TV his fated foe. 
but he cannot seem to decide on the method. Yeah, he never actually thought about how he was going to kill him in the end. <laughs> so many ways. So many ways, so many things you can transform yourself into. I could do this. Uh, nah, nah, that'd be too messy. Or maybe this. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be too much fun. Or this, this, that, no. <laughs> Trying to make, like, weapons out of his arms. Can't decide. I should have planned this out more. During this moment, Jack attempts to plead one last time to Ashi, but she is completely taken over by her evil essence. Though we see that inside she is trying hard to fight the essence. Aku seemingly cannot decide on the method of execution until he finally sees the obvious solution. Have the one Jack cares about the most kill him. He orders Ashi to execute Jack, and she prepares a sharp tendril to kill the samurai once and for all. All hope seems lost. Until an explosion blows off the top of Aku's tower. Aku looks out above the rubble and sees all of Jack's allies gathering together to mount a last-ditch assault on Aku and free Jack. The ravers, the talking dogs, the triceroquins, the archers on the backs of woolies, the tribe, and even the 300 Spartans have yeah. all gathered to finally end <laughs> Aku's reign and save that the samurai that helped them. This is it's this is also cliched, but it's cool. Yeah, I mean it's like that's fine. Like, this is, this is, this is, I mean people want to see that. The Triceroquins with like their little uh, like little like fishbowl helmets yeah, like coming yeah, yeah. in on creatures. The ravers with guns like the woolies like carrying the archers. Like this just looks cool. <laughs> Suck it, Rise of Skywalker. Samurai Jack season five did it first. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the Spartans were a nice touch. I love that line. The 300 fight for one! Yeah, oh, that's a good line. <laughs> also, I gotta say, I love seeing the uh, archaeologist dogs, because they were the first friends Jack yeah. made. The yeah, future. they come in on their mining machines, and Rothschild is even there, too. Yeah. <laughs> now, like, an elderly dog. Yeah, it has, like, kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was very cute. <laughs> even the tribe, like, jumps up and, like, it, like, batters, like, Aku with, like, little, like, sticks and stuff. They can yeah. fly? Like, fly? They can fly? No. No, fly. Jump good. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that guy. Aw, sweet. The wild man. <laughs> yes, yeah. him to drop by. <laughs> Jack is relieved to see his friends and allies have not forgotten him and tries to go for his sword in the confusion, but Ashi stands in the way. During this, Aku finds himself only entertained by the opposition, not seeing any of the army as a real threat, squashing them and summoning, co summoning copies of himself to thin out their numbers. Things seem to be fruitless until the ghostly Scotsman <laughs> flies through the air, blaring his bagpipes as he lays out a magical road for his daughters to ride their war deer upon. The cavalry charges straight into Aku's minions, clearing the way for the army to reach Jack. Jack and the Scotsman finally reunite after all these years. A really, truly happy moment. I love that. <laughs> that was nice. Even though he's looking a little different, a lot less corporeal. But yeah. <laughs> nonetheless, it's it's a sweet moment to see them reunited after so long. I yeah. wish we got more. I know. I, it would have been nice to actually have a little bit more. Although he does... He does at least introduce Jack to all of his daughters. Yes. Yeah. And even tries to offer one of them to him, which and is kind of like, weird. Well, they're not good enough for you. I mean, it's <laughs> weird, but it's, it's kind of nice, you know, Scotsman wants Jack to be a part of his family. Yeah, know? in that regard, yeah. it is kind of sweet. And I guess he does still look like how he did all those years yeah. ago. Yeah. So I guess it's not that weird. Not too weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, just, just given, like, traditions from like, long past, I'm like, yeah, okay, I... He probably would. There's not a reason he wouldn't. <laughs> like... 
the Scotsman, though, is, is excited to learn that Jack found someone he likes. Though he thinks Jack's taste in women has gotten worse after he sees yeah. Ashi's demonic form. <laughs> don't think she's a type lad. <laughs> the last of the army even finally arrives when Max and the robots of Andromeda arrive with the rebuilt and reworked robo-samurai <laughs> that Jack once piloted. And Aku hilariously downplays until it starts punching him in the face. Yeah. Repeatedly. He's just like, a giant stone samurai, really? Ah! <laughs> and then just like, oh, that. It was great seeing the robo samurai come back. That was quite a nice touch. Like, Aku getting punched in the face, I was reminded of the the running bit in Dragon Ball Z Abridged where, like, Goku kept punching Jace in the face just repeatedly. Yeah. It's like, ah, fast, stop, you punched me in the face. Oh, so great. Although the one group that I was I was surprised didn't show up were the um, the Shaolin monks that Jack befriended. Yeah. yeah, just about everyone is accounted here, but they didn't show up once. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I, it must have just been like too many things, and they just forgot. Yeah, it probably was quite a lot at this point. Bit of a strain on the animator's wrist. Yeah. yeah. Jack is overwhelmed by Ashi in the chaos, and the battle takes a turn for the worse when Aku, fed up with this rebellion, unleashes a storm of spikes upon the fighters causing some to take cover and making casualties of others. Oh, God, like the robots of Andromeda getting oh, killed. Yeah. I think some Triceroquins also got gored yeah. as well. Yeah, like, people died. They're, they were, it's... like, reavers that got thrown off. Like, ugh, mm-hmm. it's kind of brutal. It's hard to watch sometimes. The Scotsman blares his bagpipes through the barrage and manages to clear them away with his ghostly magic. During this, Jack pleads with Ashi inside the black mass of her body that he is now being suffocated in. She is just below the shadowy mass, but he cannot reach her. It is then that Jack finally declares his love for her, and in a miraculous moment, Ashi breaks free of her father's influence, coming back to the world. Aku confronts his daughter, and Ashi rejects him as her father, enraging Aku and causing him to attack, but he finds himself evenly matched as Ashi has all of his abilities, like shape-shifting, laser beams, and as Ashi realizes... The most important ability of all. The one power that can truly end this nightmare forever. Jack catches on quickly to what Ashi is planning as she grabs Jack's sword. And before Aku can stop them, Ashi uses her newly controlled powers to open a time portal to the past. And Jack and Ashi escape Aku's grasp. He can only say, oh no. For he knows he is well and truly Fucked up. <laughs> yes! Yeah. That was the moment I was waiting You fucked up. That was the moment I was waiting for. Like, how are they gonna get back to the past? That's how they get yeah. back to the past. That's I respect that for some clever writing. That yeah. That actually worked. That worked really well. That was really good. I liked that. Yeah, that that, that moment with the, the time portal I was like, what oh sh- they can do what? Okay. Oh, that was that was well earned. Yeah. All that cliched love stuff, it was well earned for that moment. Yes. <laughs> yes it was. Jack and Ashi find themselves hurtling through the time stream, an act previously thought to be impossible, but now could have only happened thanks to the love they both share. They hurtle further and further back, back to the past, the very day Aku was at his weakest. You might have beaten me now, but I will destroy you in the future. There is no future for you, Aku. I disagree. 
What trickery is this? Do not worry, Samurai. You will see me again. But next time, you will not be so fortunate. You're back already! No! anyone ever again. The day Jack was sent back to the past, and Aku believed that he'd never see his adversary return for a long time. Until not ten seconds later, when Jack hops out of the time portal, yeah. shocking Aku, as he did not expect him to arrive so early. Already? You're back already? Oh, no, wait! But before Aku can say anything, Jack immediately goes to town, slashing the weakened Aku into ribbons, chipping away at him, and leaving no openings for attack or escape. When Aku is reduced down to nothing but a sliver, Jack pierces through the demon and binds him to his sword. And with one final thrust, he stabs at the very tower itself, the sword triggering one final explosion that Jack and Ashi race away from. And with that, Aku is slain, killed, bit the dust, pushing daisies, singing choir with the angels. Aku <laughs> is dead. And yeah. Jack is home again. 16 years we waited for this. <laughs> Man. Man. <laughs> it's been so long. But that moment was satisfying. Oh, yeah. The tower exploding could have been cooler, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a really they kind of like, wrapped that up a little bit quickly. Yeah, it would do kind of quick. I kind of wanted like one more like weird thing that, that like Aku had up his sleeve. He tries and it doesn't work. I wanted one more thing, but it's like I don't. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I yeah, really no, this was still it. a pretty well earned finale. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, and like in the K phase at that moment, Aku has been weakened by the initial fight with Chad, Oh yeah, so like yeah. he's got nothing left. And we already saw that fight already, so like it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, still overall like a pretty satisfying close to Aku's life. One last time now, a celebration is now underway. 
All the people of the world that work together to train Jack and oppose Aku. From Greece to Africa to the Middle East and Sherwood Forest. Everyone gathers together to celebrate the end of the darkness that plagued everyone for so long. In the Imperial Palace, the Emperor, now restored to his throne, dresses his son the Prince, Jack, in wedding robes. Meanwhile, Jack's mother, the Empress, and her ladies-in-waiting dress Ashi up in a ceremonial wedding dress. A grand wedding is put on for the two lovers, and everything is in place for the two to seal their relationship. But tragedy strikes when Ashi collapses, and Jack rushes to her side, the gathered wedding-goers in shock. If any of you are familiar with time travel plots, or perhaps that Roswell episode of Futurama, then you could probably tell this was inevitable. Jack! What's wrong? Without a coup, I would have never existed. No. Ashley. With Aku being destroyed at the original point in time Jack was sent back, it essentially rendered Ashi's existence forfeit, as he now never lasted into the future to allow her birth to happen. Jack is only safe because in going back, he closed the time loop. He pleads with her not to leave, but she knows her time on this earth, no matter how brief, was worth it to meet Jack. Ashi disappears from existence, Jack having now lost the love of his life. How very Gurren Lagan of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, kind of. If, but if you, from that. but if he's gone, then I. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, ma it makes sense. Like considering that th this is not running on like you know DBZ time travel logic, where the bad future still exists somewhere in an alternate timeline. Like, yeah, it's it was bound to happen. It because, had to happen because without Aku, then Ashi won't exist, and that that also means that all the friends that helped Jack that he made they're also most likely not existing in the future anymore. Well, not in that capacity. Not in that capacity. I, I, like, the... I feel, like, mixed on it. It's like, I feel like the... Have him go back and stop Baku, actually stop him and everything. After all that build-up, yeah, he, it had to happen. Like, that had to happen. Like, all of his friends in the future, like, not existing is, like... It doesn't really hit too hard for me, because I'm, like... Because knowing... Because I went back and watched the old one before I watched the, watched it again. And I'm like knowing everything that happens. It's like he's undoing all their suffering, and a lot of these creatures are from other planets, and they were brought there, or they're like mutants or something. It's like they not all of them necessarily like are from Earth, or or like anything like that. And some of them are like some like we're gonna evolve anyway in the future. So it's like you've erased this huge problem in their lives forever, and now they get to live not even knowing the suffering, which is like. Fine, that's good. That's true. Like, yeah, like, and, and it's like, like all of his experiences still happened. He remembers all of them, so it's not like they they weren't important. It didn't happen. But I, yeah, I definitely like get people who are upset. Like you know that none of this happened. And what was the whole point? It's like the whole point was to come back and stop from happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the that's point. The point. In the yeah, 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 that was to, the goal. You wanted to make to ensure a better future. Yeah, 
and they will they have one they will have a better future yeah. like they're gonna exist they're just not going to like be the exact characters and hey jack is still immortal too don't forget yeah so he closed yeah. the time loop so he is still immortal yeah we yeah we don't yeah. he could still meet them in the future potentially that's yeah, true. True. That true that's true i sure we can meet a better future in the when humanity future. makes portals to other worlds like yeah. you can try and meet with them yeah, he could definitely like be there the whole time. That's gonna be real. That's gonna be weird. <laughs> well, they won't recognize him. He's yeah. gonna have to reintroduce himself to the Scotsman again, and he still gets like pelted with insults by him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I think. I think it's supposed to have. I think it is supposed to have that bittersweet edge to it. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed it's not, to be a bit of a bittersweet finale. Yeah, it's not the happiest ending, but it is definitely the right ending. Yeah. The final scene of Samurai Jack depicts Jack riding on horseback through a foggy forest arriving at a tree on a hill. He appears to seek solitude and alone time after what he has just lost. He sits on the hill, contemplating to himself, when a ladybug flits through the air and lands on his hand. He looks upon the ladybug, and he finally smiles. It flies away, and as it does, one final glorious shot shows the fog around the land left, and slowly the trees above Jack glow in the breaking sunlight as it hits the cherry blossoms blooming above, and soon the whole valley below comes to life as the cherry blossoms bloom. Jack had lost much over his journey, his family, his friends, and his love, but those memories were worth having, worth experiencing, and Jack is no longer alone, no longer lost. Jack is home, and the samurai has earned his rest. The and curtain down that was samurai jack season five a saga that i never truly expected to ever come to an end but i'm still very glad actually happened like yeah. i'm still i was still overall very happy with this final season yeah like like it's like it's overall great like it's exactly what i, I wanted out of it it gave me some things i didn't know i wanted it was good um like really the only thing that was like that was kind of wonky was the last three episodes being a little bit too fast. Right. Like a little right. bit too much stuff all in one episode for a lot of those. That's it. Like, like if we just had a little bit more time, imperfect. Yeah, I would say like overall I am very grateful that this exists. I'm glad they finally went back and did, finished off the story of Samurai Jack. And I'm glad that even better on Adult Swim and on Toonami, no less getting Toonami an original show. Yeah. For the first time since uh, their, their revival. And just... Everything, like, up until, like, about uh, episode 7 was, like, really good. Then, like, last three episodes, bit of a stumble here and there, but kind of understandable. Maybe they didn't have enough budget to, like, to like do anything longer, but still. Ten episodes, that was the agreement. Yep. yep. So, I wish they got maybe a few more episodes. Uh, I especially wish that final episode was an hour long. Yeah, yeah that deserved to yeah, be quite a bit that should have been, like, a movie. Like, they, cle- they clearly could have kept the whole... 10 episode limit but just like extend that final episode just like a full hour long special yeah i i agree fully because like, like it's the a series mo- needed a bit more time and like it's a big moment the, the conclusion of samurai jack yeah give it a full hour of let it breathe yeah. like yeah we need this time to let it like sink into us yeah, like this, this is, is actually the end. the end of it and it's it actually is getting an end and it gets to have a conclusion at all like it's that's ridiculous yeah, my, my overall opinion on it has kind of changed. I'm a lot more honest with, like, the things that didn't work in it. Like, the first, like, mostly half, like, yeah, as you said, like, that first half up until, like, episode seven is, like, seriously good Samurai Jack. Like, peak stuff. Yeah. It's, like, prime television right there. A true yeah. return, like, in every masterful way. It's like it never left. 
Yeah. But is. then as it starts to hurtle towards the end and needs to wrap things up and wrap up its threads, that's when you start to see the plot speeding up. That's where like you start seeing uh, the team making shortcuts. This is where they have to start resorting to cliché to make the whole thing work together. Like the whole army fighting Aku in the end and gathering together, like mm. the law that law of angle between Jack and Ashi, like it's all been done before. Yeah. And, for the most part, and like for the most part, it does work. Like some of it is still fun, and it is still effective character writing. But I personally expected something more original from a final season like this. And maybe it would have all felt a little bit better. Maybe it could have been pulled off better if there was more time to flesh it out. Like maybe just two more episodes, twelve yeah. episodes. That would have been fine. Absolutely fine. Yeah, that would have been fine. Like that's really what it needed is just more time to like make make that moment bigger. They're going to be like those cliches because like having a big army is fine. Like I don't care. Like that cliche is like almost always cool unless like you don't know who the characters are at all. Like we know them from the episode, so it's like this is fine. That's it. It's just seeing everybody in the world actually getting getting up and fighting them. That was cool. The the Ashi love story like it was kind of had to happen for that moment to be as strong as it was. So then like that's forgivable. Yeah, it's like honestly like it's like as far as like a show coming back. This is one of the better, like, of things like this. Because there are other shows that have come back, actually did get another season, even though they didn't need one, and then been like, wow, why did you do that? Like, like this is not... <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Like, this is not, like... Like like you said, like, it felt like they never left. Because it really does. It feels like they never left. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, overall, I give this, I give the season, like, a very hearty thumbs up. Like, it's, it's very good TV, though, like... Uh, as much as I enjoyed watching it week to week, I would say the best way to watch the season is, like, just kind of marathon it in, like, one or two goes. Like, yeah, because I was going to get to that point. In a way, Gendy sort of did kind of get, like, a movie made of Samurai Jack in the end. Because if you watch this from beginning to end, like, I think you could credibly make an edit out of this where you get rid of, like, you maybe get rid of, like, the uh, the beginnings of ends and stuff. Or maybe you have, like, an intermission in the middle. I think you could string together these ten episodes into a pretty solid final movie. I, mean, I like, think it works uh, better in that regard because watching week to week, it kind of highlighted some of the weaknesses of the writing. Yeah, because like you're because you got a lot of time to think about it, and it's just like I don't know about what's going to happen next. Yeah, I remember watching it week to week and being like, I remember the last three episodes like showing their weaknesses way more at that time. And like we watched it all at once, it's like I barely noticed it. I was like. <laughs> whatever but overall i'm still very happy that this exists i'm very happy that gendy got to come back and finally finish what i considered to be probably his magnum opus yeah and and honestly just like this seeing the character jack just get like that ending was really nice like, like even though like it was it was bittersweet it was like but that's like pretty good like considering like now he gets to live his life he's at free all. of that evil yeah and it couldn't happen without that love in his life yeah He's finally free. Yeah. Run free, samurai. <laughs> Run free. Fly, fly. Suffice, suffice it to say that most everyone was satisfied with the execution of Samurai Jack. No, not that kind of execution. <laughs> Haku wasn't satisfied. <laughs> that was the worst execution ever. <laughs> At least from a marketing standpoint, they were. The show was a serious boon to Adult Swim, attracting viewership in the millions. It proved to be so successful that Gendy was given a chance afterwards to create something completely new for the channel. And not long after he ended Jack's story, did he begin a new one. Primal. In 2019, he debuted his next major television work called Primal, which, was un- which is unlike anything he made before. 
It took the silent filmmaking that he honed in Samurai Jack and took it to the next level, all the while allowing him to indulge in a much darker story with lots of hardcore violence. Primal would follow the very simple story of a caveman named Spear and a T-Rex-like dinosaur named Fang, who both suffer great losses and decide to travel alongside each other for mutual survival. Taking inspiration from pulp novels such as Conan the Barbarian, Primal depicts visceral adventures between these two bestial protagonists as they struggle through a prehistoric fantasy world, with season one consisting of ten episodes, largely self-contained, and season two having just recently aired, and demonstrating that it is going to be going for more episodic writing. And I love Primal. Primal's super good. I, I watched the recent season two premiere... It is fantastic. Like, it is going to be no less as good as the first season. It is everything It is everything Gandhi has learned before in the past, and just taking it to the next level. Like, finally, we actually now have a series he always, like, wanted, which is, like, no dialogue whatsoever, just visual storytelling. And it's, it also, it's also just seeing Gandhi just have his... Have the restraints off. He can actually make, like, a super gory action series yeah. that tells all of its story through visuals. It's... Oh, mm. it's beautiful brutality. I love it so much. Like beautiful, brutal, like violence. Oh, it's great. I I, I haven't watched the, the second season yet, but the, the first season was fantastic. Mm. Just love Primal so much. I'm so happy to have Gendy making TV shows again. And with the Toonami connection, as uh, the first season reran on Toonami recently at the time of the recording, and season two will be getting uh, weekly reruns uh, after the premiere on Thursday. There was, however, one last thing related to Samurai Jack that did get made. On August 21st, 2020, a video game was released bearing the SJ name titled Samurai Jack Battle Through Time. Developed by Soleil Limited and published by Adult Swim Games, it was a decent beat-em-up game that was written by Samurai Jack Season 5 writer Derek Bachman. And I've heard that one, I've heard that game is alright. It's not bad. Yeah, for like a licensed cartoon game. Yeah. It did actually add a coda to the original ending of Samurai Jack Season 5, though. Because the game the game plays through many of Jack's um, greatest moments throughout time as you, like, hack and slash your way through enemies through pretty decent-looking combat. Like, not too bad for, like, what the studio was working with. But it added an, ad- an amended ending to Season 5 where Aku uh, gets one last fight with Jack... <laughs> Like, before he um, escapes into the time stream. And he manages, and Jack manages to... I think it's like if you get, like, some collectibles during that level, during that, like, final boss rush. It act, Jack actually saves, like, a pocket universe version of Ashi. And oh she appears God. next to him in the finale. Oh, my God. Uh, by the tree. <laughs> which... It's <laughs> a like little sure. cheap. That's kind of cheap. But it's a video game. It's, it's like, fine. It's yeah, whatever. It's a one story. You can in pocket like timeline. Fine. Whatever. Like, that's fine. But as for what the future holds, though, for Gendy, he is working on a brand new comedy action series called Unicorn Warriors Eternal. Which it sounds like he's billing it like it's going to be a um, like supernatural fantasy steampunk series about these warriors that are reborn throughout the ages. And I guess they need to... I guess the premise is that they're going to be reborn into this age as, I guess, like, teenagers or something, and they're going to be stopping some ultimate evil in this sort of, like, steampunky Victorian era. We've only got some images for it initially, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. The same studio that's working on uh, Primal is actually making it. And 
from everything he's been selling about it, it's, he's kind of been selling it like it could be almost like another attempt at what Symbiotic Titan was attempting, you know? Just this, like, dark emotional storytelling that still has room for humor, but has a lot of action to it. I'm I'm super excited for it. He's making it for... It's going to be released on HBO Max, so... Man, I can't wait for what he's cooking up over there, man. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah, like, I'm so I'm so happy Gendy is just back and loving TV writing. Mm. And with Cartoon Network, too. And with Cartoon yeah. Network, too, because he also signed up a, uh, like, multi-year deal with them as well. Like, he's back fully working for Cartoon Network Studios. Come on, season two of Symbiotic Titan. Oh, if only. That would be great. I mean, like, they'd be smart to do that. I mean, like... I mean, they have scripts they, written... And they also, like, just, with the suggestion of Samurai Jack, and what that did for the network, it's like, why wouldn't you just do it? Yeah, give me season two, put that on Toonami, and then just finish out the story of Titan. And even though and even though the Popeye film is still kind of in limbo, Candy uh, is also planning another animated film. And this was very recent news. I remember this. And I couldn't, and I couldn't believe that this was his next idea. <laughs> His next move, his next feature movie will be an R-rated anime animated feature called Fixed, which will be about a dog who, in 24 hours, is getting his balls cut off, and the yeah. film is a story about what he does with his time before <laughs> that happens. I did not expect that idea coming from Gendy. I, I hope it's three hours long and has like four intermissions and there's like an extended like ball licking sequence. I'm not sure yet, but it might actually be hand drawn too. Oh, oh like, even oh, better. Damn. Uh, damn. <laughs> a hand drawn. I really hope it sticks that way. I hope that does not like it sticks like that and it does not change the CG. Yeah, that would be awesome because I am getting a little sick of people just assuming that you can't make money on animation unless it's 3d but yeah it I, I learned i learned more about that through the uh the interview he did uh recently to this podcast through uh paste magazine where i think he he sold me a little bit more on it because like i i think he knew in the interview that like this was a weird idea for him to tackle but he assured like listen like i'm not like showing like full frontal on like dog sex in this sort of thing <laughs> It's, it kind of sounded to me like he was assuring people he wasn't going to pull off, like, a sausage party or anything. Oh, my God. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, sausage party. Like, I'm going like, to be tasteful with all of it, you know? Like, I'm, like, I, like he, he basically came down to saying, like, listen, trust me, I'm Gendy. Yeah. Like, I can, I can deliver an R-rated feature. Just yeah. trust me on this. <laughs> I can tastefully tell a story about a dog getting neutered. Yeah, yeah, I highly recommend anyone uh, checking out that Paste Magazine article because he does talk a lot about, like, his current frustrations with the industry and, like, how far he's come and how the industry has changed as well. But mm. the one thing I did learn from that, though, is that Gendy truly seems happy with his career right now. I mean, I would be. He truly like does. Yeah. He says nowadays, like, he's actually getting people to, like, people are actually reaching out to him now to ask him for ideas for what to do. He said he's that's never happened to him before. Hey. Really? That's... For the first time in his life, he's not having to go to anyone to, like, pitch. He's actually getting ideas of his own made that people want from him. Wow. I honestly wonder if maybe that wouldn't have happened if Samurai Jack Season 5 didn't happen. Yeah, it has to be that. He came back and he showed the world that he still had it. Yeah. The Herculean task of returning to your old old thing. And then, not only that, also it being successful. And you can still retain the artistic integrity of that old work. That you can properly end it off. And that you can still deliver avant-garde animation through Primal to continue to show that you can do incredibly artful, amazing stuff that 
I mean, let's be honest, at the end of the day, does also still make money and, yeah. like, hit all oh, yeah. ratings. Gandhi Tartakovsky, I'm very happy to know that he's in a happier place in his life. Yeah, that's great. For a guy who himself has suffered a lot of loss in his life, having lost family before, and has also seen, like, creations of his own, like, be mistreated and, like, not ended properly, it makes me very happy to know that a master like Gandhi Tartakovsky is still making fine animated works today, and he is one of my favorite creatives in history, across any medium, anywhere, and I cannot wait to see what more great things he brings to us in this world. 10 billion percent agree. Yeah, Gandhi's pretty dope. Thank you all for joining us on this journey through Samurai Jack for Summer of Toonami. <laughs> this has been a hell of an episode. And looking at the time, I think this could be a contender for one of our longest episodes. Holy shit, really? <laughs> yeah, maybe not Tiger and Bunny levels, but definitely beating out the likes of uh, ReZero Season 1 and Darling the Franks. Probably. I mean, we'll see once we actually once I actually edit the whole yeah. thing down, because I'm also editing this thing, yeah, too. Yeah, you can make this as long or short as you want. <laughs> If you want to, be, if you want to go for the record, ah <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, next time, though, I'll return back to my old seat as Mikey rests back control this broadcast. And next time for Summer of Tsunami, we will be surfing the astral waves and talk shit about restaurants when we reflect on the adventures of the dandiest guy in space, Space Dandy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, and thanks you, thanks so much, Taha, for joining us. Oh, yes. yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me over. Glad, cool. glad to have you on here, you know, for the first time since that uh, late night OKKO panel. Yeah, yeah, this is so, super cool. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to have you back on for, like, yeah. either either another Western cartoon or even, like, a regular anime. Absolutely, yeah, I could talk about all kinds of things. I mean, ever since we became friends, I knew I always wanted you on for an episode of this podcast. <laughs> and I was really waiting for, like, the right one to bring you on for. And we had spirited conversations before about Samurai Jack and the final season. And I just knew, like, I gotta have you... I, I had to have you on. I had to have Taha on, you know? Till our next episode, listen in to Anime Bebe on Podbean and every, anywhere else you can get your podcasts. You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and Wolfish Grin on Tumblr. Where can our listeners find you, Mikey? You can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shiota on the gram. And Taha, where can people uh, consume more of you? Uh, I mean, I guess you can like, I used to do Let's Plays on Basement Quality uh, YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in Basement Quality. And Isn't like, Basement Quality also on Twitch as well? Yes. We do have a Twitch also. It's like the exact same as Basement Quality, <laughs> Twitch.tv. <laughs> but you have some fun streams with your friends, though. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, You've got a good bunch to play games with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not as, as active as I was in the past, but yeah, we, we still have all our old stuff out there. If you want to watch that, that would be awesome. Um, I don't know. You can send me some toenails. Here's my, <laughs> here's my very real address. It's five. <laughs> 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 Maybe send it to a P.O. box, those toenails. Yeah, P.O. box, my real address, five. five. <laughs> More like P.U. box. <laughs> One, two, three, so make something right. stinky and weird. <laughs> my P.O. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. It has done me proud to be at the helm of the ship for this episode. Writing and, like, as I will soon be doing, editing... It was very nice to know that I could put together um, 26 episodes for the tw 26 pages for the script, knowing that I still still got that in me. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
I still, I still got that writer sensibility inside me. I can't wait for the next opportunity, but just know that whatever it may be, it's going to be something I'm incredibly massively invested in, and I can think of some works right now that I could possibly helm another episode for <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Until that day, stay safe out there, people. We're not out of the woods yet, and it's a long road ahead of us, but we'll meet again some sunny day. Now allow me to close you all out on the dulcet tones of Greg Baldwin singing Aku's Way. Good night, sweet shogun of sorrow, and good night, Mako. You will be missed. This has been Anime, baby! And now, the end is nigh. It seems that I am not immortal. The foolish samurai refused to die. He found a portal. Melees filled all my days. I slaughtered billions every Tuesday. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I did. I did it a cool way, but now I'm gone, and now I'm dead. A stupid sword stuck through my head. I ruled the world. My word was law. <laughs> <laughs> the end was quick and extra thick. I did it. A cool.